thing. It was this bunker. And I, I so anyways, I thought it was an underground grow because uh, all the ventilation and stuff it had coming out of the roof and stuff. So I went and investigated. I found a hatch, popped the hatch open and went down. And it was this room and it was full of these, like all this, like look like computer equipment or something. I don't know. The only thing I saw, they had these labels on them. It was RTX 3060. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the hell I stumbled across. Smash I like, on it, man. You know what that is. Farm. Yeah, that's a farm, bro. Yeah. Well, a farm? What kind of farm? So first question I have to ask, is your client a nerd? Hmm. Mm, yes, a little bit. So you might have stumbled across his Bitcoin farm or someone is using his land for a Bitcoin farm underneath. They're using it in the earth because it's colder to run things. And yeah, guarantee yeah, you that's exactly what it is, bro. The natural temperature now inside the earth is 58 degrees. So to keep the RTX, thick, those, those things chill, keep them cooler. Nice. For sure. How nice Still is filled. he? How so nice how, so how, how, would we, how would we reap the profits of this? How do we get the Bitcoins out of this? I like it. He doesn't mine. I was going to well, say, he's a nice guy. You don't. It's, not, it's, it's, it's nice guy, leave You it. don't get them out. <laughs> you just know they're there. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, uh, I, I don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about something else. Uh, we're talking about uh, movies. We're talking about Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones and the Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what, what you guys are talking about. I've, I've already forgotten. Super well, lost, if somebody stumbled upon something important and interesting, but they I want to access it, but they can't because it's encrypted. I, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. We're talking about something else. This is a cannabis show. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> we, we're, we're, that's private conversations. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen well, welcome to the show. First off the hop, uh, if you guys are over the age of 21, some of you know the drill. Some of you don't know the drill. If you don't know the drill, if you do know the drill, sounds like drill, baby drill or something, right? That's a weird blast in the past. Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know the drill, uh, sit back, relax, uh, check your ice cube situation, check your um, tasty beverage situation. Maybe you're out of rolling papers. Maybe you're just, you have lots of cannabis in front of you. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't even said that word right now. But maybe you have you know, a lot of the magic kind of herb in front of you and you ran out of papers. This is your chance for a second. Uh, we're going to give you a moment. Kids, boys and girls, uh, gather around. Uncle gather West Engine. We have I'm a story, little, man. West Engine. have a story for you. Yeah, man. Once upon a time in a faraway land. Get oh, the hell great. out of here, man. You oh, can't stop here. Get shit. out. Get out. Dang it. Dang it. Boys and girls, uh, unfortunately, this is, well, fortunately, I don't know. The rules are the rules. Uh, this Come is on. just not the show for you, man. It used to be just West Engine saying it, man. It used to, he was only the bad cop, but now they've literally like shut down. They've, uh, what do they call it? Age restricted every single show this month. So now it's going to be me too telling you like, if you're children, get out. Like, honestly, get get out. this is not the show for you. This show is 21 and over. YouTube's like, this show's for 21 and over. So for children, if they're 20, they can come back when they're 21. Right, Wes Engine? This is not and like age discrimination. Get, just, get the fuck Don't out close. until you're 21. When you're 21, come back. But until then, fuck off. Get Hopefully that's time. clear. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoy the show and would like to listen to it on podcast platform, you're welcome to do so. Please go listen to it. I've started to re-upload over on SoundCloud. Uh, hopefully that's working a little bit better. This, the, the listens are still somewhat low, but you know how stuff uh, grows. But at least it's not zero like it was before. It was glitching out. Uh, Potent Ponic, Steve, help me out with that. Uh, thankfully, I think it's working. So please go subscribe to Chronic Table over on SoundCloud. Uh, look up Chronic Table at your uh, podcasting platform of choice, and please go listen to us uh, just yesterday or today, actually, I think I uploaded uh, 
when did I post? I uploaded a couple days ago, but I posted, I think, today from uh, last week's uh, uh, Weed and Whiskey Wednesday. Anyway, goes listen to that. Uh, folks are saying it was a funny show. I think we got absolutely fucking hammered. So it's it's got to be hilarious because West Indian and I, when we get hammered, it, it, it gets enjoyable. Let's see here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I cannot uh, but help but uh, mention uh, my new seed company. Please go check it out. Uh, I've actually slightly changed the website. Go look up uh, fumesofgold.com. It's probably easier to look up than Fumidoro. You're like, fucking some bells and Italian shit, whatever. Please go look up fumesofgold.com. I'd be honored if you go look at, at uh, the seeds. Take a take a look. I'm fucking just babbling like an idiot. Uh, please go look at it. You don't have to buy anything. I would love it if you would buy it. But honestly, uh, I'm not just trying to make the show a, a, an infomercial because we have a great guest coming up. But uh, please go take a look. Uh, tell me if you enjoy the website. And uh, honestly, I wouldn't be ashamed at all if you bought some seeds. Richard D, D Zombie, Supreme Grape, DK uh, Trades, uh, Jay Sistone. Cheers, everybody. We go through a lot of freaking introductions here, but I realize we have guests waiting uh west engine what's the good word my friend uh, yeah, what's, big what's up. I, I don't know it's a big up you know big up uh Brita steve big up smash uh brendan Horton ponics and d big up a whole of chat hope everybody's well i'm not gonna tie up too much time tonight uh i'm just gonna pass it on to smash here uh, let's get right to this guest i'm excited that we have we have uh we have uh Cannabis royalty in the house celebrity Indeed. man this guy's been doing it since before when i was in diapers man so I'm excited. I've grown many of his strains too, so ready to get into it. Smash, what's a good word, man? Welcome. What's going on, everybody? What's going on, chat and panel? Uh, I was just told to go ahead. I jumped ahead of uh, Smash there. I'm smoking on some, I'll make it quick because we got a guest, which is wicked. I am smoking on some pink crush shatter, pink crush bud. I got some pink gelato, a lot of pink. Anyways, uh, cheers, everybody. Good dude. Welcome. Uh, I realize I probably should introduce the guests first, but uh, whatever. Uh, it's a freaking live improvisational show. Uh, we're just going for it. Let's see. Did we get everybody? Uh, Breeder Steve, welcome. Uh, I guess we can do a, another short introduction, then welcome Potent and uh, Brennan, because my uh, my timing is terrible today. But uh, welcome to the show. You are, for many people that know you, you're an absolute legend. Every, a lot of us are probably just nerdily, like, giggling, like, you know... Uh, I don't know, like the, the Korean, the K-pop stars were like, oh my God, Breeder Steve. Trying not to fanboy out. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then some people are like, who is Breeder Steve? Well, in the meantime, we're going to learn who Breeder Steve is. You've been doing this for an incredibly long time, since 94. You've been officially breeding. You've been, I think, breeding since a long time before that. Spice of Life seeds. You've been in Switzerland. Now you're in Colombia and other different places. You grow these days on a scale that is kind of hard for a lot of people to fathom. I mean, I think you've been growing since in Switzerland with DJ Short and everybody else, like tens and tens of thousands of seed selections. And now you're running, I think, million seed selection processes. Like, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome. You, a, a man that well, needs thanks, no introduction. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. That's uh, always a treat to get on and chat with people that are interested in uh, not seeing, you know. It's... We've all been stuck at home for nearly two years, you know, year and a half, and it's uh, good to just talk shit with people. <laughs> We're not hanging out at the bar, you know, not that I had yeah. done much anyways, but, be, but either way, I'm, uh, it's always a pleasure for me, too, to get together and talk shop with people that are into it, you know, because we can all, we're all ganja geeks, right? Appreciate it. Uh, this show, I, hopefully you're in the right place, because this show is kind of... um. 
I'm kind of a pub atmosphere, by the way. I guess I didn't introduce uh, 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 what the reason for joining the, the 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 room is. I have pinned the the entry to the room. Since we have kind of a, a legendary guest, I'm not going to let every single person in the in the room that might want to, uh, folks, use your your best judgment. If you feel like you have a really good contribution to make, I would absolutely love to have you. Uh, you probably know who you are. If if I don't recognize your name, I hate to say it. I'm probably not going to let you on until after Peter Steve's on here. But uh, the normal rules still do apply. Uh, don't be a dick. Don't show your dick. Uh, <laughs> Steve was like, what the fuck is that? Uh, but uh, we tried to allow uh, almost everyone in here. But uh, this is a hard, hard and fast rule, man. Don't be a dick. Don't show your dick. Uh, let's see here. What was I going to say? Uh, Potent Ponic, welcome to the show. Thank you, by the way, for bringing such wonderful guests to the show. Thank you for bringing uh, uh, the other Aquaponic Steve. I was joking earlier today. We're going to have two Aquaponic Steves on the show. Uh, Just call him senior and call me junior. I was going to say, is it like yin, yin yang or what? Is it master and apprentice? What is it exactly? Yeah, like, oh, he's a master. He's a master. How's it going, man? I haven't seen hey, you. When was the last time we got together? It was uh, yeah, uh, 420. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, had Joe on our two hundredth episode. Frenchie was there too, the late and great, great Frenchie. That's great. It was really a, a shame about his passing, you know. He was a special guy. He didn't everybody loves him, you know. Oh yeah. Definitely looking forward to tonight's episode. Uh, for those of you guys that aren't aware, uh, Breeder Steve here is the oldest um uh person as far as uh if you go back and look online or any type of published media as far as aquaponic cannabis growing he had a, the very first uh, thing that you can find and as far as dated stuff back in nine to 1997 so super cool to have him uh, on the show tonight yeah built my first unit in 94 but i think the first time it was in a magazine was in 97 maybe 96 or 97 yeah, we actually found someone in the aquaponic cannabis group found an article I think might actually be older, and it was it mentions you. Uh, I'll have to dig it up. It was on the aquaponic cannabis book or uh, a Facebook group, like right before this. I, I glanced and saw it off to look at the data again. It was funny, you know. I was really looking forward to setting one up because I, you know, had done lots of uh, outdoor growing and a little bit of closet growing with dirt, but I was like aquaponics makes sense i gotta try this and the, the conventional wisdom was that aquaponics couldn't be used to grow heavy things like tomatoes and stuff like that it's not true you, you know if you got it dialed in you can grow anything and it'll as long as it's healthy it achieves its yield you know so it's uh it was mind-blowing for me to to try it and see and I was so shocked at, you know, the growth rate and return that I was like, man, oh man, I got a pile from a small space and it is absolutely so soft to smoke. Like the texture of the smoke was so clean that I was instantly sold. I was like, I got to tell everybody to try to, because I'm an inherently lazy person. Like I do a lot of things, but I like to do them efficiently. And with the aquaponics, I like that I could just let the water run. And I don't like moving a lot of soil. I got a bad back. So if I can just plant them on rocks and take them out, shake off the rocks, move along, you know, it saves, it saved me so much, uh, you know, labor. Because you had basically the efficiency of hydro, but the flavor of good organic. So I really, I loved it instantly, you know. Good fun. Oh, yeah. We also have uh, one of my partners in crime, Brendan Strath from Spectrum King. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. Good to be here, man. I, I, lo I love hearing Breeder Steve talk because he's one of the freest and easiest speakers of something. And 
I met a lot of people in this world that are in this game and there's very few who are just an open, honest, straightforward, fun loving guy. You know, you, you, you I love listening because I still want to learn more stuff despite all the time I've been in this. And it's cool to have people that are open, willing to discuss, willing to share, you know, to tell the stories of real things they've done. It's cool for me. Right. I'm going to be sitting back listening a lot more. Well, I really appreciate your appreciation that someone once said to me. <laughs> uh, we wanted to make sure we had Brennan here. Brennan and uh, Reader Steve really tore up it up on the knowledge stuff on the 200th episode that we had. You guys were just absolute wealth of knowledge. We thought it'd be fun to have you guys both back on for this. It, yeah, I, I love the opportunity to get involved in a good conversation, man. Uh, it's just fun for me to listen more so at the stuff, but our game has changed so much in the past few years that, I mean, breeding alone, I mean, the, the, the amount of, just think 10 years ago, if you were a grower and you were getting two pounds of light, like you, you were kind of a big deal in your little corner of the world. Now there's guys getting five, you know? That's um, right, dog. And, you know, you know, 30 years ago, if you said you were getting four pounds of light, everybody said you were a liar. You show them yeah, they would fly out and you were lying. No, they the the photos. You know, yeah. I remember one expert told me, you stage those photos you couldn't possibly have all those 60 gram buds like it was <laughs> six by six 36 two ounce buds and yep. in a four by four area and people mm -hmm. say well you must yep. have just took all the biggest buds and put them on that table it's like no, yep, yep. this is you know never mind <laughs> you no, know? but it's the truth but it's just because people that they couldn't believe it and the they guy that i personally it. met that got the biggest yield ever in a four by eight area he got 12.6 pounds in a four by eight tray. Wow. That's he had a hundred, 128 single cola autoflower plants in, in a, in a, in a vertical terrace custom made growth thing that was impossible to work on, but he got 12.6 <laughs> pounds. You know? Incredible. Yeah, no, and it was, it was aeroponic, it was aeroponic mistress below and he had aeroponic uh, foggers that were doing foliars like twice a week above. It was super intricate, but people are doing it. Yeah. yeah, no. And, you know, as we know, yield's not everything, but it certainly is interesting. It's easy enough to measure and, you know, sure. it's fun to go out there. I, I always thought it was lacking when people always talk in grams per watt because it doesn't account for the time factor. You know, no. you have to add that in because I don't care how many grams per watt is, how many grams per watt per day. You know, you've kind of got to narrow that down because people are growing eight week crops and some people are growing 12 week crops. So I might right. get twice as much off a 12-week crop as most people are getting off the eight-weeker, you know, because I'm growing right. stretchy colas, mm -hmm, no mm -hmm. branch, you know, and just letting yeah. them spear go into total spears. But those that's how, to me, if I'm growing inside and I want to grow nice narrow-leaf plants, you know, as we, you know, used to call sativa in polite mm -hmm. circles, but no longer do, right? But the... Uh, but the thing is, those have the best flavors too, you know, like I think the eight week stuff was always a little dumbed down flavor wise compared to what you get in the, you know, slightly more tropical flavors usually. That's personal preference too, right? Yeah, it's per personal preference for sure. Yeah. You know, because uh, I, I would flip the script on that and saying that uh, I like per I like all things purple, basically. <laughs> Sure, yeah. most of those will finish in your eight, nine weekers, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and earlier, but the uh, and the other thing I've been seeing really neat lately is, you know, and I saw this a long time ago, but it's really just sort of hit me as a revelation in the last 
while and I haven't talked a lot about it, but I'm going to set up a good set of trials to evaluate the gene pool best we can against this metric of heat units because I've seen the advanced ripening in hotter situations. And the first yes. time I saw that in Switzerland, I didn't, it didn't click with me. I had light depth tunnels going and anything that I considered an eight week plant indoors, eight week flowering indoors, when I put them in our light depth tunnels, they were finishing in seven weeks. And I chalked it up to the 1113 photo period we were imposing on them. <coughs> and, and not the temperature per se, but that it was much, much hotter in those tunnels than in the indoor room. So yeah. that was definitely a factor, but I didn't think about it at the time. And then when I got down to the equator and started growing crops where it was really warm all the way through the crop, and it's not just the daytime highs, but the the nighttime highs. Nighttime too, yeah, it doesn't change right? Yeah. You're getting down like a the coldest <laughs> night of the year there is like 17 Celsius. And, uh, and lots of times it was like 24 Celsius at, in the middle of the night, right? So if yeah. it's 36 in the day and 24 at night, and you start looking at those mean temperatures, now you can say, well, that plant's, you know, okay, it's a 60-day plant flowering in your average indoor, but when I put that out where it's much warmer, that's a 45-day plant. So yep. the difference is, you know, with corn heat units, they measure the degree growing days, right? They add up the highs and then decide what varieties of corn they can plant in those different zones where how many heat units they have, 1,800 heat units, 2,400 heat units, whatever. And uh, they optimize it that way. And the same thing, you know, I used to do a lot in vine with, you know, making wine and growing grapes and we do the same thing add up the degree growing days to, you know, identify if that site's going to support ripening Pinot Gris or support ripening Cab Soap. They're not the same sites, right? Mm -hmm. so, but cannabis, really, there needs to be this it's a new metric done with that. That's, this metric has to happen. Plus, yeah. you can see indoors. I've been, I've been adv advising people for quite a while for heat use indoors because you know a lot of people have mildew and if they can crank the heat and really get it above the temperature mildew survives every day for a while which mm -hmm. is like a minimum of 35 celsius at your warm coldest part of your room and better to hit like 40 and then maybe if you go up to 40 for five minutes in the middle of your cycle and don't let it go below 20 in your off cycle and we used to try and get the grow room as cold as we could and bring out lots of color and everything. Yeah, yeah. But that just delayed ripening. Maybe like with grapes, you know, fast ripening, maybe that's not good. With grapes, you get the sugar too fast before the flavor. So maybe that's the case with cannabis where you get the THCs faster, but not the turps, you know? Yeah, you, you, do, change, you do change the, the, the recipe. It does change the overall finished cocktail by, by morphing it that way. It but you can change it a bit. But really, there's, you can take 25% off most indoor flowering times with the addition of heat, and you never have mildew, you know, because it's too warm for mildew. And mildew is a cold, wet problem. It is not a hot problem. Well, you get what, the other molds of hot, but... People don't get it is that it's, it's, they think, well, my, my daytime temps are fine and my daytime humidity is fine and my nighttime temps are fine and my nighttime humidity is fine, but they don't realize 
as soon as those lights go off, that temperature's dropping, and that humidity's rising. And that's that, that difficult moment. If they don't have good airflow and, and dehumidification or air exhaustion, that's when that stuff activates those spores. And if the temperature stays down there, you just, you just ruin the whole crop unintentionally. Well, yeah, but, you, you, you know, better get it above mildew temperatures every day. And then after a while, if you're diligent about that, and some people will say, well, I can get it to 35, but they may not be getting it the coldest part of the room. So I really think you want to be closer to 40 and measure it from the coldest part of your room, the bottom, the draft, whatever, you know, wherever the cool spot is, that's where you got to be hot to get rid of those spores because it won't, if you don't provide the conditions for it, it won't be a problem. You know? It won't flourish. There's a guy in Pahrump, Nevada that uh, grows in ridiculous, above that, 45, sometimes even 50 when it gets out his way. He's He just straight sativa guy, clearly, because it's the right environment for it. But I was in his grow uh, just about seven years ago and he was, and he was just hot as F and I'm going, his plants look amazing. So, and he goes, yeah, I just kind of walk around a misting bottle, like, you know, Cheech and Chong in a movie, just misting them. He, he walks around, he's so sensitive himself. He's just touching the plants. He's going, yeah, this guy a little bit, a little bit. And his leaves never drop below half mast. Even it was, you know, 45 C. Lights on. on What's that? He's misting with the lights on. Very lightly, and I thought he was crazy, but his plants looked amazing. And then indoor, of course, right? This is an indoor setup. An indoor setup, yes. And then for yourself, Steve, I'm imagining you're seeing all this uh, more like the quicker ripening on the outdoor factor where the where the root yeah, zone is not going to be good. No, hoop house. Yeah, first, it was a hoop okay. house in Switzerland, and that shaved a week off. But mm -hmm. then with the, but there's obviously a little cooler evenings in that too. But on the equator where uh, my central farm is down there is straight outdoors where I was seeing it. And anything that I, you know, brought a clone that I knew was 60 days and there would be no room left for that bud to swell in at 45. Like it Are, would be totally full. Were any of those in pots or were they all in uh, the soil in the earth? They were in the earth. Okay, because I'm assuming uh, like getting these really high temperatures and, and this ripening is, is working out, but the root zone itself isn't necessarily exceeding that, right? You're able to, like in the environment you're in, you're right. getting at very high temperatures, but the, the earth is still what's uh, containing the roots. So for, for, I'm just thinking for an indoor setup, right? Like yeah, maybe let's yeah. not go ahead and start running 95 degrees in our indoor rooms hoping for the best because you're just going to cook out your roots in your small pots. You'd have to put copper piping through and a chiller running a circulation to the root zone to keep the root zone cool while you're aerating it and, and heating above it. Yeah. It'd be yeah, pretty intricate zone. when you could do it. Yeah. For, you know, for most hybrids, I always found with root zones, I was aiming for 24 degrees, but with the uh, equatorials, they don't root at 24. They rot. You've got to keep it warmer, like 27, 28, you know, for rooting the equatorials. They like it a little warmer. But they're, you know, the different scenario, that's for sure. You don't, you know, mildew isn't a problem of the roots and the root zone, you don't want to cook it. That's for sure. You've got, if you're in big enough pots and you're only jacking that temperature up for five minutes, then you're not going to necessarily heat up the soil at the same time, you know? As quickly. If, it was, if you were running it all day like that. But, you know, this summer I've, I've done some light depth with my pool, bud. I stick a few plants in the pool shed every night at 730 which reminds me, I am half an hour late. But the, I'll be right back. <laughs> but the, uh, those ones this year, we had that heat dome. And man, we had 45 degrees back there. So these things were halfway through flowering and it was 45 degrees out. 
I have a feeling that bud's going to be pretty rank and the buds are rock hard. Now give me two minutes. I'll be right back. That's what so, she said. That's good. That I've, got, I've got the AirPod on for a little while until I get out of zone. Perfect time to introduce a couple of our new guests. Tara Lee Live, welcome. Uh, what's going on? The fanciest live action set. Uh, it's like practical effects, kind of like the new uh, uh, Mad Max movies. It's real. Welcome, Tara. Uh, what's going on? Like real peacock feathers, not CGI. Welcome. Good evening, Humidor. As usual, you got awesome crowd out here hanging out and awesome guests coming on tonight. I always love Breeder Steve. So I had to come on and sesh with y'all tonight. And potent hanging out, haven't seen you for a while. It's nice to see those dreads. <laughs> so um, we have Josh and Kelly, Dragonfly Earth Medicine, coming on tomorrow morning. Just want to throw that out tonight if anybody's interested. Cool. Uh, at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning with Drake and I. And uh, yeah, so that's all we got going. We're just gardening away. That's all we're doing. What y'all smoking on tonight? I've got some bubble hash. I'm going to go in on some banner cake over here. And I say we take a dab. Dab time. Cheers, Tara. Uh, somebody who will be very much into dab time is DK Trades. Uh, maybe I caught him off camera. So, uh, what's up, DK Trades, the, ma the freaking magic of television? What's going on? I bet you're, uh, you're into the dab. Uh, also, what's going on? Welcome. I am most certainly ready for the dab. And uh, yeah, as Tara said, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to see all of you excited for the show tonight. Everyone out there, make sure that you get on live chat as opposed to top chat. Don't be getting filtered out. You want to have all the goods in there. Then hit the old uh, thumbs up and subscribe. Come on, get at it. You want to be notified. I'm subscribed. I've done all the thumbs up. I got all the alerts and I still have to refresh go to the different video section in the in the YouTube page to be able to find it. Here I was sitting going, oh, these guys are late again. And then I pop over and there's six of you on the on the panel. So I was just late sitting there twiddling my thumbs. But like you said, dab time and let's roll. And you are still muted, Fumi. Am I still muted? Uh, well, I was just kind of talking to myself. I was just like, just making sarcastic uh, gestures. Uh, but of course, they can't uh, hear that. Soul Shine Growing, somebody who does not make so, uh, sarcastic gestures uh, in real life is uh, Soul Shine. That was a terrible introduction. Welcome. Uh, people were joking about the cumulative length of the hair on this show. I was going to say, like, honestly, if we had like a battle of the hair, you'd probably win. It just hands down. Like, I mean, they're actually, I don't know, Steve's. Steve might be, you know, not, might be the, the, the closet winner, actually, now that I think about it. I, I think I have the longest hair, but I hands down think Brendan, Brendan and Tara probably got a good competition going. Uh, I don't know. I'm seeing this kid. I think it's this hey, Oh, wait. Yeah, I, so, I forgot. Solstein, Grown, and Dees are up there. Come on up. I forgot. So, I just have to say, as being on a panel with all you guys, this is the most hair competition I've ever had. And I was a licensed hairdresser. <laughs> wait, Cascadia is coming. Cascadia is going to come and show the hair. <laughs> we all yeah, have like, a lot of us. I keep my hair. I haven't cut it. I need to cut the sides, though. I've been lazy. That's tr that's true. Smash has a, a gigantic mane of hair. <laughs> Honestly, Breeder Steve and I are the only people that don't have long hair. Even West Engine has like, uh, dude, we're gonna call you guys all hippies. We're just gonna say, see what I mean. It's like the Zeus blonde hair, man. I, like I trim my beard, though. I mean, the rest of it just keeps going. We can donate you hair. Don't worry. Says, uh, <laughs> maybe that was inappropriate for a new guest. See, we like to make fun of people's, but like it's the royal mama. We're not actually making fun of anyone's specific mama because that would be rude. Uh, welcome, Cascadian. We have a fantastic show, as you can see. Breeder Steve on the show. A couple other fantastic guests. Welcome, my bud. Uh, what's going on? Uh, what's uh, what's the good word in the garden and all that? I'm just hanging out, man. Glad to not be smoked in yet. 
Uh, last year was crazy about this time, so I'm glad we got clear skies and warm weather. I had to come mm -hmm. on and see Steve again. I've been on a couple shows with him, and he's always a pleasure to listen to, so I had to hop on here and hang out for a little while, man. What's that's the fire in uh, – oh, it's got such a stupid name, too. Um, what's that? The huge fire in Oregon. Uh, <laughs> Google huge fire in Oregon. Uh, bootleg fire. It's the bootleg fire. It was like 600,000 square miles – or no, 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 square – doesn't matter anymore. A gigantic, gigantic, gigantic space. I'm actually surprised we don't have any smoke. I guess the air is just going the other way. But anyway, whatever. Crazy times. Uh, Breeder Steve, uh, we have probably no short shortage of questions we could ask you. Uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, and I was looking for the website and then just completely spaced that. Well, give it our we were talking about smoke. And I was going to say, Breeder Steve's definitely soft in up there because so's Drake, right, Breeder Steve? You're muted, Steve. It's nasty right now. Is it really nasty? Yikes. Brutal. Yeah, they, they said it's 28 times the who recommended air pollution level or something. I don't remember how they measure it in like micromoles or something. It was like 330. It was apparently 28 PPMs, times higher yeah. than it should be. Yeah, there you go. So you guys are giving me smoke that we're missing out on, basically. I get it. Let's Speaking of Josh that. and Kelly, I was down in Nelson this weekend, and it was even like worse than it is right now for us. Um, we got there and the smoke had shown up. We we're there for the weekend with it. And then I came back here for a half a day of sunshine and the smoke followed us right back. And now, yeah, we're just loaded right in there. What we're uh, talking about right now is uh, for folks, I'm just going to look it up maybe on the map, um, is the, the bootleg fire uh, in, well, it, it, they're talking about a different fire. I'm talking about it, uh, the entire West Coast basically is on fire, I guess. So you could just essentially just keep talking about fires and you wouldn't have an end to it. Um, California has fires, and of course, the fire season traditionally was in the kind of late fall, late, uh, where is it here? Bootleg fire, trying to look it up here while I'm talking. Um, this is our big one. So uh, again, I don't know what's going up in uh, uh, Victoria, in, in uh, BC, but you know, they have a ton of trees too. As you guys can see, like Oregon is a very green, you know, it's a, a lot of that is trees. You know, Oregon is famous for logging and trees and everything else. So when you look at a lot of that green, when you look at California, not all of that is trees, but when you look at Oregon, it's actually a safe bet that when you see green stuff, it actually is trees. So when you look at that, it's just literally trees burning. Uh, and they're burning because it's just been really dry. And the forest management basically doesn't allow any uh, uh, clearing. You know, famously, the former president was talking about raking and whatever else. Anyway, uh, I mean, look how that's an actual fire. Like, that's an actual fire right there. Like, that's, that's Portland up here. That's huge. That's Portland. And then if we scroll down. Should probably have done that a better way because I'm not actually going to even get there. <laughs> that's basically the fire. Like you could literally put that fire essentially on Portland. It's just absolutely Bigger, nuts. Yeah. Uh, and I guess where I was getting to is that, um, well, last year and the year before that, honestly, uh, last year during the pandemic, you know, everyone was locked in. Uh, we in Oregon and and I guess well, frick, I get the entire this entire basin basically from Northern California, Mendocino up basically into BC, we were all kind of smoked in and it was not even kind of like the, the air looked like something from Mars or Venus or something. It was brown. Uh, and it was really like um, hard to breathe, you know, and people that did have asthma and, and, and older folks and stuff, they really, really struggled to breathe. And they folks even said like, stay indoors. It was one of the few times that the, the, everybody basically said, stay indoors because the air is so bad. So, anyway. Well, driving back from Harvest and Humboldt, you know, and driving back through your guys' area, you could smell cannabis and fire. That's all you could smell coming into Oregon. It was terrible. You guys can come take some of the rain from us, please. 
I was reading an article the other day that said there had been 1.5 million acres just in the Northwest that have burned in this last round of fires this year. So, damn. Wow. It's quite a, quite a blaze. Positive solution for that now, but uh, I don't know. I, it, it's it's important that people know about this stuff, but I guess uh, I don't know. There's things are so political these days that there's no point in talking about it. I don't know. I was gonna say, um, I yeah, man, Babylon Bondong. That's right, man. Weed and smoking and ganja and shit. Uh, now that the Steve's getting properly crunked, I guess I could talk about this. Just doing a little bit of research on him because uh, how do I put this? Um, Potent Ponix was talking about this the other day. With uh, it was kind of funny that he he verbalized what I'd been thinking. Uh, he was having uh, uh, I don't even know if I should say who he had on the show. He had somebody on the show that he knows well, and he was like, oh, at the end of it, he was like, oh shit, we managed to pull it off despite the fact that we basically know each other like uh, best friends or something. And so I'm not trying to say that I know Breeder. That would be that'd be wonderful if I did. But I've followed Breeder Steve on all kinds of FCP and and uh, any number of different kind of YouTube appearances. And I've heard people talk about his his work and everything. So how do I put this? Um, to come up with like questions, you, you, you do some research. You're like, what angle do I take? So I don't know. I was looking up different stuff today, and I was just like, okay, so this is a, an article from Overgrow. Uh, it still exists, believe it or not. This is from, actually, this is from July 17. Uh, but the article originally, they're basically quoting stuff from 19, here, I'll share it, from 1998. And this is you, hold on. Uh, Lemonade Joe over at T Overgrown was looking up uh, old how-tos on aquaponics that Breeder Steve hinted uh, when he visited Switzerland. Blah, 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 blah. And it just got me looking at this. And this is a, a, an email apparently from Vic High. What a legendary name, right? Like uh, Space Queen and, and uh, Super Soil and all that kind of stuff. From 1st of December, 1998. And just basically showing a garden. And, oh, I just got back from Vansterdam. Finally got to meet with Breeder Steve. He's quite a generous guy with his time, as, is, as you can see right now. He says, boy, you can roll huge joints, right? Uh, who else likes to roll huge joints? Anyway, I scroll through, scroll through, and I was just thinking to myself, uh, what did he, he had a, a description? Was it one of the very first here? It sounded so complicated. Here we go. Now these drip emitters. Just listen for a moment as I'm reading. Just the point we'll get to in a second. Now these drip emitters fed two setups. One was a traditional Dutch pot system. You know the one where each plant is grown on a five-gallon pail. He used a five or six-inch basket that was three-quarter filled with red balls. They expanded clay called hydrogen. Steve then covered the red balls with one-inch layer of a blend of worm castings and Steve's special blend. The special blend two six five is an organic mix. Da, da, da. Uh, back guano feather meal. Da, 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 da. Initially, the no, low nitrogen surprised me. As I'm reading this, I was basically thinking to myself, this is 1998 or whatever, wherever these guys were in Canada or in California, where some of these overgrow, a lot of these people were in like Nebraska and whatever. I'm thinking to myself, like these are complicated, incredible setups. Like how did you guys have the stones and kind of cojones to build these setups? Because a lot of people would have done completely the opposite. I realize this is kind of an open-ended question, but like, what was on your freaking mind to build a, a system that, oh, I didn't even miss, get to the best part where he was describing like you had the res and then you had another res filled with fish. And then you, you never clean the res because the fish and the aquaponic plants, they clean the whole system and the systems feed each other. And I'm just thinking to myself, like most people would have had as little soil as they can basically with a plant so that if there's any heat on them, they could just like lock the door and leave. And you have fish and farming setups and aquaponics and this and that. Like what was on your guys' heads? Like obviously paid off over time, but I don't know. How did you, I, I don't know. Do you have screw looses or what? I mean, it, it's, it's common among our community, but you know, go for it. It paid off immediately in, 
the flavors. Like we were smoking epic grass quick. And that was all about the pursuit of excellence, right? So when I started to grow when I was like 18, you know, I suddenly got very interested in horticulture, you know? So I started researching it and getting books on, you know, both organic farming and hydroponic farming and saying, I got to try something. And of course, I come across aquaponics as, you know, another horticultural technique. And then I thought, oh, this sounds really right at my alley because I'd already, by my second year growing, I already recognized the superiority of of a nice organic soil. You know, I was like, okay, this beats the ones that I added salts to. You could taste a difference. So I quickly decided that. And of course, I still went through the whole process later of trying every style of hydroponics with different salts and uh, had perfect success with that. It wasn't that I couldn't do it, but I always found that it just lacked a level of complexity. There was sort of a je ne sais quoi that wasn't there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily that there was more. It was just different. And you, you know, I'm totally happy to smoke well-grown hydro. Don't get me wrong, but I don't do it myself anymore because I get more of a kick out of nice natural. And uh, you know, when I read about aquaponics, and and you know, it just sounds so easy you know once you have this circulating system and like people say aquariums are a lot of work because you got to clean the glass and change the water and that not mine not the way i roll you know and they'd say don't leave aquariums in sun because they get so much algae on them you'll never keep them clean but if you've got an army of algae eaters turning that algae into food suddenly that light hitting water you recognize it that's the basis of life on our planet. There's some slime growing on a rock or light hit water, you know, and, and it dried out. So, you know, this is, hey, now you've got something happening. And this is kind of where it all starts. There wouldn't be anything alive on this planet if you needed to go out and buy jugs to grow it, you know. This, the world feeds itself. Now, where does it fit in the ecosystem? And when you see that plant water coming from the bottom ideally you would set up those aquariums with especially drains built on the bottom so that you have um like a grid covered with a screen underneath the gravel so the solids that would accumulate on the bottom are gradually kind of sinking through and those are just getting pumped right out to soak the plants you know and uh that is really rich even if that's a one-way trip to water soil it's still an improvement over just using tap water it i mean it really does make it a lot easier and uh if it's a recirculating system i would have a float switch on it the float valve same as you'd have on the livestock trough or something and that float valve would open up i'd set it at a quarter way down the tank so if it took a quarter of the tank to do the cycle, irrigating the tables, which then drained into the mother areas, which were in bigger buckets, big DWC kind of hybrid systems, let's say, um, that would drain into a lower bucket still after it's passed through the whole garden. And then that water would get pumped back into the aquarium. And I would have PVC bars along the top of the aquarium inside with holes drilled like every inch or every two centimeters 
and the water would spray back from, you know, 150 holes or whatever and just churn the thing right up. You don't need to have a little air stone in the bottom that does nothing. But you churn that water back in and the quarter of the tank, you know, gets filled up like that. The oxygen levels are off the charts and I can't remember what they were exactly, but there was no need to worry about oxygen in that water. And the, so the way that I called it the bioponic system, the, you had the mesh pots with the hydroton. And before you put the hydroton in, you put two nylon ropes so that you had four tails hanging out of that two feet down in the bottom of this black chamber. You know, we had lined with pond liner and those roots could, they were wicks. In, so even if the pump stopped feeding it water, the wicks would keep it wet till you know you had a chance to do something about it. It was never an issue. And there was a pump that brought the water out of the bottom of the aquarium and out to the system. And then at the return pump, there was a little T on it that went up and ran drip lines on the top of the rocks. The main pump blew into misters that just sprayed underneath and they turned, you know, they were six inch pots. And I did six by six under a four by four with thousand watts at the time. And they would take off. But as soon as you transplanted a clone in there, you know, you could give it a spoonful of castings or something. Because it's going to, that water washes through rocks and washes through more rocks before it's pumped back into the aquarium, where it's just going to spit in and settle out so it's a non-issue you have a little bit of castings in the system and the special blend which is a dry mix i made more for a little flower boost the a it could be used in a soil mix but what i would do in the aquaponic systems or the bioponic systems is i would pack it in a nylon sock so that you'd have like a roll of it set that in the 90 liter tank that had a 400 watt halide over it and uh, that thing would start growing algae like crazy. And there would just be a lineup of algae eaters on it, you know, 10 on each side. And they were huffing it. And it was just like a cloud. But they were living on this log that had basically organic flowering dry mix, right? It's a long story. <laughs> we'll post it. I, I did actually just post it the other day, but there's like 17 ingredients in the special blend back then. And uh, I'm sort of reworked, going through the process of reworking it a little bit right now for uh, another future release of it. But that's, uh, that's uh, far from finished, but it's, I hope to do it. And I'm using a hemp medium. So in my soil pots, I'm using a hemp medium, which is literally just chopped up stalks from the year before. So I'm going to get my hands on more hemp for doing a medium to kind of, you know, replace peat uh, and cocoa that way. You know, I've seen some out for a long time, but I'd never, you know, that were pressed blocks, you know, that hemp flax was making or trays for cuttings. But I thought, you know, I wonder if I can't, part of it was, I started doing it a couple of years ago in the pandemic start of it, 
there was a real rush on the garden stuff and I couldn't get enough bales for my garden because they were out and they were limited like a bale of customer kind of thing, you know? So I'm like, Gee. anyway, so I was like, well, I've kept all these stocks from the last couple of years. I had like a mountain of stocks. So I ended up just chopping them up and throwing them in the pots to the point that they were like 70% of the pot. And uh, they've worked as a fantastic medium, just topped up with some compost and special blend type stuff, you know, green sand and rock phosphate and corn gluten, alfalfa meal and guanos of this and guanos of that and different grades of grinds of bone meal and lots of good things in it anyway. But, you know, you, you can really, I'm trying to set it up so that it's geared by the month. So if you're doing like a month of veg and eight weeks of flour, you'd get the 90 day blend basically. And if you were trying to go the whole season, you'd you know, maybe get the 180 day blend, which will have a little different composition. Maybe the same stuff, but in different amounts. But um, I've been playing with that and I, I'm getting good results with the way I'm doing it. So I've got to fine tune it though. I really want to make sure it's special before we bring it out. But you that's, uh, make it easy for people just to plant it and, and really all you know, tons of ganja. There's mostly ganja by volume you're planting, but, which is pretty cool right there. Right? You, you put microbials in it too? Well, they're pretty much inevitable by the time you add tastings or something. But you, I've used the microbials, but it's more that I have somebody that uses them down at the farm. And okay. uh, I haven't been handling the microbials, but I think it's it's uh, a good idea to do it. You know, like commercially, I do it at home. I don't always add everything that I could because I'm at home and I'm not going out to look for little bits and pieces. I'm trying to grow it out of scraps laying around the yard almost, just yep. to, you know, because I put all the kitchen scraps in the compost and just try to get away with a kind of minimalist thing for the plants I'm doing at home. But at work, I take a little more care to use a lot broader range because, you know, there's a point of ordering it in bulk, you know? Yeah. But uh, I know it's it's really something to look into, that whole soil life web. And I've always got more to learn. Like, just when you think you've learned a lot about it, you can meet people that know so much more, you know? So I'm always impressed when I get to talk to these scientists that, you know, they've studied soil on such a level that you think, you know, I've studied it, you know, on a base horticultural level, let's say, you know, where I wanted to know the basics of, you know, of you know, the mix, the soil, the weight of it, you know, and, and reusability of it and things like that, right? So I'm even doing a second round on hemp grown root balls from last year that I've just flipped over and topped up with some fresh compost and bone meal and guano, you know? And uh, I think I had some humic around too and some lime, but those were the, really the basics of what I had this year, but I was growing them out of half dried banana peels and avocado skins and all the stuff from the kitchen that's in that compost is a, uh, you know, it's more than enough to get them through, but not enough to overfeed them. So they've never had burnt tips. The leaves are always a glossy, healthy green. And uh, some of them, 
that I uh, left in two I left in veg after I had light depth these other ones. And the light depth ones are finishing with the perfect fade, but the two in the same blend from the reused one, they're, uh, they're, they've started to fade. So the other plants I haven't given anything to but water, but yesterday I started to give some worm castings tea because those were in the short season blend, but end up going the long season. So they're getting a little top up to green them up, but the uh, they're still healthy and happy. But the long season ones look really good, just really deep rich green and in the uh, like twenty one gallon pots, eighty liters. So they they're no shrinking violets, like they're not monster trees in the four hundred gallon bags or anything. But yeah. they're, for where for what they are, where they are, and they only really get like depending on the month, six to eight hours of direct sun. But it's kind of made up for, I hope, by the fact that they get the reflective suns off the pool as well, because they're mostly designed to set to catch sun for part of the day. And the little plants that I move in and out for light up, I move them around to catch the sun all day. You know, put them at this end in the morning, this side for the afternoon, and the, you know, this side the end of the afternoon. And uh, they really get a nice pretty full day but it's so fun doing a few plants around the yard because honestly for a lot of years I didn't because I just had lots to smoke and I wasn't worried about like I, I like to set down years of stash you know and then say you know, if I don't feel like after five years I'm still gonna have good hash <laughs> you know it's okay so I don't have to keep growing but you know you have to keep growing because you have to try new flavors and, and just see what's out there it's a lot of fun to have the plants around i always love growing but it's funny when you do it you know at a large scale at work and you can kind of justify well i don't really need to have plants at home and if i was traveling a lot like i normally was for the last five years before this pandemic i couldn't have you know asked people to look after my plants and to pull them in and outside you know, physical labor every day. No, 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 I couldn't do it. But it's only because we've been stuck at home and travel's been a, you know, all of my projects are international. I'm not doing anything in Canada at the moment. So when I'm here, it's like I'm at the cottage, you know, there's, I don't have any business I've got to take care of that's directly here, but I get to do, you know, the strategy and design and set up of a whole lot of new places, which is easy remote work. So it's been really ideal that way that I haven't been held back because I've actually got more new things started than I would have if I'd felt obligated to go spend two weeks with everybody. We could just have a few Zoom calls, sort out responsibilities and start doing our tasks. We can put together applications for, you know, new plans. And I try to set up places that are complementary and don't uh, compete directly necessarily because there's so many different ways to play that I don't have, the, you know, any reason to replicate the exact thing at any one place, you know. So I like to see them all doing something different and, uh, and complementary that way, I think, you know. And then there's doesn't is that like true? Steve, like the the how do I say this? Uh, I have felt this many times on, on a bunch of different levels, and I hear this from my friends that cannabis feels like there's no room. Uh, people don't give you room. That there's um, 
don't know, how can I explain this simply? People are always, they have sharp elbows, but for some reason that doesn't really seem to make any sense because it seems like there's more than enough room for everybody. It's like they're basically, they've got sharp elbows in this one little room on the cruise ship. The entire cruise ship is available and they're just basically stuck in that room. Is there any truth to that or is that just a different perception? No, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it that way and I'm not, it's, the competition outside of Oregon maybe hasn't got to the same level as it is in Oregon because I know you've got the, you know, some of the best prices in the states because there's a, they were less restrictive about the supply, which is awesome. You know, it should be to the consumer's benefit. The competition's good for the consumer, and uh, there's, you know, Oregon's got a great reputation for deservedly so, and. I think it's a model for a lot of other places that could, you know, be lucky to get to that one day. The, uh, the competition, to me, it's always just like friends fishing. Like you want to see your buddy catch a good one, but you want to catch a good one too, and you're going for it, right? So I don't really care if everybody catches a good one, great, you know? I think that's a different perspective. Uh, yeah, that's a perspective of abundance, you know what I mean? As opposed to a perspective of scarcity. Yeah. yeah. Nobody needs to do all of it for everybody, you know? And there's so many niches that it's, you know, makes your head spin for all the things you could try and do with it, that even that nobody else are doing at this point. So there's if you use your imagination to be but even competing on a one design race where everybody has the same, you know, GG4 clone, but every shop selling it, their growers GG4. Well, the one design race is cool because, you know, everybody got the clone from the same nursery. Now it's down to who's the best at growing it, you know, because you've ruled out the variability of the cultivar. So, but when you have an operation with proprietary genetics, and yeah. you have genetics that you haven't shared with anybody else. Right. The only way to see that bud is in your jar, you know? So then people, you know, come to associate it with the brand, right? Because you have to differentiate yourself in an enduring fashion. And I think the success, you know, for the, the competition is the value is going to be a huge part of it because whoever brings it, a good product that is really serious value, they're going to have the lion's share of the market, right? If, if they, they can replicate it. Special consistency. The consistency is the yeah. holy grail of any manufacturer. Yes. Right? So if you make, uh, you know, Marlboro type of consistency of a really nice pre-rolled, maybe in six different flavors, and, and they're, you know, half the price of anything else, then that is going to get you know, a lot of attention. And if people fall in love with it and say, hey, I like this better than anything else, and it's half the price, well, there you've brought the value game, right? But at the other end, there's always going to be, you know, a demand for a boutique product that's, you know, let's say snob grade, and that people want to, you know, have that flashy bed it's always going to be something for them too but it's kind of like you know Dom Perignon versus Budweiser I think Budweiser is still going to be a bigger business at the end of the day but you know there's still going to be a good business in Dom Perignon right so that's 
it's it's fun to see what you can do and where you can fit in. And obviously, economy of scale has a lot of uh, capital expense to get into that, right? So the boutique is where you know it's an easier. It should be easy for anybody to transition into it that wants to. There shouldn't be a complicated, expensive process. It should be pretty much automatic, like you're just signing up to do it, and then you agree that you're selling something clean that can be tested and, you know, some basic parameters. But you, if, you, if you have to have anything, because really, <laughs> it's just urban, you'd be at the farmer's market beside the echinacea. It's just overkill all this shit. But the, but the fact is, wherever there's the most permissiveness is where there's like a quantum leap in cannabis evolution, whether it's of genetics or whether it's of extraction, you know, that every time it opens up more, the innovation moves to those areas, you know. So yeah. the more permissive the, the regime, the more successful it ends up being, right? So it's a lesson, and hopefully some of those fed boys that are watching this can take that to heart. <laughs> yeah. you, should, you should be so lucky with it, but yeah, that that's well said. It's a huge industry. There's seven plus billion people in the world, and there's probably three billion of them that actually will smoke cannabis or use it in one form or another. So whether you're the Dom Perignon or the Coors Light or the Budweiser, you're going to be okay. If so you're consistent yeah, yeah. Find your and make niche, good product. Find your niche. That, that's it. Yeah. And have your own stuff. You know, if you have a flavor, you know, that nobody has, and it's your you know, characteristic taste and style of growing and curing and people fall in love with it. That's beautiful. You know, that's mm -hmm. a, it's craftsmanship. That's for sure. When you mentioned the boutique version of it, I was just nodding my head because there's plenty of schlock out there and there's plenty of people on new markets that don't know what good quality is. So they're just going to, they want to smoke has more THC. And we try that when they start understanding and their taste buds kind of wake up, just like you start drinking beer. After a while, you want to try something different. You'll find something you really like, and it may be like this way or that way. Or but when you yeah. find what you like, or a special occasion, yeah, yeah, you know. And then there's like the, the the coffee of the month club or the wine of the month club. There's like time of year where you get a special strain release. Some of these well branded growers I'm seeing they're doing that. Like they make something really cool, but they don't put it out 24 seven. They 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 launch it like on this date we're going to be selling this new product in a small run, and like there's a dispensary even during the pandemic with lines of people to get that release granted it's more marketing than quality but some of these guys are putting on stuff which is really good you know yeah, yeah um, it's like you said the, the research or the the effort applied to it in more open markets where there's more permissible like you said for people less afraid there's some really cool stuff happening the past couple of years has been awesome to see what the change is going on it's, in your world of breeding alone, I'm seeing strains and oh, things coming, scratching my head, going, "How the hell?" It's blowing me away. But what you know, we dreamed of 20 years ago that is happening today. Mm -hmm. It is really vindicating. <laughs> I mean, but I remember like the first time you'd be reading about sequencing, or I would be maybe in year 2000 or something, and going, mm -hmm. "Man, I would sure love to do this with cannabis," but there's you know no chance of that for 20 years, right? Until right. then, it's like a home computer or something, right? So you're like, 
you're not getting that first big mainframe that takes up a warehouse, right? You're waiting until the home version. And it's like, you knew it was coming because it was that sort of technology, like, like computers. And sure enough, now it's accessible. And anybody breeding cannabis today can get all kinds of knowledge from, you know, marker-assisted selective procedures. You can, to, you can talk to any of the guys here. You can go to forums. You can look YouTube it. You know, it... Yeah, I, yeah. It's, well, and now it's yeah. now it's accessible to everybody for a hundred bucks a test. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, it, when I when I first tried, I didn't know there was a difference between a male and a female plant in the seventies. I had no clue. <laughs> you know, we just we just grew what you could get your hands on, period. <laughs> and over time, yeah, you know, it, it developed to where we are today, where it's it's fine art. There are people doing amazing things. There are people put on schlock. Just like anything else, there's some great marketing for bad product and there's some lacking marketing for incredible product. But the guys who find their niche, that what they're really passionate about and put something out, that's what I love is seeing. That, is that survivorship yeah. bias? Because, uh, uh, man, it's no accident. It's no, it's no secret that a lot of the stuff that we love was semi-accidental pollinations or even kind of at best like willful accidental pollinations. They are, right, we'll leave that plant in there or whatever. But they've become legendary. However, though, is that like selection bias? Like it, it couldn't possibly be that all of those accidental pollinations were amazing, right? Like there probably oh, no. had to be some that were good and we just don't remember them or something, right? Well, plenty that came along, they just kind of went, oh, that was a moment, it's over. Yeah. yeah. I wonder about that sometimes because I don't know, like a, a NL or something, or I don't know. Um... There are a bunch of other ones that seeded the crop. <laughs> <laughs> sure, right? You know, that's the, that's what shaped the evolution. Of some of these growers, they maybe grew once or grew for a few years, and some of them grew for their lives and did a serious job of collecting seed over the years. But some people just had some accidental seeds, and people grew out of bag seeds. And there's just a million stories behind that we'll never know. But everybody that ever grew pot that had seeds in it is sort of a link in the chain somewhere, perhaps. And it's kind of like that million monkeys with typewriters writing all the right. Shakespeare, you know? It's like, you get enough people throwing, something's going to stick at the wall, right? Yeah, so that's <laughs> a, a funnier version of putting it that, yeah, the if you give a million monkeys a typewriter an infinite time, they'll eventually type Shakespeare. Uh, apparently, that's not actually true, but I still roll with it because I think it's freaking hilarious to just imagine a bunch of monkeys. You know, where are these you people? haven't tried it yet. You, know, you don't all know. Of us right? It's true. It's true. Over, you know, millennia, many millennia. Perhaps this is a different way of looking at it, but I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking of something that uh, I've heard before. I, I, th I think people talk about this all the time. I don't remember who said this. Uh, your biggest supporter is a stranger and your biggest rival is some, someone close or someone you know. There's different versions of that story, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself how uh, I've gotten some of my favorite. So I've just now started this this little genetic company, right? So I've kind of like hit my little stake in the ground or whatever, right? And it's just started and like, oh, please, you know, my little shingle or whatever, right? Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, I could not have possibly started that if I hadn't, you know, gotten a huge help or a link in the chain or whatever from a couple people. You know, on one side was Subcool. He sent me a bunch of tester stuff and got me really into photography and everything else. And on the other side was my friend Stevie, who is 
still to this day, basically, I think you would call kind of an amateur breeder. And he bred uh, this strain Ruby Jack. He just gave it to me as a gift one time. Well, Ruby Jack, it turns out, has, I think, quite a bit of shishkaberry in it. Uh, I think also, honestly, sweet pink grapefruit. So quite a bit of like, uh, it's got NL and, you know, I don't know, basket, laundry basket of stuff. It's uh, the father on that line was... Uh, 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 they called it a mystery son of Jack. It was a Jack Herrera cross with a really heavy indica, so son of Jack, basically. Uh, and then that that line created so much color and all of his structure and all this different stuff. And then the ruby slipper. Uh, and again, I think this is, I guess, what I was going to say, like honesty and labeling. My friend Stevie says, well, the, the ruby Jack was... Uh, he called it the ruby slipper. The ruby slipper was about 12 or 15 years old. And he thought it was uh, a, a mix of uh, NL, Shiskaberry, and Matanuska Thunderfuck. That's what he's always been telling me. And I, for the longest time, having grown it for a couple, three years, I've been like the only tester for that strain because he just gave me like a bag of seeds. Like, hey, go, you know, have fun. And so I just grew it, grew it, grew it. And I loved it. I've thought for the longest time and talking to people, it has obvious, obvious sweet pink grapefruit. And it feels like red ruby slipper that has this really high CBD effect and everything. So I was just talking about like this honesty and labeling. I guess that's where I was getting to like, uh, I think it's you good can tell the truth the and not tell the truth you know, at the same time. Sure. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I always like, you know, be original. I think if you're my best advice for, you know, keeping your shit real in the seed business is release your seeds with original names. Never make seeds that somebody else has sold seeds. You got to give yours a new name because your seed is different than whoever's you got it from, you know? So it's really important. But on the other hand, it's a nice, you know, I think it's a nice thing to put credit to, you know, the best of your knowledge to the truth of what you're using, you know, what is this, right? So, you know, keep your story real. That's the easiest to remember. You know, there's no need to make up, you know, the origin stories and not just be real about it. And you don't want me finding it in a dumpster? <laughs> Stevie found a blueberry sativa in a dumpster. It was fire. Maybe I can go get a strawberry field or something. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Uh, my buddy Stevie, he found this beautiful uh, blueberry sativa in Seattle, like again, maybe 15 years ago, and somebody probably had to throw it away from their indoor garden or something. And he was like, oh, it's a plant. And he picked it up, and it was a beautiful, beautiful sativa blueberry. No, like a blueberry plant, but very much on the sativa joking. line. Right? From yeah. the blue satellite line. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. That's and crazy. It's, it's, been, he's, it's lovely, too. It's absolutely lovely. He likes to smoke this absolutely just aged herb. He's just, he's a funny, he's a funny stoner. He's an old head. He's not an old guy. He's just, he's been a smoker for a long time. And uh, he just, he just prefers two-year-old weed. And so whenever he, I have this tasting society, whenever he'd bring weed to the tasting society, it would always be the oldest weed that he had. And the blueberry sativa is one that he'd bring. It'd be two years old and still bright and shiny and wonderful. Oh my God, what a nice place plant. I was going to ask you, speaking of flavors, um, you said kind of, you know, be, be true to your name, be true to your story, be true to everything else. And I think that your flavors are uniquely true to themselves. Like we, we on this show, other cannabis show, everybody's always talking about skunk this, skunk that. And I kind of make fun of people. I'm like, oh, what new dead animal do you want? Well, I would say, oh, it was skunk buttholes and whatever else. That people are always talking about putrid essences and putrid aromas and dead things. And then on the other hand, Here's Spice of Life, which I think was a wonderful name, honestly, for a seed company. But then also like sweet pink grapefruit. 
and how do I put this? What are some of the other friends? Well, whatever. Uh, spicy. Uh, actually, your uh, I didn't even write it down here. The description for your your uh, 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 seed company, but basically it had to do with uh, spice notes and leather and everything else, and it, it seems so completely different from what you normally hear. I didn't hear one mention of gas or terpenes or I had to say a, a terpinoline. I didn't hear anything about a dead animal. How how can you? I don't know. What's your perspective I've, of flavor? I've been I very, I'm into sensory evaluation, you know, and whether that's cupping coffee or, you know, blind tasting hundreds of wines at a time and things like that. I, I really, I've formally studied sensory evaluation and I've always been drawn to that. And I have a decent sense of smell and a decent palate. And that's uh, almost a curse because I always say if I was happy drinking box wine and smoking brickweed, my life would have been fucking easy, you know. <laughs> but I've been compelled to pursue high grade and and it's, you know, inconsistent to buy and extremely expensive if you can find it. And it was always more sporting to produce the high grade and uh, do it yourself and and uh, you have more of a connection to it than you can ever have with the product you buy. You know, something you make out of passion, you know, in the, it's worth more than money to you, right? So you've got to really love what you're doing and uh, really focus on that. It's, it will take care of you. <laughs> you can do what you love. You know, but having good taste buds and a good palate doesn't hurt. That's true. No, that's true. But, you know, everybody loves doing different things too, you know, so I yep, don't yep. care if it's, you know, playing guitar or whatever, just pursue it and go for it. And, uh, you know, it was a long shot getting into hobby cannabis breeding a long time ago. It was really a labor of love. You know, you, it was unreasonable risk for a few plants, you know? Yeah. And you had to really want it, <laughs> you know. But if you're like, I don't want to deal with these morons and pay them two hundred bucks a ounce. Fuck this! I'm gonna go get some plants out there and grow a half pound for twenty bucks. You know, that's way that's more my speed. You know, so the uh, <laughs> and it's fun, you know. But the the economics of growing her I mean you don't have to think about you know, how expensive it is. And it, it's really refreshing times in my life where I wasn't involved commercially for long periods of time, but I was really doing it just for love on a small scale for myself, right? And I, I'm totally happy to operate in the commercial world. I'm totally happy to just operate in the homegrown world, you know? Fortunately, I can do both, you know, but the... Uh, I couldn't, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, I'm so happy to be running these satellite breeding stations that I've got sprouting up around the world now and trying them in so many locations and being able to plant wide open in fields and, you know, do a good study of all the different seeds and take them around the different locations and just, you know, all the data you can get from eat this plant you know we're going to learn at least i'm going to learn a lot about it and i'll share what i learned with you guys if you want to see but i'm really you know trying to put together this uh um, implement a software i'm looking at to go with syncing all the the ph reader the weather station the thermometers you know 
where you can really monitor everything and you can all the plants will have a the QR tag where you can scan it with the iPad and take a picture of the plant and it knows what you don't have to enter the date, it knows what day it is. Makes wow. it real fast and easy to go around and do analysis so you can have, you know, five inspectors walk in the rows of these big fields and making notes and measurements of all the plants every day. I have agronomists doing measurements and we track all kinds of metrics, you know, and it's really been a dream come true to literally lay out the dream and uh, build it around that, you know, to say this is really what we want to do is have this breeding program and here's the goals, you know, we want to develop these here and in other places, we're going, okay, here we want to develop these over here. You know, there's no overlap sometimes. You know, it's amazing that there's so much diversity that you can keep them pretty separate, you know. And uh, you log like different soil content as well to know how to see the differences, how the plants grow here, there and everywhere. Well, we're doing, yeah, we're going to, we're going to overlay all that data, you know, so this, everything then is really getting intense because it's kind of like how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Right. But I seem to have enough encouragement and backing to pursue as much science about it as we can, you know? So as a process of the development, you know, and, you know, we've got some, you know, short, medium and long-term goals in the different businesses, that's for sure. But with Columbia just turning the page on allowing flower exports, that opens up um, some other interesting opportunities. And, well, your production uh, costs are so low there that you, uh, you could really do, I mean, expand your market substantially just from that alone. Well, this is it. You know, it's going to be very, very cost effective, but not only that, and that I even consider secondary. The primary thing is it is the best. You can grow the best flower. <laughs> and that's wow. great whether you're doing extracts or selling flower before we could only extract. And that's mm -hmm. fine. And for extracts, I want a developed seed that's very acclimatized in the, for the different seasons. You might have a long season, one that's always in veg through the rainy season, and then starts to finish up as the dry comes in the fall, right? Mm -hmm. so the, and then the dry season there, you can finish anything. You know, 100% of things we try finish in the dry season, and they finish 25% faster than you expect them to. So it's wow. mind-blowing for flower there. Like, really, honest to God, probably the best flower I've had in my life is some of the buds from down there that, well, I, and that we've grown with modern seeds, you know? But stunning, stunning stuff. And wholesale is a 10 cents a gram. This is what it's been going for the THC, but, you know, $100 um, a kilo. I vote we have a class trip. We need a class yeah, trip to his farm, man. Let's go. start having kids, you know, I'm picturing, like, the nitro tins, but maybe rectangular and a, and a little bigger, like a bigger sardine tin, and then have like two five gram buds in each one, and just have these ten gram little rectangle nitro tins. And uh, I've looked at some GMP outdoor facilities that have successfully done even EU GMP. It's I would say it's you know. Almost outdoor. It's the closest possible thing. You 
because you can't have a bird shit in your field. That's basically the bottom line, right? So the ground has to be covered so there's no dirt splashing up. So you can even just have a really thick mulch on the ground, but it has to be uh, very sterile around there. It has to be potable water around the plants. You know, there's all these requirements to get the um, the GAP or BPA, we say in Spanish, the Buena Practica Agricola. But that uh, once the, the white net is really what separates it. So they've got it really high up and spread over like 10 acre patches that are, is a white net. But I haven't started using that, but I've seen that in uh, a South African and New Zealand one. And they were able to move the flowers, to the best of my knowledge, to uh, EU. But I, I don't yeah. know all the details, but I saw yeah. something about it, I think, on LinkedIn or somewhere. I can't remember. So I didn't, it's not like I went out and verified it, but I, it looked believable to me. I was like, holy shit, that does. But the our parts, you know, Colombia is extremely diverse climatically. There's 11 agronomic zones in the country, and they've got everything in the country from mountaintop glaciers to oceanfront desert and the Amazon and everything in between, right? So it's a ridiculous diversity there. So testing the plants in the different climates is really awesome. And the, um, the dry climate near Santa Marta is really fantastic. And that is where the legendary Santa Marta gold is from, of course. And is virtually wiped out, and there's you know stragglers of it here and there, kind of they're kind of bastardized, and now we're trying to sort of sort out the best version of it because I haven't seen one that reminds me of the old one that I had long ago, but I've I've seen uh, I've seen it like okay that's three quarters the right plant, but you know it's not stable and it's not the right plant. So but as you start working them together. And the best you find from a few different lines and plant enough that you can find the recessives. And now you're going to, we're going to find it. You know, we're going to backbreed and get a respectable Santa Marta gold. I do believe it's still on the table. And that area, you know, there's some microclimates within that area that are still, you know, sizable places in their own right. And I've got those places all sussed out you know, where the most legendary product historically came from in like the 60s and 70s and wow. you know, got shut down in the 80s and wiped out with Paraquat and everything, you know. Yeah. There's real history there. It's amazing, uh, you know, the legends are real, you know. It's pretty crazy place. And I really like, you know, the beaches around there and uh, the fishing, you know. There's lots of fun to be had around there. So whereas where my farm is now is in really a bullseye center of Colombia, but it's chosen by virtue of the fact that it's in the plains, which is the largest agronomic zone with the largest scale farms. It's like Iowa, right? Yeah. So it's really flat and really big ranches, you know, maybe 3,000 acres each, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're going to acclimatize a seed to grow in, with seed drills in the field and plant it and harvest it like hemp, but it can be real medicine, you know, real plants, not just hemp, you know, but if we can grow any type of cannabis at scale, I'm happy because there are all kinds of things to do with it. So I'm doing some hemp projects in other places, but we do some there, but we're getting away from that and really getting back to being sort of a, you know, 
not a hemp focused seed production, but we're producing new seed for let's say straight medical market where it's either really high THC and or different blends of other cannabinoids, different chemotypes, right? So you have we have a good selection of chemovars there now, and we're just working on stabilizing the seed in each, of each one. And then by 2022, um, we will be providing them to companies with licenses. So we're basically doing wholesale of seed to licensed importers. So it doesn't matter if they're in Australia or Canada or the EU, we will have certified seed and uh, quite a few that are tasty as well, you know? So <laughs> the, it's unmistakably fun to be a lot. Right now we only had the asexual reproduction license. So we've been licensing specific cultivars to producers in other countries, predominantly Spain, but also Canada. And those are on royalty models. So it's, a, it's breeding, but without a seed company. So I've been doing that for a while. And then now we're just getting everything in line to do the seeds, you know? So then that yeah, should be really fun. I'm excited to get them out because I'm not talking about making a few of them here. I mean, we're going to make a lot of seeds <laughs> because I really think all the high grade feed and we've been testing out like all the new popular stuff down there. So it's not like we're just crossing skunk and mango beach or something, you know, we've got the, the whole lineup. So we're checking everything from everywhere. The uh, beauty of that is you definitely know which ones have punch and some of them have shown total mite resistance. I've got two lines that have shown total mite resistance that, They'll eat everything around those types, but not those ones. And it's just a weird uh, terp combo. But the, there... I forget the names of those two terps. Somebody was telling me last time I did. And you, I got a question for you that you're probably one of the only people I know. So there's a handful of strains, Oreo, and then I smoked a strain the other day for the first, the, only the second time that had this terp profile, but it has a terp profile that smells like DMT or like that burnt plasticky kind of chemically smell and the high I get off of that is just really amazing um and I, I do you know what what it is that that smell is or what terp that is no uh, it sounds almost like a mer captain or something but I don't know what it is you know I can't say the mer captains often have that burnt rubbery smell but like, I know what DMT tastes like. I haven't had it in a long time. I've said it at the thought, but the, uh, it, it, I can remember, but I can't tell you what the flavor is. It has <laughs> this, like, almost like electrical fire taste to it. Like, I know okay. that sounds bad, but it, it had, it's pleasant when you do it. But the Oreos cut that I, it's out in California. Um, uh, my buddy, actually, Mr. Green Jeans Garden, uh, he was hoping to make it tonight pretty sick. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to make it with a flu bug uh, or stomach bug. But um, uh, it was actually a cutoff of one of his Oreos uh, that I had. And it, the rosin and the plant both smelled like DMT. And you smoke it, it tastes like chocolate. It was the strangest terp profile Ooh. of anything I've ever had the pleasure well, of growing. We don't smoking. have that one because I've never had that before. That sounds unusual. So your homework assignment, Steve, is to get that one. 
Okay, yeah, Steve, no, I, I, I can get, I can get you. you. Tell me? Yeah, I thought we had everything. Yeah. I will, I will make sure that you get some of those genetics. How about that? Oh, we love that. I can do. With the, with the two uh, mite resistant lines that you found, is there anything in common that would lead you towards a trait that's making them mite resistant? Well, somebody had suggested to me that they had two specific terpenes that had been identified that do show up in cannabis that are repellent to mites. And they're going kind to, of, because they're, whoever studied this had realized they could make a mite spray out of those terpenes, right? And you can buy those terpenes wholesale and, uh, and make a mite spray, sort of what the thought was, I think. But from my point of view, I'm not really as into selling pesticides as pest-resistant seed. There's cuttings, right? I think that's really a good find when you're licensing a cutting to somebody is say, you know, you won't have a bad problem with mites with this and that meat, you know, because that's a, a big one. And especially two of those were over 31% THC as well. So I wow. know that if somebody uses those cuts, they're not disappointed, you know, and the progeny of those is coming out in, in due course. I'm pretty excited about that because that's, I think they're, um, I think they're going to make a lot of people's lives easier to get more potent herbs, especially some of these big growers that are, they've got massive greenhouse operations in Europe and they're supplying the German market and that, but the highest potency they have is like 22% or something. And I know potency isn't the be all and end all, but a hell of a lot of us do like to see a 31 or 32 or something and know that you're getting one with some punch, especially if you're paying through the in-yang for it. Right? Right, so right. the people are, they're I've had absolutely as good experiences off a 19% as a 31. It's not that I'm oblivious to this. I get flavor and, and how much more important that is to the experience really than, than the THC, which is more of the volume on the experience, you know? So the, uh, but I understand I do like a little blunt force. If I don't feel anything, I'm not super impressed. But I know if it's just 31%, but no terps, it's still going to be boring, you know? So it doesn't say everything that it's potent. It's still got to have some, but I can verify that these are punchy clones. <laughs> if I smoke it and it's giving me the word, you know, it's good. I really, I'm a bit of a, a case, you know? So if it really rings the bell for me, then I feel happy to pass it on. If it really tastes good and kind of rings the bell, I can live with it, you know, but it's still got to have something. If I feel nothing from it, and I found that like with a lot of solid purples too, I found, I always found them like, I just feel like I need a real joint now. Like I, it was fun to taste and it tastes purple and but there's just nothing there, you know? And I know there's always some exceptions. There's a few, you know, if they've got purple tints in them, they can still be punchy, but they, but they definitely, I don't really ever recall trying a solid purple that had any effect, you know, to me, they're That's all weird. just. It's your body okay. chemistry. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. As I know that, I know you said you love them and I know lots of people that do. And I think 
it's weird to me they don't react they're just like i might as well have smoked a hemp joint you know mm. but it's, I, i'd be happy to be proven wrong anytime though somebody wants to show me some purple that'll blow my hair back i'm all for it don't get me wrong but well, i'm not I, i never really pursued those lines because i never had a purple that really blew me away you know i was always like well it looks pretty and it smelled like fruit loops but it didn't do anything when I smoked it. So I won't, I will try not to, you know, have much to do with it. But of course, you know, when I was looking at it most of my life, I was not analyzing them for CBG content or anything. <laughs> there may have been something good about them that I wasn't recognizing. That's entirely possible. It's really done. A body chemistry makes a huge difference in the effect sure. you're going to get from that given thing. That's for and, sure. Uh, I mean, like some sativas that you've talked about, did you really like? I get paranoid as fuck with them, so I'm just not going to do it, you know? Um, and I have friends that will smoke, you know, super lemon haze all day and still function. And I have other friends that will smoke that same super lemon haze and be a useless MFR and be babbling and drooling on themselves in a corner. So, you know, everybody, everybody yeah. is different. You know, I, I have, I, love I, the I like purples, but I like purples not for the typical head rush high thing, but it's because it's a painkiller for me. Because I've broken so many things. I've so much, you know, I got plate and screws in my neck and rebuilt this, rebuilt, broken that. It just turns your arthritis and the broken pain of pain, pain off. Just shuts it off. I still function, but yeah, I don't man, feel Whatever works for you. Yeah, yeah. whatever works so, for you, you know, That's I, the I, key. You know, everybody is different. And, you know, yeah. we've all got different needs and different mm -hmm. tastes, you know. And, and that's generally part of it. you need influences your taste, I think, you know. But as you said, your passion your is the, the, what brings your what brings your bell. What works for you is something that's more interesting. It's the same for anyone else that's doing this. They're going to find what works for them and they're going to pursue it because that that yeah, gets yeah, them yeah. going. Yeah, your palate is the most important palate in the world. You never forget that. That's you. You know it. There's only what nobody can tell you what you like to taste of better than anybody else. It's only up mm -hmm. to you, right? You do it the way you like it. Do the flavors you like it. Cure it as long as you like it. If you like two-year-old weed, shit, I've got some like four or five-year-old weed still in jars that are still sticky and moist. And I offered some to a guy that was a four-year-old recently, and and he wanted me to try out this new vape hardware he brought over. And uh, I said, here, you know, he'd never smoked weed with me. The first time we ever met, and he came over to my place from Toronto. And I pull out a jar, we pull out the weed, and it's brown. You can see it's still very resinous, and it's sticky when you break it up. But I said, taste that now. You know, the white, it's kind of like a purpley brown almost. Mm -hmm. My God, and the stalk is bleached out inside. But I would put like a few years worth beside each other, and you see some vintage variation, of course. But the time in jar make it just so chocolatey you know and then people it still had a kick like i wanted to see because i know i'm biased about it but i wanted to see what this guy the pot's now be like what do you think and he's like i've never had four-year-old pot and i'm absolutely amazed that it still you know had some taste and punch to it and then of course i gave him something fresher to try but <laughs> i just wanted to see the look in his face because it wasn't stale and nasty you know if you let it get too dry or something sure or it's too wet when you put it away but if you put it away just right you can keep it for a long long time and it's really incredible but it, it definitely changes and the, 
I think eventually there'll be a market for that. It's kind of like most people prefer a fresh white wine compared to an aged nutty one, right? The people mm-hmm. that like the aged nutty one might even compete to buy them because they, you know, they're a little more rare than the ones that are served within a year or two of being made, right? So the, they don't have the bright fruit flavors. And if, if, if you only appreciate bright fruit flavors, the old nutty one's not for you. But if you if you're also interested in sort of these weird marzipan aromas and all these aromas that develop in the bottle over time or in the jar over time, you know, it's a parallel universe. And there's a... It's a good analogy. There's, there's really interesting things happening because they're in flux, whether you're age, you know, making a wine that's built to age. Some of them are built to age and some of them won't. They'll just fall apart, right? And it's the same with weed. You can have old stale weed or you can have old cured weed, you know? But it, if you don't season it properly, it's not good, you know, it's going off, right? It's got to be built to last if you want that. Most people don't care. They want something. They want. They won't buy it if it's more than ninety days old, because yeah. all they've ever had was stale old weed. You know, right? So it, once once the market matures, because right now people talk about oh California's a mature market. I'm like fucking legalized refuse three years ago. There is no mature market in the world. You know, like they might be more mature than most <laughs> that's for sure you know but it's not if it was colorado had some lead time things were happening there you know oregon <laughs> get it going on they've got it going on everywhere you know it's like water flowing to the ocean you just figure everywhere's gonna do it eventually it's just it's gotta end up there but to me you know it it boils down to me. It's driven me so nuts for so long, the injustice of prohibition and how ubiquitous it's been. Like you have an outlier like North Korea where it's legal, but that doesn't mean anything in the rest of the world, right? You had the whole world where it was illegal. And if that doesn't tell you that governments are fundamentally not in our best interest, the, the universality of the prohibition, you know? It wasn't yeah. a one-off freaky thing that one state or another did. They all did. They yeah. fucked us. Our, you know, tribe has been fucked over for the better part of a century about this, you know? And it's, it's brutal when you think about it. And it is still happening to so many people are still suffering because of this prohibition. It just makes me furious, and it, it literally just makes me believe that the the states are every nation state is, you know, illegitimate. They they have they don't have a leg to stand on for morality. Any nation state, I hate the flaggetry of them all. It's really driven me nuts for a while now. But I just think if if governments were in the interests of people, this would be a one off this prohibition but it's because it's all of them they're all guilty you know they're all it's not the people controlling them they're they're brutal they and it's just a whole lot of divide and conquer the faster we stop giving them the respect they expect i think we're all better off (laughs) sorry to say it but the world is just being grinded by this political class. You know, it doesn't matter 
like they say, if it's a left boot or right boot on your throat, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 the it's, a, social, it's a social control mechanism. It's what politics is. It doesn't the matter. Artificial right. person should not exist. You know, because corporations get away with everything because they're artificial people. You know, there's nobody responsible. And a nation state is a corporation. It is an artificial person. It is a legal fiction. And it's all designed to fuck our minds, you know? And uh, I I play along as much as I have to, but I'm only under duress, really, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and for a long time, I didn't, you know, where I didn't, you know, partake of the system for a really long time. And then I uh, totally got a leg in and, you know, I've minded my P's and Q's a long time now. And uh, I don't have anything to worry about, you know, because I am playing within bounds, but I'm just playing in a lot more games than before, you know. It's like, you know, it may not be perfect in Thailand, but let's see what we can do. It may not be perfect in Australia, but we're still doing something there. You know, in Argentina, I got the today to go ahead to do one in Argentina. So that's uh, going to be another interesting place. Even that's a very diverse, you know, selection of climates. I haven't even begun to look at the zones yet. But the, uh, that is probably what I'll do first thing tomorrow or late tonight is I'll start studying agricultural zones there and get my head around where I want the land. And, uh, and that's 100% financed by locals and with you know, lots of connections and that. So it's really a no-brainer. That's an easy one. So there's nothing, it's not like I have to build a deck and do it, you know, find people to back it. You know, been there, done that, but it's never been my, finance is never my role in the company, you know. But, uh, you know, there's an old saying that if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. Right, so it behooves all of us to learn a little bit about, you know, the administration of the companies because we're all growers. You know, if, if you're still watching by now, you're a grower or a narc, one or the other. But the the uh, the fact is, the business people don't all speak cannabis, and and we don't all speak finance, and we don't necessarily want to be sitting in all these meetings. You know. And you can't be everywhere at once. So there has to be people with, you know, specialties and responsibilities. But you pass off a lot of your responsibility. I've made the mistake of passing off a lot of responsibility to people in charge of finance. And then I realized I was getting the wool pulled over my eyes. And I needed to take the bull by the horns and get it sorted out and not have, you know, multiple sets of books and all this bullshit, right? So once once you're operating it transparently, it's a, it's working a lot better. But the, uh, you, you know, you when you're doing the legal things, you're doing them with partners because nobody can do these big legal operations as a one-man show. You know, there's even, you know, you... It's different in the states, maybe, but where I'm, you know, if you're setting up a micro in Canada, you could probably do that with, you know, two people or something or one person show. But for a real LP, if you're growing at scale and uh, wanting to plant fields like they do, 
you have to have, you know, a chief legal officer with six outsourced players that one handles licensing and one handles, you know, deals with contracts. And, you know, there's all kinds of people involved. There's a huge team in an office that makes everything happen before you can put a plant in the field, you know? So, you know, there's so much overhead, as you guys know, to get these things started. And it, it's always attractive if um, you can have a partner that's got the finance and admin taken care of, and we just get to worry about the operational stuff we like. But I have found that if I don't, you know, stay on the board of directors and, you know, audit what's happening, shit, bad shit happens, right? So you have to really bone up and learn about some of this stuff. Like I wasn't well versed in this before, but I'm not now either. But I know a lot more about it than I did just a couple of years ago. So, and I've owned my own businesses for years and years and years. So, you know, many decades. I've always owned my own businesses, basically. So the, but what I'm doing now and learning in the corporate end of it has been a total eye-opener for me. And it's not exactly my favorite thing to do. It's, you know, read resolutions and sign them and stuff like that. It's a lot of it's mundane, boring stuff, but it's the only way to know that you are on top of what you're doing, you know? And, and uh, it's no fun to have the uphill battle of, you know, people working against you. You got to have everybody working towards a common goal and not trying to, you know, do something different all the time. And you're like, just fucking do it. <laughs> you'd be making money already, right? So if you deviate from the program, there's no results, you know? So it's important to be a part of that. And it, it's, it's only been possible with the Zoom. Like if you had to go and meet up, you couldn't possibly, you know, be a director at that many companies, plus, you know, do the operational role from the d design and training and, you know, everything to do with the operations or I do, you know, seed, soil, oil, and, uh, and beyond that, even lining up a lot of the sales and stuff too. So, I mean, I run the operation, and but I have a support team that is impossible to do it with that. I haven't been to my farm in Columbia in a year and a half, but I have multiple projects going on in different plots with different people, and I get a constant update feed and and the people in the office. We've got an office in Madrid and a lot of Spanish things that have started up. So we've got uh, an enormous amount going on there, but they're up you know long before me. But I get up like six every morning. I'm on the phone with Spain, you know, then I'm on the phone with uh, Colombia, which is a few hours ahead, depending what time of year, they're either two or three ahead. But, um, and Spain is nine hours ahead. And the same with the guys in Australia or Thailand that I talk to, it's usually early morning or late night. And I don't do the nights too much. I try and just do everything in the morning and shut down by noon, you know? And if I want to carry on and, you know, catch up on Instagram or whatever. I might be working at any given time, but it's not uh, like most of you know, emails and phone calls. I just schedule them between 6 a.m. and noon. And then I try and keep the afternoon open. And half the time I'll still end up on business calls in the afternoon too. 
it's not like I'm going anywhere, you know, I'm just home pushing plants around the pool or swimming, smoking joints in the backyard. So it's been a pretty casual summer, but it's a, you know, shocking amount getting done and when they can get out and travel again, I'm going to start going this fall and other high water. And I'm just so stoked. I got so many places to go where like in Thailand, we've got four greenhouses up in the indoor room for the clones and the first seed just getting planted right now. I've still never set foot in Thailand. You know, wow. <laughs> we have the selection crop come down recently in Jamaica. I've still never been to Jamaica. You know, it's but I'm getting the project started. I know I don't know if I die tomorrow that I've set a whole bunch of these things in motion that become real you know, institutes in their own right for, you know, the seed lines they're working on and developing and, and give them like a long-term roadmap to to work from and they'll surely improve upon it. And uh, the longer I'm able to contribute to it and I keep learning from outside consultants that I'm using to help me with molecular genetics and that, you know, do all the sequencing work and interpretation for me, it just makes life golden but the key is if i can train a colombian guy that's a student you know with his masters that's doing tissue culture and studied breeding if i can get that guy trained by my experts that i've contracted in a third party then i that guy will be able to train more colombians and i want to see colombians running and you know the thai guys work in the thailand it's not about bringing in a team every time but Right. Sometimes you got to bring in one person or something to you know, make sure everything's up to our standards. But once you get the right people and they've been doing it for a few years, like I don't have to teach them everything all the time. Like they've been doing it a few years. They we've got you know well established SOPs. And if you're trying something new, there can be some curveballs. But if you're doing established things, then we've got a protocol for them. So. And obviously, a lot of that carries over, and it's all in my head. I've written it, of course, you know, per site. But, you know, the first time I wrote SOPs was for the farm in Columbia, the first farm there. And uh, it was the first time, I think, that the outdoor cannabis SOPs were written because there was nobody else was growing outdoor in bulk in Columbia, at least, and at the time, not in Canada. Now, I'm sure there was uh, licensed ones in the States that were outdoor, but at that time in Columbia or Canada, there wasn't anybody else growing licensed outdoor because Canada hadn't allowed it yet. And in Columbia, everybody was setting up in greenhouses or indoor. And I said, the people setting up in greenhouses are going to have crops before us because they're adapting the climate to the genetics they're bringing in. I said, it would take us a couple of years longer, but we'll win in the long run because if we acclimatize the genetics to the biggest agricultural zone where you can mechanize agriculture, and you remember, there's no flowers, only extract allowed at this time, you might as well harvest it like corn and make corn oil out of it, right? So I'm thinking doing the horticultural paradigm on these you know, misty mountains where they've got all these greenhouses growing the herb in the interior. To me, that was, you know, you'll get out some quick crops and you'll have something to sell before me, but I don't care because when mine is ready, <laughs> it's going to come out on a scale where it's, you know, 
so much more plentiful that it can be extremely affordable and you can have full spectrum oil that's you know the price of honey or something right like make really good product and still if you were getting the price of honey for corn oil you'd feel like you were getting away with something right so that's how i like to think of it is i want to just make people you know mind-boggling cheap high-grade extracts of any sort, whether it's solventless or straight blasted, you know, it can be diamond and sauce, it can be rosin, it, we can do lots. When you have lots, basically the hash mill I designed is for processing solventless first, because it'll take off fresh frozen dry sift, and then that can be um, freeze-dried and squished, and then any lower grades, whether it's green or shift, all would go off to be blasted outside of that, unless you're keeping a fraction as hash or hash. So I think that would be, uh, that's kind of my dream design plan that I've made to build in a bunch of these places. And then it's kind of who can get their shift together to put them together first. So in the first place, they got very distracted and went off wanting to do CBD production, which I was, you know, horribly against because I knew that the CBD market would just crash by the time they had something built and it would be so expensive to build a very large, you know, um, straight isolate plant like that with the EU GMP in that. But it's not for adult use. It's more at all pharmaceutical there. So the flavors weren't you know, a consideration to all the people, right? So like the other directors didn't all get that, you know, it's more important to make what we're going to need in the future than what you think we need today. So you think we need kilo of CBD today because it's 15,000 a kilo for CBD. And I'm saying in three years, it's going to be under five. And it was, you know, 1,500 in three years, you know? So now it's like 400 or something, right? So it was, it was obvious that you'd lose that race to the bottom by the time you'd acclimatize the seed. So I was saying, don't, don't do that. Like, you got to step past that because we have psychoactive and non-psychoactive license. And I said, realize that by, you know, within years, this is going to change. And, you know, the clients that are importing it will want to have high-grade extracts. And if you can have high-grade extracts at low-grade prices, you'll be popular, you know? So I think that just looking at anything as straight pharmaceutical production is always kind of sad because, you know, we know that the plant is better as a whole, you know, and it can be the essence of the plant, but it's still better as the full spectrum. Yep. And, and everybody finds the one for them, you know? And I think, uh, you know, I hated to, have them not consider, you know, aroma, flavor, and that sort of thing. And say, no, we only care about, you know, the low THC and high CBD because you don't need a quota to grow it. Whereas with, if it's over 1% THC CBN combined, we require a quota to grow it. And to get a quota, you have to have, you know, verified customer with a license to import that product. And they were really restricting and still really restricting domestic sales. So there's no packaged meds for Colombian patients. Everything has to be blended in the pharmacy per patient. 
So you could supply the pharmacist, you know, with THC oil or CBD oil, and then he would mix it into a tincture for the prescription of the patient or the doctor says, you need 25 milligram tincture or 25 milligram topical or whatever prescription, but nothing prepackaged or branded, you know, like the things all had to be formula magistrale, they call it, where the, the pharmacist has to prepare it and put it in the little brown bottle for you, right? So that's a very, you know, and finding doctors that were prescribing it were extremely rare as well, you know. So they, but again, it's a start. So I think the very first year of the domestic med market was $17,000 in sales. So you think of how far they missed the mark. In like a country of 50 million people, their annual first year of sales was $17,000. Like, that's not even trying, you know what I mean? And it cost the company to put out that product mm -hmm. probably 20 times that probably to get it out, you know? So here's the best before date. You, you've got to show shelf life, you know, stability. So you can say, okay, this product's good for 30 days because you only did a 30-day trial on it. So in 90 days, you might have another trial coming off. You're, okay, now it's 90 days good shelf life. But if it's going into the pharmacy, they have to destroy it after the, uh, you know, best before date, of course. So the, the complications for people to put out a product there domestically are really, uh, they've been a big inhibitor of developing the local scene there. But on the other hand, for decades, they've had the constitutional right to grow 20 plants, you know, and possession is not a crime, but they do charge a stiff fine for smoking in public if they want to. I've never seen that enforced, but it could happen, I guess, you know, but you know, theoretically you could get an you know, expensive fine for smoking in public, but you can possess it and you can grow 20 plants. Well, that's better than most places already, right? And the uh, and twenty plants down there—that's twenty beauties all year round, you know. Because you don't, depending where you are, you, you can really grow all year round. Not the highest latitude places are too cold to grow because they're just snow and rain. But the uh, you know, I see guys growing at thirty-two hundred meters above sea level, and it's like they've got. You know, greenhouses, and it's like sweet outside. And I'm like, you've got a place on the coast in Paradise. <laughs> you just go down there. Like, why are you growing? But he has to have a greenhouse there too because he's there most of the time. And, so, and uh, they're not clear, they're deliberately vague in the constitutional wording of it, whether it's 20 plants per person or per household. So you can interpret that as you want. So a lot of people interpret that as you know, per person, and then, you know, them and their wife will have the 40 plants, you know, in their name, and then uh, I've never heard anybody getting inspected for them, so they really, it's a non-issue in me, but... Um, logistically, how is friends. it, sorry, Steve, logistically, how is it getting stuff into the country, like, for all, for a farm that size, you know what I mean, like, is it, is it harder yeah. than... You know, Santa Claus brings it, just like you know, it's like always. You know, Santa Claus brings it. So you, 
you don't have to worry. There's lots there, and there's also, you know, a not very good postal service. You know, the postal service in Colombia is actually non-existent. They only have couriers. I think they they haven't had a national post office because people were mailing coke, gram, you know, selling a gram at a time in envelopes from <laughs> from Colombia in like the nineties. They had to close the post office. So now, if you mail a letter there, it gets delivered by a courier because they don't have a post office. And if you want to send a letter from there, you have to go to a courier, smile through the camera, and scan your fingerprints. So they're pretty oh, really? serious about who sends it. You can't just lick a stamp and throw it in a box, you know? You it makes can sense, get though. Something there. You can get something there, and usually it'll arrive, you know? And uh, but I was lucky in that I have uh, Colombian American friends that had already imported a wide selection from the last Emerald Cup or something a few years ago, and he had virtually everything that was new on the West Coast from maybe three years ago. So we've been growing out all of that plus stuff from all over the world, and uh, found some really fantastic stuff to work with. But the you know, you're not bringing a lot of product down, that's for sure. But I, I've had visitors from California that showed up with a QP <laughs> of humble bud that they grew, and they had to bring down the share and smoke with me. I was like, that's wild. And they're like, come into Columbia, they don't check. You know, like, I know they don't, but it's still crazy because you don't want to have trouble there, you know? The prisons are, you know, prisons are not nice anywhere, but I think the uh, it would be a real hassle. So I think it's smart to arrive with nothing incriminating on you and to leave with nothing incriminating on you, especially in the leaving part. You it know? must be hard trying to like pull out of like the past for like the cocaine and like the, the history that like they had. It, it must be try. It must be to hard to try to like. They have they have to legalize it, and you know, town by town, it would be like cooperatives, like village wines in France. You know, where all the growers bring it down to town, and they make their brand and put their label on it. And if it tests clean, good. You know, if they want to pay, who cares? The whole bloody drug war, the evil it's caused down there, and and most Colombians don't even realize it. The smartest ones do, of course, but. The average ones that you think would even get it, they think, but you don't realize the problems cocaine's caused us. And it's like, yeah, I do. It's the problems cocaine prohibition has caused you, you know? If you'd been selling it beside the emeralds and taxing it the same the whole time, you know, you'd be loaning America a billion dollars a year, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, well, I think, you know, you don't, you was, know, you but it was more own rules. It was more than that, just that, that it was American prohibition, even more than Colombian prohibition. It's true. It's true, you know, but it's both because, you know, you can't separate the one from the other because it's just all one massive problem. And, and the idiocy, and it's not like I love blow, and uh, but I just realized it's better off for people not to have mystery cut drugs, let them have the real deal. And let the people that grow them make the money and not necessarily all the violent middlemen, you know? As soon as you make it a gentleman's business, the violence is gone. When you keep it a gangster business, it's all, it's all violence, right? So that you wouldn't, 
the you know the ideological conflicts there that you know were long-running civil war with left and right atrocities both you know and the and you think both sides of that only existed because of coke money you know if if those poor peasant farmers were getting you know a wholesale price and not you know a slave wage they would be doing a lot better you know and it's really trade not aid kind of thing you know bring let them do it let the afghani farmers sell us hash with their village you know stamps on it those people they won't be making heroin for the taliban or whatever if we allowed them to send us their hash you know? they can send opium too for all they care but you know, the, the the world doesn't have an opium problem. It has a pharmaceutical problem, that's for sure. But the, it has a prohibition problem. That's a given. Yeah, there's not even anything like... If you really want to get down to it, it's not even... It's all pharmaceutical made now. There's really no heroin left anymore. It's kind of insane what you see out there nowadays. Yeah, it's it's uh, really disappointing, you know. So many people die from it, and uh, you think a little poppy tea now and then hits the spot or a bowl of opium. You know, old school opium is you know just as sacred as hash. You know, you've got to have it. They're they're good plant medicines, and they're easy to to use and not abuse, and especially hash, of course. But I mean, opium, I've used it for twenty five years but only twice a year, you know, it's not like I use it all the time. I don't, I never had a problem with it, but when I need it, I know like when my back is out that I, I'm a crying baby and can't move anywhere, it's that, or I'm getting some morphine prescribed, you know, because if I went to the doctor, that's what I'd get. But the, uh, but I can just have a little, you know, piece from the garden that's, you know, a tiny bit, you know, a gram lasts me two years, you know, I don't need much. Because I barely use it, but when I use it, there's no substitute. I know I need it, and and it, I love the feeling of good opium. I think it's really a, a treat when you need that total flood of warmth and relax. You can eat a small piece of opium, like proper opium. And I know some friends even that they're from Persian culture, and they lick it. They only lick the piece, you know. Whereas I break off like a match head of it and swallow it. That can sometimes give you a sore stomach. Um, opium suppositories are good if you have access to those. But if you have pain, stay off the pills. Get on the poppies. You know, the, you know. Can, if cannabis helps you, that's great. But I know I use cannabis sort of for anti-inflammatory of my back as far as medical use goes. But the, uh, you know, obviously I just use it because I like the taste of it anyway. But I think I'm attracted to it because it does have those anti-inflammatory, you know, characteristics which do aid somebody with a bad back. And I've had a double herniated uh, L4, L5 for most of my life. So I've always had that kind of gnawing thing in the back. And herbs just helps you grin and bear it kind of. It doesn't really take the pain away. But if it, if it really flares up and I'm like crippled and it is really, really painful, Cannabis doesn't do it, you know. It just doesn't. It's not. It's not the doing the same thing to the nerve endings, you know. Because <laughs> a little opium can be enough to numb it and relax it, that I can get it back into place, you know. Because you can't get it back into place until it's totally relaxed. 
you know, so that sort of muscle relaxing effect is beyond the anti-inflammatory. It's really crucial, you know, to ramble on about something else. But the, I'm sure you guys have other things to talk about. Than to talk yeah, about. I have a question, Tommy. I'm sorry. Hey, Steve. One, uh, I I got mad respect, man. You're a you're an awesome guy. I've listened to tons of. I'm sorry, tons of content with the, uh, you know, you've done and just everything you do. I just want to say mad respect. And uh, the other question I had: Do you ever smoke the opium, like with weed? <laughs> do you ever like put a little bit of opium in there? I've tried it. Yeah, I've tried it, but not in 20 years because I just realized it didn't really work as well together, you know? It was not right, efficient right. to the opium. And and the, one of the things I like about eating it or having it as a suppository is that <laughs> you get all of it. When you smoke it, you only get half of it. Half of the morphine's in the ashes of it. Yeah, so yeah. when you smoke it, you only get half of it. It's okay. But I mean, it's not a nice enough flavor. Like I'd really like a joint, the flavor of a good joint anyway. You know, it would be, it, it's not enhanced by opium, I find. You know, maybe right. with some hash, it's nice. But I find opium gives that burning plastic, that latex smell. It's like, okay, now it's like hitting a seed in the joint. You know, when you hit a seed that- in the joint, it's like burning plastic or something. It smells nasty. I think of that like the same flavor. Oh, okay. Yeah, I probably was fake smoking fake uh fake opium when I saw <laughs> this was more like floor it kinda like had yeah, like mine was floral. Right? No. Does it have Me a floral taste or no? I don't know. I this don't was uh, probably twenty floral. years ago. This was when I was in yeah, high school. I don't find it floral, but God knows what this the is I don't know. We smoking that fake shit. Who knows? But yeah, there was uh, the other thing I was just thinking when I said seed in the joint, and this is kind of chalk, I chalk it up to the lazy breeding, you know, that's been happening in the, the onslaught of feminized seed is kind of, you know, most breeders aren't still doing dioecious plants, you know, having a male and a female. And in my day, it was, you know, in the older than me, the, you know, the thing was kill Hermes, you know, Hermes are a fucking plague on the nation, right? So we don't want Hermes. And it was always about, you know, using mothers that didn't have a tendency to Herm and using real dads. And yeah, you did have some males when you grew up to seeds, but ideally you didn't have Hermes, right? But now that everybody's been femming everything with everything and then femming that again with everything else, then you see so many bud indoors not that i you know people send me a fair bit of samples so i see more than i would because i'm not growing indoors and i'm not going out of my way to get any but i have lots of people kindly share with me i get a half ounce here an ounce there and i think this week i probably got four different ounces already from people in the last week so that was and and I hate, you know, it's not about looking a gift person. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not naming any names, but I'm telling you, there's a seed in every bud. And I'm, I, I can't even believe it. And I see like the expensive Canadian brands, people reviewing their bud on Twitter and they're, they're paying $70 for an eighth of some bud. And the guy that said, I broke up, I, I found two seeds. So I feel lucky, but I'm thinking, man, if I smoked a, 
a feed in a $70 ace, I'd be pretty fucking pissed, you know? Like, right. that's a hard sale. If there's two seeds in your ace, you, you shouldn't be selling $70 ace. You know what I mean? That's just a hard right. sale. But I think it's becoming more and more overlooked, you know, as it's become so common that people don't really even go, oh, this is a Hermie, you know? Like, they go, oh, what the fuck? This peanut butter breath is frosty as fuck. I don't really care that it's a Hermie. <laughs> And it, yeah, it can ruin it with everything else they got, and then it's all they just heard. And it, it'll heard. ruin my whole opinion on something. Hey, can I say one other thing, Steve? I don't want to. Uh, mm-hmm. It's awesome when when you had to step away to uh, put your plants in the as you say the pool house yeah. or the shed or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, the first time I ever light depth, I was like 19 years old, and I just had a wagon with just one <laughs> one like tote on there with some like you know two or three foot tall plants and I would roll them in every night, you know what I mean? And pull them out and then just smart, smart. I, did, I got harvest in a year and then, you know, I mean, oh, I was yeah. also running, I, you know, yeah. But I just wanted the to say shout out to I that. did it, it was awesome. 2001. That was, and I was a lot older than you, that's for sure. But it, I was 25 or something like that, but no, maybe older, closer to 30. So that was, uh, yeah. The light depth's amazing. You know, once you do light depth, you're always like, hey, have I got time to do some light depth? You know, because if you I'm can just getting back off, into it, man. I'm, bad, I'm, yeah. I'm like going hard now. It's cool. It's it is cool. I, I, I like I love it. breaking it out for people and, and the, they, you know, without telling them what it is and they looking at it and going, oh, that looks super sexy and they smoke it up super steady. And you're like, can you believe that's out there? And they're like, what? I don't think I reached that level yet, but I'm trying to get oh, close. No. You're trying to get those big too, though, Tommy. I got a You're small putting... greenhouse. I got a small yeah. greenhouse. It was a pain in the ass trimming. That's all I was uh, like. It's just it was like, oh my god. Like I think I'm just more used to like the indoor, you know, brown buds from the LED and stuff. But uh, no, no, I I do enjoy it. Like. It's it's weird, but like I've pulled tarps on this show, and I've also oh, he basically almost missed pulling. You know what I mean? Pulling tarps, just like Steve. But it's just cool, and I'm just pulling a ten by twenty. It's a small. I'm keeping it all legit rules. Oh, I actually cool. just put up a privacy fence because it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's getting nasty oh, on the second row. <laughs> I look, I'm, Steve. Have you ever coasted it in? So this is like, uh, man, I got some good questions. Then. Like I'm trying to coast it in from, we'll say, uh, I've been pulling since like the 15th. I'm here in Michigan. So I'm in South okay, Michigan. Okay. Right? Basically like in Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, area. like right there, that line yeah, below yeah. the Great Lake. Yeah. Uh, so uh it's it's i mean they really started budding hard because i think the red you know the red spectrum of the light is coming in at the uh like like right time or something because i just been pulling the tarps boom and i'm only trying to do it for another week and i think i just let it go you know i'm, I'm like stepping up the time of daylight some of them you know are more forgiving some of them are more forgiving with that than others that's for sure okay. i've seen some that are very sensitive and they'll revert right away and others that'll kind of stay and keep going. Right. But you got to so, watch it. So I have a dozen. I have a dozen, and they're all 
they're all different strains. So I've done 24 strains light depth, and I'm I'm keeping track of. Oh, I'm yeah, at least it, I'm at least keeping it up here. <laughs> yeah, you need to next year. Which hey, I, can, I know which ones are good. Some of them you can trick them and give them a head start, and they'll keep right, going. Right. And other oh, ones will start turning shoots again, you know, before you know it, and start rejuvenating. And I keep and so, so Steve, when, when do you, you put plant? Your... When do you put? When do you do your first uh, planting there in your greenhouse or outdoors? So the, the first one I planted uh, kind of early, and then I actually when. when? Uh, exact date. Let's see. Like May first. I pulled it. I pulled it down. Uh, July, like Fourth of July, basically. So we'll say. So you had it flipped in mid-May. Flipped, flipped in early May. Yeah, yeah. But I actually put them in there with a little heater and some starts of you know vegetables and this and that. So. Okay. I'm trying to think. I wish I had a better date on that. No, but don't worry, don't worry. I know when I pulled them. And then this this next one is like a, what I'm, I'm trying not to pull tarps for 60, you know, 60 or 70 days. You know, I'm trying to just. So the, the spring yeah, harvest is different. Old, and what I notice is all everything seemed to kick in way harder. And I think it's because now I'm getting co closer to like the fall sun, you know, so it's like more red spectrum i mean this is that's just my thoughts but it seems like it kicked in way harder everything and nothing's really changed i actually had it darker you know i might have had like little light leaks and stuff and i always thought from doing like indoor grow if you have you know if you have light leaks like i've seen it i've seen it screw stuff up i've, I've done it myself in little tents and stuff but then, like, you pull these tarps, like, it's kind of forgiving if you do the red spectrum. And that's what I wanted to ask. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm, like, rambling. So do, when you're pulling yours, you're putting yours inside at, like, 7. Yeah, I'm just moving a few right? Yeah. You're pulling them out. I'm trying to do them 7.30 and 7.30. But today I was almost eight when I put them away. So I won't take them out tomorrow till it's 8. Because I right. want to give them more than 12 hours sleep, a little more than 12 hours sleep. I don't want them to get less. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the thing is, they, uh, you know, there's morning shade due to a mountain and a tree, and then the sun goes down a bit early. So they don't, they don't get the absolute full day, but the, the light depth, they get most of the day if I move them around. <laughs> so that's the only way to make those really respectable because this far north, so, you can't guarantee that your outdoor is going to finish. You know, the fall is very hit or miss around here at 50 degrees north. And I'm at 500 meters altitude too, which is, you know, not sea level. It's not super high, but it's definitely, uh, uh, it does make the light brighter, you know. It's it's a very right. intense sun here compared to lower altitudes, I think. And then, but the the bud works. I'm happy with the backyard bud here. So as long as I can get away with adding to the stash every summer, you know, that's just fun. Right, right, right. And I always try and add new flavors, and I've still got jars from previous years that they just compound them. And those are those plants from Instagram, right? The the yeah, ones uh, yeah. I think it's on your your IG that were. Yeah. You can see it. It looks so cool. I like cool it. It's like Starface. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, man. The pool view and everything. 
Much respect. I'm sorry if I'm like rambling. It just it yeah, is no, exciting. No, I'm doing the journey. Man. You know, this is I'm like crazy. I'm happy to make it a distraction here so I can drink my iced tea. I got a, I got a kind of a joint question for Steve and Brendan. Um, a lot of times people, and Brendan I know knows a lot on this topic too, on um, lighting as far as in indoor grows, people worry about like their, uh, oh, I didn't realize my camera off. i my mic. Um, people often ask about, um, uh, hey, is the, the little light from my power strip or my controller panel or some of the really minor light stuff, does that actually have an impact on plant growth? Whereas, because, you know, if I'm outside in a pretty decent moonlit night or even just on a, on a you know, a starry area, that there's a pretty good amount of, of lumens coming across those plants. Um, what is your guys' opinion on that? Go ahead, um, I'll go. For I it. have a good one. It, it doesn't have to, it, it's, it's a, the minimum amount of light required to, to wake plants up. If it's, it's not enough light to wake them up, it's not going to have any effect on them. Um, I've seen, I've seen a fire do it. Just in a corner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. I have seen a dehumidifier do it, and it had like an extra bright uh, screen. And like the stuff did not go into flower, and there was like weird, like like light leak issues. That's probably more um, of a light leak issue than 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 a green diode on a, on a on a dehumidifier. No, 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 no. This no, not in the room. No, the room was fine. I'm saying the, in the very corner of the room. And I think when you have a like completely black from bright light to completely black scenario, as opposed to the red spectrum of the sun, like casting, that's kind of what I was saying about the this this most recent uh, light depth scenario I have going on, is that it seems like it's just like, it's budding even harder, you know? So like that red spectrum, I think matters. And I just, I don't know. The, the dehumidifier was really bright and I seen it, I see, I like, you know, I witnessed it, I don't know. This will definitely be a bit more sensitive for sure, because that's just the nature of them, right? The, the outdoor plants have spent their whole life generally, or at least a, a large portion of it uh, doing that and in that environment. So they're going to have a lot more resistance to say the full moon or rarities where it's pretty bright out there. Right. Um, but just like, like Brennan was saying, there is that uh, minimum threshold. So as long as you're under it, so say just like your little pulse meter light or something along those lines, I'll still definitely cover all that up, but most likely something like that wouldn't necessarily be enough to trip it. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm not even saying <clears throat> saying cover them up. I'm saying that one scenario I did see a super bright panel on a dehumidifier, and it happened in one corner of like a 12 light room. You know what I mean? So it was like it was weird, but there was like some weird non-flowering and kind of like it, I mean, that's, you know, we've heard about stuff like that before, right? I want to say that uh, for like three or four years ago, Green Jeans Garden, the guy that has the big YouTube channel. Uh, not not Putin's uh, friend that was in Wu Tang Clan. Uh, he had a, a herm ostensibly from. Um, I want to say it was the same kind of thing. I think I want to say he's had a couple of issues. Now I think about it again, like maybe a, a dehumidifier that had a panel that had uh, some light on, and another time that was just like a, a light leak through a door that he didn't quite realize. And I was just thinking about it while you guys were talking. I was like, what's there to explain this? Because the moon, I mean, it it. It, it's it's bright to your eyes, right? Especially when it's a full moon or something. Gosh, you can see everything. You, know, you can walk around basically without a flashlight or anything else. But plants don't seem to ever herm out, even when there is a full moon, right? Whereas you'll get like 
one freaking you'll, you'll hear that story like one dehumidifier or whatever that has a light on there's freaking herms in the corner and i was just thinking about i don't know if this is any any i don't, I don't know if this is the definitive answer but i was thinking about it photographically i was like all right the moon on one level first of all you you, you assume it's really bright because your eye adjusts to it your eyes are actually better than any camera that there is <clears throat> but the, the moon is usually not nearly as bright as you think it is uh, and plants are, of course, used to it outdoors, too. So I think there's something to that. So you have kind of an unusual or a, a usual thing happening, but it's also cycling over the plants, I guess is what I was getting to, through the month and also through the night. It's going to be, I mean, the moon doesn't move, but we basically move and it, it looks like the, the moon is moving. So that source of light is not in like a steady place, beating down on the same place of the bud. Whereas, let's say, for example, that dehumidifier, it's constant like it's like photographically it's like a long exposure it's like basically every day for 12 hours or something you're burning in that green light onto that one that onto that one place on that bud so how do i put it um this is probably way too far afield but whatever fuck it it's my no opinion. you're tricky it's, about, it's a good idea it's a good idea it's, it's the it's the, the amount of photons sitting in that specific area become a systemic response in that particular plant in the corner that, that's the theory you're putting forth right but Keep in mind, with an outdoor plant with the light and the sun, it's getting triggered by different bandwidths. The same bandwidth which puts the plant yeah. to sleep is the same bandwidth which wakes it up in the morning. Okay? So, you know, when you have that pretty much flash around 730 nanometer in a far red that we can't really see well in our eyes, but that's what triggers a plant to wake up and go to sleep. So, in your yeah. grow room, you don't really have that. You have, especially in the old school grow, where it's 100% on, 100% off. So your plants in a shock period for generally about two hours if your lights just turn off are going, what the fuck just happened? And in that adjustment period, if there's enough photons to keep the plant awake, it's confused. So that, that can happen. Any light bleed, light bleak in an indoor girl will do that. They will adapt to moonlight because they're being triggered to go to sleep just before the moon comes up. So that's not going to wake them back up again because it's not in the bandwidth to trigger them to wake back up. When a bulb comes on, it's basically like throwing cold water on a sleeping person. Just bang, yeah. full light, wake up. So, okay, perfect. So, so I'm on the right track. I, I might, I might have been un misunderstood what I was saying. So basically, the the sunlight is helping put them to sleep. Like especially pulling your tarp. Like I don't pull my tarp till right before the sun comes up. I pull the tarp, and then I pull it at 10 a.m. So it's only on. So I do it for humidity. I'm sorry. There's like flies. I like swearing it uh, but yeah, so I only pulled it on there for like four hours, you know, from like four AM <clears throat> to like nine is what I'm doing right now. Yeah, so five hours. I, I heard one friend saying he just puts them away early and then takes them out after the sun goes down so he doesn't have to get up in the morning and take them out. Right. But right. for me it wouldn't work because I I get a lot of ambient light very early in the morning, but not a lot of a direct, you know, so I need to do it middle of the day. My opinion is that I, was just just that, I don't even get enough light to like light out. <laughs> or Soul Shine's oh. got a little bit of a lag, so you've been trying to get an edge in uh, the whole evening. I'm sorry, Soul Shine. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, well, I always have associated it with the ancestry of the plants and where it was bred and selected in and i'm actually curious steve what your thoughts are on this since you have a lot of experience with a lot of different settings and a lot of different uh genotype lines i i always associated it with 
plants that were bred indoors in finicky conditions, you know, your like OG lines, your cookies lines, those tend to harm horribly with any disruption because they weren't cold in an environment with all those disruptions. They were cold in this breeder's, you know, uh, aristocratic style grow room, you know, perfect yeah. control tent. But uh, if something's been bred outdoor, then, uh, you know, depending on where it was, it might be more finicky or less finicky, like uh, some tropical land races from the jungle. It's like pitch dark all night uh, and they'll herm, but I see like Afghani stuff. that's more straight Afghani where the sun or the moon, excuse me, might be more in the sky in the night. They're a lot more resistant to it. So just on my anecdote and from chatting with some other people, it's what I've noticed. Uh, Steve, uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think you've got a good point that, you know, it's definitely inherent in more plants. You know, some plants are more than others, right? There's some that seem to be good, stable, dioecious lines, and some that just have a bad tendency to herm. And, it, you know, at some level, it's just the people not caring too much about herms or they wouldn't have them, right? If, they, if uh, people shunned them, they wouldn't be around so much. But that's the natural state of cannabis. Like cannabis is monoecious, you know, at its core. And it is only human intervention that managed to tease them apart to have the males and females, right? Yeah, that's so, almost so like our overriding breeding it is the It is the original state of cannabis to be hermaphrodite. So it's it's, you know, always been a mark of well-bred cannabis that it's not, unless, of course, it's, you know, monoecious for a reason, you know? And some some cultivars will take more work than others, and you'll have to really dip deep into it. And that's kind of what you're mentioning before, how there is some of the lazy breeding going on where we're not really having to worry about uh, all of these parameters. Because even, say, if, you, if, you're, if you're bound in, like, an environment like ourselves where we don't have the best seasons to work with and for doing just mass numbers of plant counts and all the all the fun restrictions <clears throat> indoors, there's still plenty of uh, room to stress test and you can stress test the hell out of them and you can do it in all sorts of different ways. It's just going to take you a long time to do so. And you're going to have to run multiple lines and all the kids and get like, it's just, it's a lot of work as, as <laughs> lots of us on here know, and some a lot more than others uh, and, and much love to all of yourselves, respect it all. Um, I'm going to be hopping off fairly soon here, but yeah, it, it with this specific uh, concept, it seems like it's coming down a lot to just the work that's going into these lines. If you really spend the time talking with individuals such as yourself, Steve, and others on here that are putting the time in, you don't have too many of these these issues because you've tested and, and worked them out, indoor or outdoors. There's lots of ways to abuse the plants, that's for sure. And I think, you know, feminized seeds are a good tool, and I just think you know, people, the only advice I'd give people making them is really stress test the mothers you're going to use and only use the ones that won't harm, you know, because you, if you do a reversal on those, you might get some nice females. But if you just use anything that really harms under stress testing, you end up getting so many harm seeds. It's it's embarrassing, you know, and it's just yeah, a big it... problem. If you're reversing it, wouldn't it be? Yeah, you would want the one. If, if you had stuff that prematurely 
um, hermaphroditic traits, I wouldn't have chose that. You know what I mean? That just makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, you want to spray it with the silver silver sulfate to actually get it to change into feminized seed stock, I would think. Yeah. But he's saying it'll pass on instability. So if you if you find uh, something unstable, it'll pass on un- instability, you know? Well, if you use a female that won't harm when you give it the weird light hours and stuff like that, then uh, that female, when you do force it to harm with you know, hormonally, then that plant is a better candidate that you hopefully get less hermaphrodites. You might still get some, you know, which was never good enough for me. But the uh, but the fact is people want feminized seeds, so they're going to buy them. But what you have to realize is or that the average seed buyer needs to realize is that hermaphrodite's just as bad as a male. <laughs> you know, either, you, you don't want to grow either, you know. the uh, you just want to have straight females. So, you know, there's lots of ways that that's going to be addressed, of course. And um, I think that the seedless you know, plants are really going to be the number one thing. You know, I first saw them a long time ago, but, you know, now they're, I've seen maybe four or five people doing them now. And they're, uh, you know, amazing to have sterile plants. But And, and soon I think every every popular cultivar you'll be able to pick up a sterile version of it you know i've been dying to ask you about this actually i, I think yeah. i saw you just me and myself on a future cannabis project a few months ago like maybe i don't know five or six months ago you were talking about a couple of different permutations of uh sterile plants you were even talking about honestly plants that only produce leaves that are covered in trichomes that was kind of fun but uh, i've been dying to ask you specifically about you were talking about, I think, the trifoliate plants. There were some really interesting kind of permutations that you could mess with in that sense, where you uh, throw a trifoliate male on a, a normal female. I don't, I don't quite remember. Do you remember? I don't. That wasn't me. No, I don't think so. The trifoliate plants. About triploids. I may have misremembered. Perhaps. Anyway, I. Aim for more of a double haploid monoploid than whereas a lot of the other players are doing triploids. So, so out of out of the five that you you mentioned that you've seen that are that are doing this, is it more so are they are they working with pollen specifically or are they just kind of going down and one of them up? one of them is Spanish operation and they're doing theirs with pollen because oh, the pollen bad. grain is a haploid, right? You know, because in the you know, the wonder of life, you're getting the mother and father each contribute their own strand for a diploid chromosome. So a diploid creature such as ourselves have a strand from our mothers and our fathers. And diploid cannabis has that too. And the and then people work with polyploidy by uh, a number of means. And then with the uh, pollen culture, uh, also they'll call it anther culture, but anther culture, they might just literally use anther and start growing stuff out of, you know, this undifferentiated mass basically. But if you, you separate individual pollen grains and you look at every single pollen grain, like you would a grain of seed, you know, if that's a seed, each of those pollen grains is a seed, right? It could be, programmed for male, it could be programmed for female, it could be programmed to be a hermaphrodite. But you wouldn't know until you 
grew it out. And if you put every pollen grain in a separate test tube on agar, you could start growing a calus out of it. And from that calus, you can start initiating green growth and or taking a piece of the calus and having it sequenced. Um, you can learn a whole lot about all of those plants when they're still in vitro in a tiny micro scale, right? So you can you can start screening them for all kinds of things before they're even a real plant. You know, so the, what's happening in our lifetime is we are seeing the greatest quantum leap cannabis will ever see because it's been suppressed and it, it's been the last to come to the light and to use modern technology and biotechnology. And, and now that cannabis is, it's where the rubber meets the road right now. I mean, all the modern advances that can be applied to any aspect of plant science is now being applied to cannabis. So you're seeing lots of different results. The easiest way you can start making the sterile females at home is doing feminized with good plants, you know, preferably not ones with a herm tendency, and then repeat it. And then you will start seeing a percentage of sterile plants. So that's your easiest way at home to make, find, you know, that clone only that you've been rocking. You think, hey, I want to make a version of this that can never get pregnant. Because then you can guarantee that you do never have a seed in your pot. That's the so other thing cool. that's great about those selections I had to mention quick is they root in three or four days. Yeah, you were saying that prior, right? Be and and yeah. and just assuming because like like what again? Just go into that a little more. And uh, yeah, like you're finding uh, just to to key in on that for everyone out there listening this is like you could dust a plant with pollen here and it's just going to reject it which of course it's, it's right. a demon and you know we could worry about that for all sorts of different reasons but as far as just a uh uh, uh and say in canada you've got four plants you can grow and that's it and this is your medicine and you don't have access or money to go to the store and pick it up for exorbitant prices you probably should get something that's reputable reliable and uh, you know is going to be, well, I mean, it's just reputable and reliable. That sums it up, right? So in your case, you're not going to want something that could potentially herm out and seed and not put its energy yeah, towards that. Yeah, your neighbor has herms or your neighbor has males or somebody down the road. Like, you know, the accidental pollinations, there's a million excuses for them. But the fact is, even in the Canadian legal market, oh. there's been huge companies who you know, uh, cannabis reviewers on social media have cut open their pre-rolls and found 50% seeds by weight. Brutal. Like, can you imagine selling a pre-roll with 20 seeds in it? It's, it's like, going to need to be bitch slapped, right? Like that's a, a law that's that, or a li liability. Like the investors are going to make it yeah. so that they have to. That's right. Money. Yeah. They're going to have to cover their butt. Is there any grower that is not growing sterile plants is going to be saying, every eighth. It's going to be a yeah, yeah, like right. yeah. three mouse legs or whatever. It's okay. It's loud. It's fine. It's safe. I think it'll be mandatory. That's why we smoke blood. Three mouse foot at every eighth. I've got a question for you, if I can. Um, I've got a good pile of different varieties from all over the world. I got a handful of clones that I really like. I've got flavors that I really adore. I'm getting ready to take my breeding a little bit more seriously than I than I ever have. And I was, I was wondering, is there anything that you, 
you would have done differently when you were getting started? Um, is there anything that you wish you had done sooner or wish you didn't do at all as far as like breeding and, and what you're known for and how you approached it and your methods and well, that's a good question, man. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, my only regrets are the plants that I didn't share and that I lost. You know, the, the plants that I shared never got lost. But the plants that I tried to keep, always lost them. You know, so I, you know, it's one of those, if you love something, set it free, right? And uh, having some satellite locations, again, Today is a different story. We have legal opportunities now. We're not getting, you know, houses ripped out, you know, to the, so it's a different situation. So, but still have satellite locations so you don't lose any important parents, whether they're males or females. And you want to, when you find a good male or female, like a male I had that was special to me was that Sweet Tooth BX2P1. And that was the father of a lot of great stuff, but that was bred to be a very stable, vigorous male. And that thing you could put on anything, and it had a killer gene. I think it took over anything it was crossed with, basically. All looked like that after a while. But it had like cardboard, thick, you know, dark forest green leaves, but just sturdy as the day is long. and really had no mildew problems in that. But when you find that great male, you want to be able to recreate that same batch of seeds because you know when you use that stud male and you cross it with this and that and the other thing and they're all bang on, then you want to keep those females, keep that male, and reproduce those exact same seeds every single time. You know, it's great to breed and go next generations and further down the line, but when you have one that works good for commercial purposes and you can put out something that's 89 per, 80 to 90% true. Like that's fantastic. I know with the sweet two, three, they, and even the four, they were probably in the 90 plus range for stability. Like they were, they were really hard to tell them apart and people would see a room of it or a field and think they were planted clones. I'd be like, that's a block from seeds, you know, they get, because they really look like each other. And that's pretty rare from, you know, most of the polyhybrids you see today, it's all about pheno hunting because there's no two plants that look the same. But you want to be able to deliver seeds. You know, if you're in the seed business, you want to be able to deliver seeds that they, you know, if it says this one takes 70 to 100 days to finish, it's like, well, you know, I guess, you know, getting back to the heat units, I could be, okay, 70 in the tropics, but 100 indoors. But still, you know, is it a range between the plants or a range between the conditions that you have those plants in? Because most people have a range of plants and, you know, it's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world, but it's, it's more impressive. I think if you can say, this is what it looks like, this is what it tastes like. This is what you can expect and say, you know, you want to have something distinct that is, you know, representative of, your vision of that line. What, what is special about this? Is it the flavor? Is it the straight up sweetness? Like do, you know, I haven't seen really sweet cannabis in a long time and I've been kind of, you know, every now and then I'll see one that's kind of on the sweet and fruity side. And I think, man, I remember smoking some extremely sweet and fruity stuff. 
And I think it would be fun to make cannabis sweet again, you know, because it's been, you know, more of a, a punchy thing for a long time where it's more about a, the loudness of the noise rather than what kind of noise it's making, you know? Right. Hey, hey I got a, I got the new turp. Uh, I got some stuff. It's like, you know, when you used to pretend a crayon was a cigarette when you were like a kid? It's like that. It's a cigarette. <laughs> really? The wax. But menthol. But a little menthol. I got it. I got it. I got well, menthol is illegal, man. Menthol it's not my cut. It's called Jokers. If you had the Jokers with a little menthol on it, though, like, but it's good. Menthol. You know, it's appealing. Yeah, so curious, that's just the way to describe it. But when you smell some crayons, like that old box, it's all been rubbed together by like a hundred kids. You know what I mean? Like I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, everyone's starting to enjoy it. You know, it's it's called Jokers. Uh, Jokers, I, I oh, that's know, funny. It is a cross, I think. Honestly, that's it, funny, it is has a crazy ass turf with a little menthol. You know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I think the possibilities are you know immense for the flavors in this plant. It has such a diverse range of possible. Right you know, aroma and flavor compounds that it makes other plants look boring. That you know? box. No, no, you got to get the crayon from the 90s, bro. From the 90s. It's got to be like a 1991. Some vintage crayons, bro. Everyone, peace yeah. and love. It's been a great show. It's going to continue being great. If you haven't already, you got to get on live chat. Top chat's filtering you out. Hit that thumbs up, smash the subscribe, and we'll see you next time. As I mentioned, we're having Dragonfly Earth Medicine on tomorrow at 9 a.m. to go over some closed loops and what those are. So peace and love, everyone. Have a fantastic evening. Much love to you. Have a good one, man. Cheers, Thank you, guys. Hey, bro. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was going to say... Uh... Oh, I, I, Potent Bonics wanted, to ask, wanted me to ask about... Uh... Those are great questions. I want to ask as well. Uh, weird genetics, Steve. I, I know we've had you on here forever. I don't know if you've uh, stayed on for a little bit longer. Or how sure, do I put sure, this? Sure. This show goes forever. Uh, you're welcome to to hop off. You've been on here, oh, yeah. champion. Like this is probably the I longest we we've been on. We're shutting down, but I can do a few more for sure. Oh, if you, if you'd like, uh, you're, you're welcome to kind of uh, say your piece. We've had you, gosh, for almost three hours. It's been an incredible, yeah. incredible show. I, I think everybody's going to watch this probably three or four times, uh, just yeah. hearing you talk about everything. We haven't even scratched the surface. I was going to ask you about like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, aging in barrels. I was going to show this picture of, you know, now uh, all the rage is uh, barrel aged honey. These days they talk about it on the radio and this and that and the other thing. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, what? we've been talking about this for ages. Yeah, barrel aged honey. Same thing, uh, uh, bourbon barrels, you know, the charred fresh bourbon barrels and they age the honey for six months, a year, two years, whatever, to get tannins and turps and whatever. Interesting, right? So we, we yeah, were yeah. talking about this kind of stuff before the show, like uh, aging weed, <laughs> aging hash, aging other, I don't know, derivatives, whatever, in um, in stuff. I mean, uh, we have, by the way, Steve, uh, a show, or I have a show a couple times a month. We do it kind of wild card style these days. We do weed and whiskey Wednesday, where we try to kind of combine, you know, weed and whiskey. I can steal the whiskey behind you. But I, yeah, I, I got a whiskey the other day that uh, the whole thing was it was a maker's mark, and it was just flavored with different oak staves. So the, the whiskey, was, I mean, it was a blend of a couple different, uh, what is that? 
had almost the entire bottle, so I don't want to show you, but it's the private select something or other. But whatever, it literally just says a carefully selected combination of oak finishing staves. And I just thought to myself, what a unique, interesting way to age things. Like, it wasn't even finished in a sherry cask or anything else. It was just, they just put some staves in there, let it marinate for a little bit, maybe even in a stainless steel. I don't know. It's yeah, yeah, it got yeah. me thinking oak, about like oak aging. Oak products are huge in winemaking, yeah. Right? We haven't even yeah, scratched the surface with that with stuff. That. Oh, there's lots of things to think about, you know. Lots We're just going to have to have you back on show one of these days. I hope. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Appreciate it. Um, uh, on that note, uh, cheers, Steve. Honestly, probably uh, this is as good a time as any. Uh, how can people find you? Or you probably would like to be fine, but on your website, you even say, like, contact me or don't. I don't really care. Uh, can people <laughs> look you up on uh, Spice of Life, Se- Life Seeds? What else? Um. Yeah, breedersteve.com. I've got a huge amount of emails through there I haven't answered yet, so don't hold your breath. But I'm going to go through and start answering everybody, but I was waiting until I really, most of them are asking when I have product out, and I don't have product out. So we'll um, we'll see when that happens. But uh, that's why it's a sign up for updates, I guess. But yeah, we made that site a few years ago just to have stuff on standby. So Clonetics in the middle there, I, they're a Canadian nursery that just got their license in June, and I made this uh, contract with them two years ago. So in oh. Canada, they're the official distributor of my cuttings. So they've got, oh, you know, so old sweet tooth, shishkaberry, grapefruits, mm-hmm. new things I've put together, um, selections of um, other plants that I've collected, and there's some fun <laughs> ones. So that, that'll be... Those are going to go out to some, they're going directly to LP clients that are buying ready to flower plants, but they're also going to nurseries that sell directly to the public and uh, for the um, for the ACMPR growers at least. So the, the, all of the cuttings in there will trickle out to the public here very shortly, but because they just got their license, they're just doing the propagation of them right now. So they don't have them out, but hopefully by sometime this fall towards before Christmas anyway, I would think that uh, all my cuttings catalog will be widely available up here. And then I suspect, you know, people will take them wherever else they want them. So the, uh, so it's nice to see those getting out and they're going to do a second one in New York and then potentially in Australia or Portugal, but they have a neat business model. And then, um, yeah, so that's my Instagram. And those that one picture on the left is a night shot from Colombia, but that's outdoor field grown. Mm. I mean, oh, it, man, that's beautiful. It, it's stunning stuff. That that was one of the ones that was over thirty one percent as well. Oh, wow. That it, that stuff. Can you imagine that stuff? A hundred bucks a kilo wholesale. Mm. That's gonna change the way things are done. You know because. It can be a whole other ballgame. And hopefully, you know, that abundance will trickle out there. So these are ones in my backyard right now. And, uh, you know, I, that one's, you know, a couple of days ago, maybe, or a day, a day ago. Yeah. It's uh, almost time to pick that one. But, you know, I'm going to give it a few more days. If I wait till August 3rd, that'll... That one and the purple one, those ones went out June 3rd is when their light depth started. 
So it's so cool that you have it next to your pool, dude. Right? <laughs> it's like yeah, next to his pool. I move them around so they get the reflective light and the sun bounces up on them and you can see the light dancing all over them. So even though they're not getting the entire 12 hours of direct light, they're getting sort of double dose light while they are getting it. So I just have a blast with them though. It's just something to do. If I, you know, that is, you know, I would say it kept me sane, but I was never sane to begin with. So, but it's just <laughs> been something to putter around with in the backyard and, you know, it'll still fill up a mason jar or two or something special. And those ones are literally growing out, you know, they're sexy buds and they're growing out of hemp stock and kitchen compost. You know, there's just literally scavenge stuff in the yard to grow them. And uh, I know that they're going to be soft and delicious. You know, they got, you can see the fade going on there. And uh, I just have too much fun with them, right? These were some buds sent to me from Whistler the other day. And uh, they were very well grown. There was one that was, um, that lemon soda is a Mac F2 that the guy did. And That's frosty. that was punchy. That was punchy. The other ones, he had one that was grapefruit cake and uh, I think a Gorilla Glue and grapefruit cake crossed with something else. But the uh, grease monkey, a wedding cake crossed with orange cookies is the grapefruit cake. That was very mild. I didn't feel much of a buzz from that. And the hybrid with it and something else was better. But the uh, the Mac F2 that he did, that was punchy. I was like, ooh, fuck, I was good the stone. I, I was like, I feel like I just had a big dab that'll carry me for two hours, not like a joint that'll carry me for half an hour, you know? Mac F2 of grapefruit cake. Black can't even talk anymore. Mac F2 by grapefruit cake. Yeah, it's been tasty. Yeah, so that you was grown by loud fan. and frosty. Loud and frosty. <laughs> I give it. I give that. it a lot of shit, honestly. But that's the Mac 1, not the Mac F2, so that's probably... For all I know, These it's are all, uh, better. hybrids. These are equatorial crossed with, you know, either modern CBD and there is some modern hemp ones and also THC ones. But there, there's a crossing equatorial program where we have everything we have basically getting crossed with Mango Beach, Punta Rojo, and Santa Marta Gold. And then we sprout them up, start planting them out, and uh, you have to start spreading them out more than we used to because everything, you know, the straight hybrids, you know, the, the modern hybrids that we bring down that don't have the equatorial in them, those ones you could plant them on a tighter spacing and see, you know, they just flower. They wouldn't get any bigger. They would just flower, right? So if you put out a cutting, you could only grow like six inches and just have a little popsicle stick of a bud. So you have the vegem a bit before they went out. But after you start crossing them with the equatorials, you don't really have to do that. You can put them out a lot smaller and spread them out more because they'll keep growing, which was kind of the point. You wanted stuff. You didn't want to have to veg and transplant stuff all the time. You want to be able to plant seeds in the field that are just going to take off and uh, not because it's never the 12 hours only varies by six minutes over the year. So we're basically 12, 12 exactly every day. And that That's soil awesome. when I got there was red. It was crappy clay, and uh, we've been working that, you know, the different blocks there, we've been working for five years. And this is a lot of cocoa and rice holes called cascarillas. These are and just they're just using those little, they're just using those little lights on the top to 
keep them going or yeah those fair? just need to come in, come on at nighttime right so those come on you, you can put those on for 10 minutes at midnight everybody's like oh well you still got to grow with lights in the jungle it's like well the plants that aren't acclimatized yes but the plants for production that are acclimatized we want them to grow three or four months with no assistance of lights. They just go into the field and then still grow up, you know, two meters, six feet tall. Whereas these ones, this is a library section. So this is just all backup mothers and there'll be a separate one with fathers, not as many, but this is all backup mothers in there of, of everything in the library. So there's a there's smaller versions of these on tables, and then there's a you know indoor version of them as well. And soon we have a tissue culture lab under construction right now. And then once the tissue culture lab's done and going, we probably won't keep the big greenhouses of the backup plants. We just use them for. Ideally, we won't be doing mothers and cuttings for typical propagation, but we'll always be doing mothers and cuttings to make seed batches because you want to make the seed with that same mother and with the father. There's some uh, backyard beauties. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so does it be all become yeah. like with the tissue culture? It's like the super backed up like library. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, I'm trying to have a really complete representation of the gene pool there. So we've got, uh, you know, the, the hemp is huge right there. And I've been offered access to really the world's best collections of it. And I said, we were not even ready to take that responsibility yet, but I'll bring in a lot more hemp, but hemp is not my priority. And I, I really love hemp and I want to have all the cannabis possible in that collection because there's different traits that we're going to find that we haven't even looked for yet, you know? So I just want to really have the, the broadest, possible pool to select from but uh you know making new things is the fun part and for me the hemp is it's great what it can do but there's lots of people doing it and it's really not my passion i want flavor i want to really work for flavor without restrictions i don't want to they go this has 0.4 thc so we can't use it you know that's that just sucks the life out of it for me, really, you know. I've done some, you know, low THC breeding in the last while, and but I would never do it if I couldn't do THC breeding in parallel, you know. It's only because I can do both that I will do it. But if, I, if I was limited to only doing hemp, I probably wouldn't do it because I just think that's almost a cop-out, you know. I really want to be yeah. able to to do both sure. because the the distinction is so asinine, right? Like who gives a fuck if it has 5% THC or 0.5% or 0.3? Give me a break. You know, who cares? It really doesn't matter. There's a THC phobia out there. You know, it's a hysteria right. and it's just bullshit. So I hate Some to give care, them man. a lot of time a day. There was a whole radio story, uh, and it wasn't even on like the bullshit radio. It was like uh, uh, NPR, OPB, whatever, our local uh, OPB. Apparently, the, the the story was, and I was just laughing because I was like, all right, the cannabis people are just probably all shaking their heads. They were saying that uh, the CBD products in the store, many of them, they were saying, most even, have more THC than even the highest THC concentrates in the legal dispensaries. And there was this whole thing. It's an epidemic of high THC CBDs. Apparently, the, the weed farmers and the weed growers and processors were just giving away a bunch of THC oil. 
I well, was shaking my head. I was like, on what earth is this true? But I know that's crazy. I think one of the favorite quotes I ever stole from somewhere, which I can't even remember where, but I think it might have been like the pot 100 or something in the back of high times maybe it was i think it was a high times writer maybe i can't remember it said uh cannabis is the most powerful drug or most potent drug known to mankind because it's even been known to cause insanity in non-users you know so true because the people that are the most against it you know they haven't even had it. You know, how, how can you be so angry about this fucking flower that I like the taste of, you know? Just bug her off. It's really not your problem, you know? But they, you know, the world over, they persecute, you know, untold amount of people. It doesn't matter if you're in Asia or Africa or Australia or America, you know, there's people getting banged up for, bloody sack of herbs you know it's just too much and i can't believe we still have to have this discussion you know but it's it's too much you know then the hemp thing is like okay well hemp you know it does show a use of the plant that does help educate people and and for a lot of regimes you know cracking them hemp is you know the first key to the puzzle is getting them people to accept hemp for different benefits of it and then the next you know, crack in the wall is the medical regime. And then by the time that people are getting comfortable with it, then the adult use doesn't seem so far-fetched anymore. You know, you've already got the hemp and medical use. But of course, at the beginning, and I remember this, you know, talking with other activists 30 years ago, it'd be like, Man, but really that whole hemp and medical thing is, this seems like, all these steps to get to where we should, they should just lighten up for adult use period, you know, and then, then the hemp and the medical is a non-issue, you know, but they had to make it complicated and roll it out in stages, but at least it got done over time and, and not everywhere, but that's the problem. You know, it's just, it's got done in a few places, but those places, are a big example for the rest of the world. And I know, you know, we've got friends in Australia and that they, they can only dream of, you know, walking into a dispensary, right? So if they come for holidays to Canada or the U.S. and they get to go in and see a dab bar and stuff, and they're like, my God, Australia is so far behind. And, you know, and it's really sad because there's lots of good Aussie cannabis. And now, you know, First they got the hemp, now they've got the medical, and it's really uh, restricted and inconsistent. But the, generally, the product is getting better, mainly due to the Australian-grown product being better than the unsold Canadian stuff that they've bobbed off on them down under. But a lot of the Canadians that had inventory, they couldn't sell because it was you know dry and crusty and they were shipping it to Australian patients and charging them an arm and a leg for it. But the Aussies are, they've always been able to grow great grass and cannabis has always been hugely popular there. And I've had fantastic Australian grass. I'm a huge fan of Australian grass and I look forward to the day we can get it up here. And the same with Hawaiian grass, you know, and the same with Colombian grass. I mean, there's, there's plants that we deserve that don't grow everywhere all that well. 
And I mean, Canadians drink tons of coffee. We don't grow tons of coffee. We bring it in because it doesn't make sense to fill up greenhouses with coffee here. It's just not, you know, we've recognized that that's not economically feasible. So once you start seeing high-grade flour coming out for a tenth of the current market price, the consumer might not care if it's grown here or not. You know what I mean? So that's, uh, I think, is you know, a valuable strategy in the long run because I'm more concerned with the average person having access to affordable high-grade than the average grower keeping prices in the thousands of dollars a pound. I don't think it's a... I don't think in the long run cannabis is going to be priced at dollars a gram. You know, ideally, not counting taxes. You can't do anything no, with that right now. Never. That. Never. Can you imagine? No, Can you imagine, though? If, you could, go, if yes. you could buy a kilo of high grade for 200 bucks, and that's the markup at the store, you know, right. that, you know people would yeah. say, hey, this bud is so good, I'm not even going to grow anymore because it's 200 bucks and I'm lazy. This is easy yeah. to get a sack. You know, well, the, uh, the high grade, look, the high grade, real high grade stuff. I mean, honestly, I think it should be worth more what, than what you can get for it, but it's not, it's not like that. So I don't know if, if it goes lower. Super high grade. If people want to have, you know, deluxe brands, and they want to say, I paid a thousand bucks a gram for this weed and I'm going to roll it in the gold leaf and smoke it. I can be my guest. You know, I've got nothing against that. Like, I think that's great, but that's not my dream as a grower is to bring them what I consider the best of the best, but for the price, you know, less than the price of a poacher rolling tobacco, you know, it mm -hmm. should be, we can do it. You know, we can do it as long as we can do it in the wide open. But if, you know, the tax is where they're killing people, you know, and <laughs> that's where your price will never go down. In Canada, it's a minimum dollar a gram. is a minimum on the excise tax, just the excise, not counting any of the other taxes that are involved. But if it's a minimum dollar a gram, it can never be cheaper than the price of a pack of cigarettes. They've guaranteed that cigarettes will be cheaper than cannabis by virtue of an unequal tax. It's a total double standard because by weight, they tax it in a different way. So it's not taxed. You know, the cannabis is taxed by weight much more. It's brutal. The double standard is it's really brutal. I think we're going to like that. Well, I was going to say, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Ahead, actually, yeah. there's a there's a horrible lag with everybody. Go ahead, Putin. I was no, going to say, um, on that note, is there um, you actually are one one of the best people to ask this question. Um, there's so many different tax rates, and you actually have a chance to deal with all the different tax rates in many different countries simultaneously. Um, the United States just proposed as high as a 25 percent. Well, it would move to a 25 percent tax. Um, what is the taxation point that you think is kind of the the breaking point, 25% um, to me is flat out extortion. Um, that's not remotely reasonable. And it to me means that the politicians aren't serious about getting this bill passed is what it tells me. But um, I would love to hear your thoughts on what the, the total federal taxation rate should be to actually make it work. And I don't mean like all of us being wishful thinking like, dude, it should be zero. Like, yeah, we all fucking know that. 
Um, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, what is the point that, like, the industry will sustain itself without just being a blind gift to the black market? Because when I see stuff like that, to me, is Is there a federal sales tax or the state? Yeah, yeah, they want to move, started at 10% and moved to a 25% over the course of a few years. No, but not for cannabis, for for pizza or anything else. Oh, oh, what what is the federal? Uh, you, most states, it's like six to eight percent. There's I no guess, federal sales more. tax. So, for example, my state has no sales tax because there's no federal sales tax, and we have none. So that seems uh, almost every <laughs> other state has their own sales tax. The forty-eight <laughs> states, like we, uh, Oregon and Delaware, I think, are the only places that don't have sales tax. Okay, so um, I, you know, I have never dealt with any of the places in the state, so I don't know what those numbers are down there, but I think. You've got the best one for sure, but the uh, in Canada they have what the, well they had a harmonized sales tax where they combined the federal GST with the provincial PST and they had the HST and I think they've backed off on that, but I honestly don't even know for sure. The uh, I have not been getting out much, but the. Uh, I think just using whatever, if they if they have to do it, which they obviously seem to have to do, they just treat it like a normal consumer product. Don't it doesn't need a syntax, just treat it like a regular product. And and you know the punitive taxation rate's really insulting because you know this has been a gross injustice, you know a travesty, you know absolute tragedy a fucking century you know and and they owe you know, reparations to their victims in my mind it's not a question of how much are we going to let them milk us so much as like why are we letting them get away with it because you know they've they're you know by legalizing it they're acknowledging it shouldn't have been illegal and now they want to punish us further for it by making us pay you know double what you're paying now or whatever because those 25% taxes are on top of grossly inflated costs of production because the costs of compliance are so high you know so it's not like going to get it from the farmers market you know where you know there's a the guy goes sets up a table pulls out his lugs he's got a bunch of big spears and sells them like corn on the cob for a dozen. Here you go. Here's your dozen tops for $2, you know, thanks for coming out. But you know, that's, (laughs) that's the one extreme, right? Where you could have it just sold like cobs of corn at honors, honor tents at the side of the highway, you know, for crying out loud, it doesn't have to be, you know, like dealing in plutonium or something. But I mean, everything that every time I hear you say that, uh, and you, you, you've been talking about basically, there's two different ways to look at it. You could look at it as like a low tox, a low cost intoxicant, right? And uh, Clackamas Coot, our friend Clackamas Coot comes on here all the time, and he talks about the, um, the brotherhood of eternal love and uh, the orange sunshine and the extremely inexpensive LSD. It was like 10 cents a pop or whatever. You could get like a sheet for a dollar. I can't remember. Just this ridiculously yeah, inexpensive they want thing. to turn on the world, not milk it. Right? But they got the hammer of God tossed <laughs> at them, basically, as a result of that. And I was thinking to myself, 
it's oddly that how do I put this? Uh, uh, every single intoxicant that ever does get legalized, there's very few of them that have been legalized, but at least I know alcohol, and I guess that's pretty much it. It's always priced at a, at a, at a level that it's somewhat expensive. So I was just thinking to myself, like if you made weed inexpensive, wouldn't they just tax it so that it would be expensive again? So that the, this intoxicant well, is expensive. I mean, based on history, I don't, know, I don't know who's the they, of course, but that's uh, true. anytime it's ever um, They like to tax the shit out of anything and they will, they will Cheers, grind everybody. the producers down with the high taxes. Cheers. But they'll they'll grind down the producers with the high taxes, and they'll you know to milk the public further, because they'll say this guy will tolerate paying forty dollars a two four for beer, or whatever. So we know the producer can stay alive at ten bucks, but we'll charge him seventy five percent tax, so it's forty. You know, well, yeah, not exactly, but you know what I mean. The uh, um, the tax on alcohol is very stiff in a lot of countries, including Canada. But I think in the, in develop, or, you know, any of the welfare states, let's say, you know, like the Scandinavian countries and that, and they tax alcohol very high. So, you know, bottles of vodka are expensive there because uh, alcohol is more damaging to people's health, whereas cannabis is not. And it's really unfair to lump them together because one is a beneficial herb that you know you can live a long time just marinating in the stuff whereas if you're marinating in tequila you your best before dates rapidly approaching and uh, i think there's even something different there but the uh are you in bogota or where are you? you're just driving through bogota yeah I thought so. I was like, that's cool. Yeah, I want to go check out my new office. Since, <laughs> since I've been down there, we've moved. And it's on uh, 115th, I think, 115th. You're a little ways away. <laughs> but it's different. Our, our last office was, our last two offices, which was our first one and the last the one we just had, were in old, uh, you know, British built. Bogota from a couple hundred years ago, like 200 years ago, maybe with the, they're all uh, Tudor stone, you know, brick places with beams. And it looks kind of like a old British house. And then now we're in the penthouse of a glass tower on the 27th floor with a helicopter pad on the roof. So you can skip the traffic and get <laughs> right to the airport. So that's pretty sweet. But, uh, yeah, I miss Bogota. I do, and and I'm not a huge Bogota fan, even though I I've spent a lot more time there than I ever intended to, because administration becomes a big part of these types of businesses. But you know, it's a cooler place. Um, but of course, there's no forest fires around there, which is very appealing right now, and uh, it's. You know, it's a comfortable temperature. It's not really cold. It's not really hot. The hottest I've ever seen it there is maybe 25, and the coldest I ever saw it was about two really? Celsius. Yeah. So the uh, so it's pretty mild. Most of the times it's in the teens in the afternoon, and you oh, get yeah, uh, that sounds perfect. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, but I like it a little hotter. I'm happy in the 30s. Your mid 30s are fine with me. 
and even the high 20s, but you don't even get the high 20s there, right? Like 25 was record hot day, and you'd be out soaking it up. But it's a, a neat town. There's lots happening. It's very vibrant and really a big city. You know, there's like 10 million people there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of stories. Eh? Yeah, there is, you know, and uh, you go into any of the nurseries, maybe not every single one, but most of the plant nurseries actually have cannabis plants. <laughs> and uh you know for sale with the palms and the ferns and everything else because you, can, always, you said everybody can grow like 20 plants right yeah right and often it's not the nursery doing it it's some of the employees that are doing a little sideline and putting some of these plants in there so i would walk in and see it and i always play dumb and just say which is easy for me but i go in and just be like oh what's this you know and and they say, oh, that's uh, marijuana. Like, oh, and, well, what kind of marijuana? And they say, that's mango biche. I say, well, what, what do you do with it? And the lady would be like, you know, you can uh, put it in your whiskey. Decorative. And when you drink it, it's good for you. Some people <laughs> like to smoke it. And I'm like, really? Gosh, hey, how much do you sell these for? And he's like, oh, yeah, $5, you know, right in their pocket, you know. You say, you can take that. You don't have to pay it in the front and take that, you know. So I just laugh my ass off. I get back and uh, put it in the window at the office, and a week later, I've got a mail. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, like, yeah, like, but I laugh so hard. I walked through one market, and there was like this plant seller that had mostly orchids. But then on this top shelf, she had like six males in full bloom, like yellow pollen on the shelf. There was just pollen all underneath them. I mean, they are pretty plants. And I was like, oh, what are those? And, and she's like, they're marijuana. And I was like, oh, really? Does that, that's, people smoke that. She's like, yeah, they smoke that. They get really high. I'm like, that. They get really the high. Ones. Yep. I have my doubts. You know? But it's so funny to see, you know, that, right. uh, because it has just sort of become, you know, there's, it's not socially acceptable in all circles, but certainly amongst a lot of people it is. And it's kind of funny because still some of them will sort of hide their use from one another, but then other ones, of course, they're like us, they're just shameless and their balconies covered in it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I first moved to Vancouver, I had a big balcony, it was one of the selling features of that apartment I got. And I had 40 plants on it the next summer. I moved there in the fall, but the next summer I had 40 plants on this balcony on a main street. It was at the corner of Broadway and U. And <laughs> it wasn't legal yet, you know? And there was people waving from the windows from across the street, and people going by in buses. And going, <laughs> I was just howling. I was like, I just don't give a fuck. And I was just going for it. So it was really a hoot, but I mean, when you're young and crazy, you you know, you don't have as much to lose. Nowadays, you know, we've worked long and hard so that we can do it without looking over our shoulders. Not that I was. I was just just putting it out there and doing it and just, you know, throwing it on the goodwill of the universe that that part of town, people were uh, more hip, let's say, you know. So, it, but Vancouver overall is not a cannabis-hating town. At the, at the worst... You know, there's not so much the people that hate it as they're just ambivalent about it. You know, so they're either chronic users, occasional users, or 
or they just re- don't really give a fuck about it, right? So even in even back then, and probably long before, because that was kind of a hippie outpost that part of town. So I just said, well, a I moved to BC because nobody was in jail for growing there. It was the only place in Canada where nobody was in jail for growing, and they would just get fines. I said, well, I sure didn't want one, but I still was like, well, if I don't have to risk going to jail, I'm sure going to grow a lot more than I would have where I'm somewhere where they lock you up for one plant, which was other parts of Canada, right? So you got one plant, you were going to jail. That's no fun, right? I have no, you know, I did my best to stay out of there. And and I did move around to places where it was acceptable to do it, you know, or at least tolerated and uh, just went for it. But the it was legal when I went to Switzerland to do it because they just had never made a law against it. It made laws against how it was used, but the cultivation of it wasn't illegal and there was no license. So that was really the best of all worlds where you had legal, not licensed. And that was how it should be. And I hope, or I'd hope the rest of the world would be like that by now where it was an on issue, you know, and you could sell it by the kilo at the farmer's market. Nobody give a shit. But you couldn't sell a joint and you couldn't sell hash. But people could buy a kilo from you and take it home and make it into whatever they wanted. That's what they do at home is up to them, right? So it was really sweet that you could just grow it wide open, sell it wide open, but you couldn't have a hash bar. Because that was their way of saying to the neighbors, hey, this is in Amsterdam. There's no hash bars, but Swiss botanicals are sacred. We're not making plants illegal. That's a slippery slope. So it was like the last same place where they just said, we're not making plants illegal, you know? And when they did, it was really, uh, you know, too bad. And now they've come back and made cannabis legal for medical use there, at least, and maybe even adults. But they, I'm not certain on their the latest incarnation of the Swiss regs, but I know it's moving ahead there in some ways. But they also have a potency cap, I think, of like, and I can't remember exactly, but I think it might be 24% or 22% or something like that. And you just think, why, you know, dictate what the plant's chemistry is? Like, what other plants do you do that for? Like, I can't think of any, you know, that's just ridiculous. It's redundant. It's like, imagine saying, well, you can grow grapes to make wine, but you can't grow grapes that get to be 25 bricks, you know? Well, who the fuck cares, you know, just let the grape be a grape and you be a fucking whatever you are. It's not somebody that's regulating what the plants are supposed to be doing. Because trying to, you know, it's putting the square peg in the round hole when they go, oh, cannabis should be legal, but only this type of cannabis. <laughs> oh, fuck. Just leave it alone already. It's either a problem or it's not, and it's not. So, you know, you don't have all these busybodies that have to make enough regulations to employ enough inspectors to make a, a big bureaucratic red tape fuck fest. It's too much. These people got to leave us alone at some point and say, geez, just do your thing. And, uh, you know, if they're going to tax you on income, tax you on income. If they're going to tax you when you spend by uh, EVA or whatever kind of sales tax, tax you when you spend it. I could see. A place doing better, you know, uh, as much as I don't approve of the concept, but the, if, a, if a nation state was to charge a sales tax, but not an income tax, 
they're still getting everything that's spent and it's still relative to, you know, the people that are spending more are going to be paying more tax. So, I mean, a flat 10% sales tax on everything seems, you know, or maybe not on basic goods, but really I'm not a fan of the, the tax model, anything. I'm a voluntarist and I think, you know, if you want to support open hospitals or whatever you want to do, that's charity, that's separate, you know, but if they take three quarters of your year in tax, then that's supposed to be your charity substitute. But in reality, they're spending it on all this stuff you wouldn't want them to anyway, such as a drug war or another war or the usury of banksters, you know, that all this tax goes, it's not just going to fund hospitals and schools, you know, it's, you know, they just abuse us. And they, I think, um, I don't like to encourage the state <laughs> and it, they want to, you know, make cannabis, you know, we said legalize it. Lots of us said legalize it and tax it. Nobody said legalize it and tax it more than anything's ever been taxed. Like for fuck's sakes, what kind of, you know, pushovers do they think we are? Like really? Well, they did that in been... Washington for alcohol. Uh, alcohol was a liquor control state. Oregon is still a liquor control state. So every liquor store, actually, the, the alcohol is owned by the state. So the prices are sort of, uh, well, way higher than California and so, and so forth. In Washington, it was, you know, Costco and Target and the grocery store unions that basically kind of uh, uh, lobbied, I guess, to, to uh, legalize the, the, you know, open sale, basically, in grocery stores, kind of like they had in California. So I guess the, the state legislature allowed the sale because I think it was a state initiative. I don't know, Cascading, you might say it a little bit better. It was a few years ago, but they slapped like, I don't even remember, $30 worth of taxes on every bottle. So the same bottle, like I, I've, I'm a Costco fan. So I'll go to Costco in California and they'll have prices on, on, on their Costco vodka, for example. It'll be like a $20 bottle. It'll be $57 in Washington. And, and it, it's itemized too. So you'll see the, the, the taxes they put on there. You know, they just definitively put it on there. That's brutal. But yeah, I, I really think that they feel like we are just animals, to, like a herd to be milked, you know, and they, the more they despise a certain group, like cannabis aficionados, the more they want to tax us, you know, that they just think, hey, we can get away with it. These losers will fucking pay 30% tax on their extract, you know, like the problem is they're right. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of people that'll fucking do it. So for those of us that say, you got to be joking, I'm not going to buy your $100 rosin and I can squish a bit at home. I don't mind doing a few chores to, you know, have it for next to nothing. And I enjoy doing that. You, the, the idea of paying 100 bucks a gram for their extracts, and I'm not joking, they've had it for over 150 a gram you know, for rosin. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if you've just heard about it and you've got more money than brains and you think I've got to try this rosin stuff, what's this all about? But on some level, you got to say, if you dab a gram of rosin a day, you're not paying 150 bucks a gram for it. That's, you know, I'd have to get a job. That's not on, that's not happening. You know, the, <laughs> it, it would be easier. And this is what I figured out a long time ago when I realized I need, I would need to, you know, as a university student, it's like, 
if I'm not buying a quarter or buying an ounce to swing a few quarters, I can't smoke a quarter a day. Turns into if I'm growing, if I'm not growing my own, I'm not fucking. I don't have to swing quarters, <laughs> you know. And then I've just got my own, and that's really all I want. And so, as long as you're feeding your head, you can find other ways to make a living. But but if I had to pay retail for weed, I always would have needed to make more money than I was making, you know. So I thought this is stupid. I would rather not have a job, just grow some weed. You know, if I needed to pay some bills or whatever you did, but the uh, but really, you know, growing weed to feed the head was sort of the main thing anyway, because that would have been my biggest expense, you know, probably more than rent if I was paying for retail weed the way I smoked, because I like the real fat news, <laughs> and God knows, I plowed through, you know, untold amounts of dope in my day, and the... Uh, it was always like, man, if I had to pay retail, this shit would cost a fortune to go through it like this. But as it is now, I don't think anything of it. If I'm having a Cuban cigar, I'll twax it with a gram of rosin just because it doesn't cost me anything, you know? If I paid 150 bucks for that gram of rosin, I don't think I'd be twaxing the cigar with it, you know? But I don't give a fuck because I don't look at it like money. I just look at it like a puddle of sauce that I'm supposed to have, you know? And... uh you, you know, you start to normalize it that way and don't look at it like it's this forbidden substance that should have a high exorbitant cost when you realize it's a plant resin. It could be like pine tar. You know, how much is a gram of pine tar? You know, for fuck's sake, like, let's get real. This is. And how many, when a cop pulls you over, do they, they look, sniff in the window? Ah, sir, I, I think I detect the aroma of pine tar in here. I don't think so. <laughs> Keep keep the pine tar in those little glass jars, and then let them send that to the lab. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good keep one. all your keep all your used jars, fill them with pine tar, and then put them around your car. And yeah. then they can go. Oh, we found this guy had a hundred grams in his trunk. You know, well, Super terpy, bro. Pine tar, you fucking idiots. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good idea, I think. Anyway, but there's you didn't hear you know, it here first. You just heard it somewhere else. <laughs> but you guys, I'm gonna get rolling. Thanks it's been a so it's been, Cheers, Brother Steve. It's been a hoot, yeah, man. We've chatted in a long time, and yeah, you man. guys enjoy the rest of your evening. Cheers. Welcome back anytime. It's been an absolute delight. Cheers. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, man. Have a great night, Good guys. Thanks again. Bye, bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, some of you know that we uh, we keep going for a little bit longer. I don't know. We'll. We'll go for a couple more joints or something. Maybe yeah, the, the midnight hour, maybe. Uh, I've got some uh, some photography work to do, finishing up just a little bit of harvesting left. Um, I was surprised to find that. Oh, I guess I didn't have a chance to talk about it. Fuck, what an epic interview with Reader Steve. Jesus H. Christ. It's rare that you get to talk to somebody like that. Um, all the shit he said was incredible. In fact, let's just process that before I talk about my stupid pictures. Uh, Look how cool is that, honestly? You guys been doing it for how long? It's kind of scary when he talks about uh, uh, releasing seeds at scale. I'm like, holy shit, like, what kind of scale? Like, is he going to bury everybody? Probably. Like, probably almost everybody. But we'll see. Really interesting to hear about... Uh, you always forget this because it's, it's just so difficult to visualize climates unless you're there. Like, uh, Coot was talking about Nepal not too long ago, and here was... Uh, uh, Breeder Steve talking about uh, Colombia and 
you know, I had this assumption that Colombia was a little bit like Brazil or something. Even Brazil is a huge fucking country, so there's probably a, a variety of climates. But I was thinking like Rio de Janeiro or something, you know, I don't know. Like I was thinking like jungle weather. And he's like, no, man, it's basically what you would like. It's like Santa Monica. You know what I mean? He's describing like perfect weather. It never gets too warm. I mean, for some people, that's terrible, of course. But for me, like never gets too warm, never gets too cold, like rain some of the times. Like, wow, sounds awesome. You grow weed there pretty much all year round. Sign me up a little bit. Funny to hear that kind of stuff, right? Because you just, you, I don't know, you wouldn't think about it unless you go there. What do you think, Cascadia? I've had friends that went to, um, I forget what is it called, Belize. And loved it. It sounds better than the overtaxation here, but. Uh... I don't think I'll ever make it that far. I think I'm here for life. I don't know what they're going to do with this Fed tax, though. That's going to put Washington somewhere between 50 to 65% tax by the time it goes from production floor to the consumer's hands. So that's How do you homegrow when they're taxing it like that? That's my concern. Like They're going to eliminate homegrow because that's the simplest. Like they did in Washington. Like, oh, you want your legal uh, booze in the store? Fine, fuck you. But uh, which I guess I'm combining two different things. But whatever. I, this is my assumption that they will honestly just ban home grow and say, all right, you can get whatever you want at the dispensary. It'll cost you, but you can get it there. Yeah, it's wild, man. I don't know. Is it too cynical? I hope it's not too cynical. Canadians haven't made Greeny Houdini the same. Do we with our four huge plants? Yeah, that's that's for that's true freedom. Four plants. <laughs> like you're saying, like maybe if you group. So if you grew perpetually, I'm just I'm just thinking this for the first time. And you had four plants, and you started one a month. That gives you a three month veg time. How big could you get a plant in three months? Nope, that gives you a two-month veg time because you're going to flower it for two months. We're going to breed, uh, this is 10 years from now, Cascading. We're going to be using uh, uh, Breeder Steve's uh, perpetual uh, lemon gas machine. No, Oh, whatever. It's a plant, basically. We're going to figure out the Turk profile later. But it uh, grows ripe red tomatoes, essentially, but they're wheat. And it just grows them nonstop. Until you basically cut it down. It has a lifespan. Oh, good old weed tomatoes. A weed tomato. Good old weed tomatoes. Yes, the weed tomato. In fact, uh, they hired yeah, that's what I wanted a little to, bit of a rat tomato. I wanted to ask him if he had worked on anything like that um, Reunion Island one that's supposed to re-veg. I was going to ask him about that, and I forgot. Um, I'm going to take off, though. I'm in Georgia working on a farm out here, so it's really late where I am. So. Good, dude. I'll catch you guys. Later. Uh, thanks very much for hey, having. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for hooking that thanks up. For getting, thanks for getting yeah. uh, Breeder Steve on here, man. Cheers. We'll have to bring some more cool people on too. Yeah, man. Cheers, yeah. Always fun. Have a good Cheers. one. Don't forget the the peaches. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're we're a little bit losing people like flies. So uh, unless yeah, you hop on, uh, we might do last call. We're gonna see how it goes here. Uh, the rules are a little bit uh, looser now that Breeder Steve's gone. Uh, don't be a dick. Don't show your dick. Uh, still, yeah, stands. still stands. Still stands. Still stands. That's the one. Uh, Engine is uh, a perfect rule, man. Don't be a dick. Don't show your dick. Makes it very uh, easy. If it really fits. It really fits. 
if you're not a dick, it's not going to be hard. If you, if you don't even have a dick, you know, like half the people are listening. They're like, well, that's not going to be hard for me at all. You see? Not hard to freaking beat this one. Just don't be a dick. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, come on, folks. You know you want to. You want to. You know you want to come hang, shoot the bull. This is a conversational show, man. If you guys don't come and conversate, then uh, I don't know. You could do something else, I guess. Because I mean, like I conversational know. shows, like I don't know, maybe somebody else is conversating or something. I don't know. You said, yeah, man. Jimmy, you said you had some photography you had to clean up still. I was babbling. Yes, I was babbling about, uh, and I changed the subject in the, in the middle of my babbling. Yeah, I still have that. Uh, I have the little cola with the, the little gutation and stuff. I want to take more pictures of it. Oh, and I forgot to, to show you guys that picture. Oh, that cool. like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, shit, I got to I gotta take a picture of this. Well, actually, I had to take like 50 pictures of it. That was kind of quiet. Are you leaning away from the mic? Am I too quiet? Dang it. There we go. I'm just always picking people's brains when I can about different things, and I know you're a photography guru, so. This is, um, can you guys see that? I hope you can see Yeah, that. man. Yeah. This is a stacked image. I don't know which part of the image you guys can see, because I guess you guys are. Is this the one you made the post about earlier today? This is from earlier today, yeah. So this was about, if I had to do it again, I would probably have started the image a little bit earlier. Actually, I would have probably just cropped it a little bit more. Is this the one that I did crop in a little bit more? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, of course, kind of nice. Uh, so what was I going to say? Like, uh, to do this, you basically have to start, like, I mean, there's probably 50 different ways, but the way I did it is on a manual slider. Uh, this is an extreme macro. So you guys see how the trichomes are so big, basically. This is like three to one, two and a half, three to one magnification. I can't remember, honestly. It, it doesn't get right written down in that lens, but it's about that. The depth of field is tiny like not even one trichome would be in focus like half a trichome would be in focus so you basically have to take like 40 pictures and just pick the focus forward 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 or i guess you could do it the other way backward 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 just a tiny 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 little bit at a time and then you combine them all and it turns into a stacked image i know i just lost you guys all but i thought it was cool fuck y'all no i uh, no, i that one i get that one i get i totally get a stacked image with you on that one yeah and then the fun thing about it is that this is the cannabis gutation. We were talking about this last week with Smashed, uh, and I was like, oh, fuck, I just saw some. So I was like, oh, I got to see. I got to take a picture right away. This was like some sap coming out of the, 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 the leaf. It's still there. So I want to take like a sideways one. Minutes to do or half hour oh, to do and, or and, and I'll have you, Fumidor, on the uh, listen back. I got the anamorphic lens. So I got it on the listen back when I listened <laughs> to it. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's a new company. Uh, they just had a video the other day. Talking, oh, my, my session. There's like a cheaper anamorphic lens company from California now. And uh, this is of no use to us of any kind. This is this is literally like just just West Engine and I are just kind of like we're like oh what is this? This is fun. I don't know. Just nobody here needs to buy anamorphic lenses. I can't even find their brand name right now. Whatever. But instead of spending like West Engine, you'd be happy to know instead of spending like forty seven thousand dollars, you can spend like seven thousand for three now. Isn't that an well, incredible that deal? Seems more reasonable. It's more reasonable. It's still something that you will still way really never yeah, use, no, but. No. Uh, it's fun to know that you could. The weird thing is that there are people that spend more money on lenses than that. Like they're like like a nerds, like basically 
when you say that, you basically yeah. say doctors and lawyers, uh, dentists, more dentists actually that buy them. They'll literally buy like an $11,000 like a lens. Yeah. It, it, like I said, they have like a, like a service too. So they, you know they have the, they usually take and it, it is like a gear the, too. They usually buy the Leica lenses and take pictures of their other Leica lenses with the Leica lenses. Uh, how creative. <laughs> What's up, Gorski? Cheers, but Not well, much, man. How you doing? Do you like to Hi, take guys. pictures of your Leica lenses with other Leica lenses? <laughs> you can take a picture of a Leica lens, taking a picture of a Leica lens, taking a picture of a Leica lens, and then basically... Well, to have the picture of all my Leica lenses, I had to take it with my Sigma lens. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count anymore. Now I'm just thinking it's like human centipede, but with Leica lenses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am okay. back shooting with my cheap lens again. <laughs> uh, maybe it's like... Um, like it maybe it's like a uh maybe it's like a like a like a like a, like a, like a, like a. For, for, for light basically you accelerate light just in a big circle just but, but it's like a lenses in one big circle yeah oh, shit. Well, that like was like an awesome episode by the way <laughs> i i didn't want to i didn't even want to say anything i just wanted to sit there and listen the whole time i love when steve breeder steve talks he's just he's not political but he, when he says stuff that is political it's just it's it's very poignant. I, it's like it makes me feel kind of dumb. Every once in a while, it, he uh, it puts a little bit on his website and stuff. He's, uh, I think, um, I don't want to miss. Uh, uh, it's a form of corporate anarchism. Uh, what's the fucking word for it? I can't think of it. He's super articulate, anyways. When when he talks, he's super articulate, and he, he and he really he's really captivating when he when he speaks. Like he, he's, yeah, no. Yeah, and then he adds fuck. I was just like, he just said genius stuff, and then he swore too. I'm like, and it fit. I could, I can't do that. Uh, where the fuck did he say it? Oh, maybe it was on his blogs. I was going to ask if he was like, so do you have like a waiting list for apprenticeships, or do you have a waiting list to become an employee of yours? I, I don't know. Would any, would any of you guys move to the equator and, and work with Breeder Steve? I just wanted to hear I was making this up. You're like, well, don't make fun of Breeder Steve, man. Well, here's his fucking website, by the way, before you guys, uh, before Cascadian talks. Uh, this is from his blog, Beyond Democracy, Parallel, Parallel Governments, Ideas for a Better World, da 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 uh, Beyond Democracy, Parallel Governments, The Orderly Ascent to Anarchy, which is not always necessarily a bad thing. Those people are not always crazy people. Complex point, whatever. Cascading on to you. Uh, he's he's just he's got one of those voices that's just inherently like calming and relaxing. I'd love for him to do like an audio book of like a get ready for bed story. I wouldn't care. <laughs> like, the like, topic doesn't care. matter. Just just read something, dude, and let me uh, children's books or just <laughs> yeah. those relaxation yeah. ones. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, he just talks about his grow just softly and quietly. Like, <laughs> no, you're closing your eyes. And the smell of pinkleberry in the background, you know, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Nine out of 50 seeds germinated. <laughs> There's a little bit of shrimp on this end. Yeah. How's, how's the website going, Fumi? How's, how's sales, man? Okay. Uh, probably should have sold out. Lower, but they're doing all right. It hasn't sold out yet, but it's building. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I, I, well, when I went on there a little while ago, I saw the, the, I apologize, but the product at the bottom was already sold out. So, uh, uh what's her name? Uh, that's on purpose. The, um, 
be allowed to go to the bat. I can freaking stone, apparently. Uh, every pack, every 10 pack of seat wife, well, I haven't even put five packs up yet, uh, but every 10 pack right now, uh, the 10 packs will continue to have this freaking deal. Uh, every 10 pack will get a pack, a five pack of the uh, Silago the Bat, which that's the only way to get it, by the way, is to get the 10 pack. Uh, that's the Bedrock Boogie one by Ruby Jack. And so I basically put it like it's it's there, but it's not like for sale. So it's like, ah. I, there's, it's kind of annoying. It's an, an annoying, like learning growth pains and whatever else. Uh, I sent that one out. That was actually one of the first testers that I sent out because I had a bunch of seeds of it. And then, like, I think even I harvested that plant first. And on and on and on. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm super excited to send this plant out. Uh, and then the Dune movie was coming out. And then they got, you know, postponed. So I was like, oh, my God, I guess send me uh, seeds. So I sent them out. And right away, I got some, like, bad news. Right away, people were like, oh, my God, the plants are stupid or something. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, shit, I'll send Morgana. And so I sent a ton of Morgana. And I sent a little bit of Dread Persephone. And so now I know to send more of everything to everyone instead of you know specific people i was trying to tailor it more and it didn't it didn't work out as well as i wanted to so basically uh some of the silago information got way freaking delayed until now and now like a lot of the people actually kept growing it and wouldn't you know it it was freaking delightful so like the ones that i did send out it was really delightful and it's like been tested now and on and on but because right at the beginning there were some freaking problems i was like yeah i'm not stuck gonna release it at all uh but i'm gonna release it as a like a freebie basically like a freebie tester we'll call it it's been tested it's like a regular line blah 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 but it's just like a freebie basically um and the only way to get it i figured is the the 10 pack so i don't know i just i figured that was a way to establish it like uh i was thinking for the longest time about like uh, what price to set stuff at i was going to price stuff lower and then i was going to price stuff well i was going to price it higher honestly but then you know people few people in the chat whatever i did my little bit of market research and i was like all right this is the way that i'm going to set my freaking bellwether and that's how I freaking said it. I probably shouldn't say all this shit out loud, but I'm stoned. And, uh, I, think that's, uh, I think that's pretty good. I think you should maybe throw up uh, like a, maybe do like, if they get three packs, uh, $75 a pack or something. That worked. I don't mind that at all. At all. Yeah. I got to figure out how I would do that, though. That's my next point. How do so, I something, something, like, something like I that. I mean, individual like... discounts, but I don't know that I can do. Okay, that's going to be something I have to do homework on. Um, or collabing with Castadian, right? You got you got those vegetable seeds too, man. I've I've watched you on a couple of shows, by the way. So big ups, dude. You got, you got, I I really like uh, watching you, by the way. I we haven't ever met before, but uh, I respect your work. And you were talking about vegetable seeds as well. So I just didn't know uh, how that's going. How, how, seeds. Yeah, how's that going for you? Yeah, it's, Cascadian. It, it started off pretty uh, pretty hot and steamy, and it's kind of cooled out now. But um, if you just think about the regular old gardening season, you know, we're kind of in the middle towards the end of it. We're looking at fall direct. So, but other than that, a lot of people are done spending their money on seeds for the year. Everybody thinks, Oh, it's spring. I got to start my plants. Like that's the big rush. So um, they're still for sale. They're still there. They're still, I don't know if you can see them from here. Yeah. All those big, <laughs> Those are all oh, wow. different seed varieties, and it goes all the way around the corner. Um, so this, they're still up. They're still for sale, but um, it's kind of chilled out a little bit. I moved on to uh, – well, I didn't move on, but I progressed into building these seed separators. Um, I don't know if you caught me talking about that at all, but I've been building plywood seed separators with a CPU fan, and it sips the seeds from the chaff, and – Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a couple of people actually um, 3D printing them as well. 
Yeah. I know if materials would be a little cheaper the way you're making them or the 3D printing, but yeah, it looks like a uh, great idea. Yeah, I, I don't know about price, but I think I still got them beat, you know? Not that it's a big competition or anything. It's just a side hustle, but mm -hmm. um, I've seen those too. They're, they're pretty neat. The whole the whole system, the whole setup's pretty pretty nice. Yeah, it was Mr. Toad. That, pardon me, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I yeah, was Mr. Toad. Yeah, he, he was showing it on his uh, Instagram or whatever. So he had like a seed cracker that he had printed, and then uh, chaff remover. I just I didn't know if you ever went down that vein to think about 3D printing, just manually building it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a bigger win for me to do it the way that I'm doing it. I just need to streamline the process so it doesn't take as much time. I need some more tools, basically. Um, and I actually enjoy working with wood, so don't we all? The, the progress, <laughs> the, the the process. And sorry, I was trying to type and talk at the same time. The process of uh, actually building them together i find to be therapeutic and i actually enjoy the measuring and the cutting um i really get kind of zenned out when i start sanding stuff so it's just the first thing that i'm making uh, i'm going to start making other things for sale locally benches and plant pots and uh, there's a decent amount of cedar here in the northwest so building cedar furniture or cedar planters or trellises or um there's a whole variety of horticultural things i can make and sell so I, i'm gonna work up into that but i thought seed separators would be a good place to start because i know a lot of people myself included that have a hard time trying to harvest all of the seeds that they make whether it's cannabis or otherwise because um, I'm into all the vegetables like you mentioned and then there's a couple hundred herbs that I also grow and harvest and forage and I've collected seeds from I mean everything from trees to pineapple weed that only gets like three inches tall so or um, broadleaf plantain which gets maybe six seven inches tall and I got dandelion seeds. I mean, there's all kinds of everything in between, dude. So being able to sort that out of the chaff that it comes in would be would be awesome. So that's how I got onto the seed separators and rigged up a little design that I actually found online. It's not like I came up with the design or looking to patent it or anything. It's been out in the in the interwebs for several years now. So I just modified it to fit my uh like product size so I, I had to change every dimension i had to totally go over the whole machine and modify the whole thing because i changed the size of it the overall size of it so it changes the angles it changes the spacing um but i'm pretty happy with it and i like putting it together so it's working for now sure sure you were I, uh, not to change the subject too much but uh you were talking about seeds but you had been working with some land races and making sure to keep them separated to make them make them like stay true to the the land race that it was. How, how's that going for you? They're they're bound to change a little bit just due to um, 
acclimatization, acclimation to my climate. Um, but I'm trying my hardest to keep the genetic diversity intact, which uh, I've also been on another YouTube show. I've actually got, well, I've got another set of presentations to do for the Operation Grow Show with Pete. Um, but on his platform, I've done a few presentations about various methods of breeding and illustrated the, the founder effect and the bottleneck effect, okay. both of which take place when you buy a pack of seeds. Um, so I'm inherently dealing with a little bit of that, which is why I'm always trying to find as many as I can, but I like to work with 25 to 50 seeds of a particular variety, if possible. I'll take more for sure, but um, for the land races, that's kind of a bare minimum, unless it's something rare or something I, I just I just can't get anymore. Um, because I'm trying to minimize that bottlenecking and founder effect that takes place just by taking 10 seeds out of the original environment you've only got 10 you know you've only got 20 genes um 10 from the mom 10 from the dad and those 10 seeds like you've only got that much out of this pool that was probably several hundreds of thousands if not millions of different genetic um combinations so just in doing that itself, you've already bottlenecked it. Um, so with that, I'm just trying to keep it as open as I can because the last thing I want to do is take those 10 and select one female and one male and bottleneck it even further because now I've really lost the point of it being a land race. Sure, the phenotypical expression, but at least you're still trying preservation instead of it just yeah. growing in the ground and being by itself. I, yeah, because yeah, it's like... As, as a person who politely places pollen on flower, you know, I, I find it funny when my friends that don't even breed or don't even do anything with it, it's like, oh man, you're ruining that. You, you got to save it. You got to do this. And I'm like, motherfucker, you don't even fuck with pollen. You kill all your males. So don't tell me how to do it. It's like in my house. It's not like I'm going out there, like talking plant. I'm actually trying to preserve something or doing something right. with it. So, you know, you can't get caught in that trap like Oh fuck! I bottlenecked it. It's like, well, at least you did something other than just smoke it. But well. right, there's also a small uh, distinction too, in that if somebody say so, like the Indian land race preservation dudes, uh, they go out, they get a bunch of seeds off the one or two plants in a whole field. That right there itself is a, a genetic funnel, and then they take that but but it's still a land race they're still pretty local to where the seed came from um but then they take that they put it in a package and they send it to the pacific northwest the most that i can i can hope for here in the long run is not to really keep their land race but i will have a an heirloom version of their land race because I've been bottlenecked so many times that it's been funneled down to such a small representation of this large gene pool. The best that I can hope for is an heirloom of what their original land race representation was. So in my best interest, 
it's and the, the plant's best interest to keep it going for the longest amount of time. I'm kind of behooved to not only keep as many males and as many females as I can, but to also breed them into different directions, into different lines within that heirloom. So I should have a, a one, a two, and a three, or an A, a B, and a C of any given heirloom. Because at any time, the A becomes uh, sluggish or doesn't like to germinate as well or hell you pop a bunch of seeds and you only get females you know um, not by um, not by anything funny happening but because the seeds are old a bunch of the seeds didn't pop and you had a hundred seeds but only 20 of them popped and they just all happened to be female on a bad luck of the draw well then I can take the B or the C that are still that same heirloom and save the genetics of the A by crossing it to the B or the C and keeping it kind of inbred, but open enough that I have that option. If you just breed them all into one line, you're like, I'm just going to save these all together. And then something goes south, you lose the whole line. But if you break it up into different traits or different expressions or different flavors and then you're able to bring those back together later you can keep the vigor going in the line for longer um where I, I might actually have the potential to give some of these to my grandchildren instead of just telling my grandchildren about them um so it's 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 a long-range sort of thought for me it's it's kind of reading for the future it's mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's, I like different. That. It's, it's like different than what I would do if I lived in, in a place where cannabis grew naturally, indigenously. If it was just there, that would be what I focused on. I wouldn't want anybody else's, anybody, anything to touch what I was working on because I'd want to keep it pure. But because I don't, I have to do these sort of heirloom projects because that's, that's just my passion. That's what gets me going. Um, makes my blood pump. So it's a different take. It's a it's a different outcome in the long run, but it's still worth my time and energy. So I, I get pretty jazzed up about it. Nah, you jazzed me up, man. I, I think that's pretty cool. I I'm a bit lazier. I just open pollinate the fuck out of everything I have. So <laughs> if I notice the expression or the smell, I, I have like a female cut per se, and then I have a male. I know how the male reacts. I know how the female reacts. And then when I make kids with that. I pop those seeds and then I can see both sides, but I don't separate them. I just put those in a room and then I do it with 50, 60 other plants. And then just, I'm off to the races, mixing everything all at once and then trying to find those expressions throughout. So uh, I guess that's my preservation madness. That's why I usually have the plant name and then MSM of the year I did it. So like mad science mix is the male. And the female, I know who it is. So I just, I guess I'm ready to sift for the next 20 years to find that. You know, you get what, yeah, you get it. You get it. I see your smile. So it's like, yeah, man, I'll fucking see it again. If I truly love it, set it free, I'll find it again. I'll find that bordello. I'll find that cookies. I'll find that GMO. But yeah, you know, maybe 20 years later. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, it might pop up after you've lost all faith or even forgot it existed. And now, bam, here it is. Yeah, I that did not find stem. any geese in anything I'm breeding. 
<laughs> What's that? I said I'm hoping not to find any cookies in anything I'm breeding. Well, it's in everything, bro. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, <laughs> very selectively breeding with cookies. I'm the only one that got a couple of <laughs> Everything else is pretty much Northern Lights. Well, all bad, but come on. So let's not now. kid ourselves. I'm... Right. Yeah, no, I'm I'm stuck on the Durban Poison. Uh, I really like the Durban Poison and. I, it was already mixed with Holy Big Sur when I got it, so that's that's my bread and butter. I really like the expression on that one. Um, so, but as I said, I haven't really separated anything except for when I first started making seeds. So in 2019 or 2018, really, I have like the beginning stock of the seeds that I got from the people. So if I ever wanted to go back to the well and start all over again, I could, but I find myself taking those seeds from 2018, growing those out and putting those in the mix too. So it's like, I'm freshening it up with the old stock, but I, I never know what's what at the end. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just, just one of those weird things I like to do. So I, all my seeds are just mixed up. But I have the original stock, so I guess if someone really was a stickler and was like, "Well, I only want this," it'd be like, "Well, you're gonna have to start it then, because I, I I don't have time for that shit." I'm getting ready to do 398 Bubba Kush pollinated with a. I'm gonna put it into an open pollination run of Northern Lights Number One. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be fairly related. I just I'm not exactly sure how. Bubba Kush came out of Northern Lights, but I'm fairly certain that they're not that distant rel- of relatives. Um, but that will give me a, a foundation to start a back cross project onto pre-98 Bubba Kush to put pre-98 itself in seed form, but also the initial cross will give me a pollen donor that I'm hoping to put on Thin Mint Cookies. So that's one of my selective cookie crosses is, is Thin Mint pollinated by Pre-98 Bubba Kush, Northern Lights number one. Um, which that one actually makes me really excited about because I'm chasing that Thin Mint cookie profile, but hopefully with a little more punch to the face and, and not lacking in the potency department that Cookies is usually known for. So I'm trying to take the potency of Bubba Kush and Northern Lights number one and the flavor of Thin Mint and put them together. Sure. So you're going for more flavor profile than structure? Because I hear Bubba 98 is kind of a pain in the behind to grow. I'll put it politely. But. It's It hasn't been that bad for me. Um, just grow it to the size that you want it before you flower it is what I've come to figure out because it doesn't stretch for all. Um but I'm, I'm having decent success keeping it around, cloning it, vegetatively growing it. And um, I've got it in flower right now. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll have some pictures to show up. Yeah, righteous. Katsu was on a program just a little while ago. I can't remember which one. I apologize. But yeah, he's, he's a really nice guy. I met him at the Indo Expo a couple of years ago and got a picture with him. That's my claim to fame. But he said he was 
doing it underground for 10 years, then took a 10 year hiatus and then came back basically 20 years later and started selling Bubba 98. So it was a pretty cool story. He said he didn't really make money off of it for 20 years. He just really wanted to smoke good herb at home and gave out as many cuts as he could. And that's why it got around as much as it did. And then finally, when I got to meet him, that's when he was making his bread and butter. So I didn't get anything except a handshake and a hug, which was fine with me. But I mean, shit, growing cannabis for 20 years before you make a lick, that's pretty intense. So it just gave me that idea of I should try really hard to give out as much as I can for as long as I can without making any money and see how long I can do it for. So that's kind of my whole thing with Bubba 98 or Katsu. Seems like he's really a genius when it comes to one love. I think he actually ended up getting his Katsu Bubba back too and not just the 398. Yeah, that that goes with the sharing it and it will come back to you kind of thing. Like Breeder Steve said, that that was a great question, by the way. I was like, son of a bitch, that was a good one. What did you regret not doing, baby? So good on good on you for asking that question. It really does teach us all that if we don't covet it, if we just truly embrace the herb, it will set us free. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty reflective by nature, so I tend to ask people questions that try to get them to reflect. So that was a it was a pretty cool answer for him to supply us all with that. Yeah. I didn't mean to bogart your show, Fumi. Sorry. Come oh, on. It's the um, conversation. Give me a chance to munch on some jelly beans. <laughs> what flavors? Uh, I went to, um, they have like a dispenser at Fred Meyer so you can pick your own. They didn't have like a wall of flavors, but they had at least my like two or three favorites. I've kind of gotten sick of the pear. I have to be honest. I thought like the pear is one of my favorite flavors normally. This pear is a little bit underwhelming. I mean, let's be honest, it's flavored with the orange ones are pretty alien good. livers or whatever. They didn't have any oranges. I, I would have actually uh, uh, jumped on those, but they did have cinnamon and bubble gum, which was actually really epic. The cinnamon, cinnamon, I don't like mixing good. them together, though. Like they're, they're just very much like I have to kind of pick them up. There's the cinnamon, there's the bubble gum. The bubble gums are cool because they've got little bits of bubble gum in them. So it's like a little bit chewy. It's also stupid. People probably listening to this, this from Europe, they're like, are you eating fumador? What the fuck? The uh, the pina colada one's another one of my favorites. I don't eat a lot of them, but I, I always. No, I used to like this when I was a kid, and somehow I stopped liking them. I don't know the the coconut pineapple, and uh, but you know what? I've stopped liking pina pina coladas in general. I don't know what it is. That's rough. I know, right? Such a <laughs> festive, like tropical thing. You know, it's the coconut. I've kind of soured a little bit on the coconut. Gotcha. A little bit too much, you know. I was going to ask if it was the coconut or the pineapple. It's the, coconut. the pineapple, yeah. Um, <laughs> like there was that song, Pine and Ginger. So I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to drink a pine and ginger somewhere. And it was actually really good. And, but then like I had a pina colada somewhere and I was like, no, that's not really good. I didn't like it. It's the <laughs> coconut, man. It's just I got over coconut somehow. You know, it's that weird creaminess that's kind of like in that uncanny valley. It's like it's not quite this. It's not quite that. It's like... Coconutty, it's just too much, man. Don't know whether to wash your hair or eat it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a little bit like the peppermint freaking toothpaste syndrome. You know, you're like, is this dessert or toothpaste? Right? 
Maybe. Perhaps. That's a that's a rough fate, right? When you um that's apparently why a lot of the rest of the world can't stand root beer. Because for them that's one of their like toothpaste flavors. So when oh, root beer got like, ruined. Beloved American root beer, like West Indies not Americans because like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? It's it's a thing that only Americans know. Uh, but a lot of <laughs> Americans are uh, <laughs> to root beer. <laughs> it was invented by Ben Franklin. Uh, <laughs> Bald Eagle. So assumptions. <laughs> Presumption. ah! <laughs> You're a little root beer here, you Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like the the Europeans are like, oh my god, it's gross. It, it tastes like toothpaste. So. Toothpaste. What kind of toothpaste do they use when it tastes like root beer? I need some root of that. beer. Root beer apparently, toothpaste. <laughs> I need. Why are they holding out on us here? I need some root beer flavor. All right. The the story of soda is really sad, though. Like, I, Dr Pepper. I don't know how many people drink Dr Pepper, but when I drank regular old soda I drink Dr. Pepper and if you ever look it's got the circle with the 23 on the can that's because originally Dr. Pepper's so soda bars used to be a place where you would get a a syrup turned into a drink by adding carbonated soda bicarbonate well you'd add carbonated uh, water to it but you had this syrup that you were starting with which is still how they make soda today. But the 23 comes from the fact that the actual Dr. Pepper was made with 23 different herbs. And it was made to be, uh, if I remember right, it was made to be a digestive, uh, I don't want to say stimulant, but a, a digestive concoction to help you um, start like prime start and make your digestive system work more efficiently so to think that it started with its roots in herbal medicine and now has been bastardized slammed <laughs> with sugar yeah. to the nth degree it's not it's not even sugar it's high fructose corn syrup um which i don't know if you've ever seen that be made but when Jimmy's show is over, definitely go check out how they make high fructose corn syrup, and you might change how you eat. Yeah, King it's Corn. Good. It's in King Corn was a good documentary about corn and how it's in everybody's system and and how they make it, and it's kind of like a secret recipe how to make high fructose corn syrup. It's a secret because if they told you how, you wouldn't need it because you need a you know protective gear to make something that you're then going to put in your body. Like it's it's nasty how they make it um but yeah it's just sad how it's been bastardized they've done that with root beer they did that with dr pepper they've done that with ginger ale like you know how hard it is to find a decent ginger ale and it's ginger ale it's a ginger syrup with carbonated water and you guys ruined it like how how did you ruin ginger ale how did you ruin root beer and Dr. Pepper? Those were all medicinal. I can't speak anything about Coca-Cola and their cocaine addiction, but um, <laughs> the rest of them were all medicinal in nature when they first started. So I just, as an herbalist, that shit rubs me wrongly because one of my favorite things to make are syrups. And then I love to turn them into sodas, but 
it sucks to walk through the grocery store and see this whole aisle full of, you know, the the dentist's houses and cars and sending their kids to school because that's all soda does. Is this just rots your teeth out and makes more work for the dentist. So anyway, I don't want to get too far on the soapbox, but it's good for Weight Watchers. It's good for several things. <laughs> It's just, I just started thinking about promethazine, so I just told I heard soda and syrup, and I just I don't know. I thought a little Wayne or something, but <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just it's horrible, man. What about herbal? You said herbalist, so you just I mean to talk about that a little bit. What? What's your favorite thing to do with herbs or what's your favorite herb other than cannabis? Cause that's an easy one. Um, so we had this, I, I went through a bachelor's program for herbal sciences and uh, we got to the end of it and they made us pick, you know, after they taught us over 300 different herbs, they made us pick the, the 10 that we would use if we could, if we, you know, desert Island thing, if you could only have 10 herbs, and you had to solve all these different sorts of conditions and issues that people have. And you had to do it with those 10 herbs and you're the only herbalist for the village. You know, what would your 10 herbs be? And we all had to pick 10 herbs. The whole, the whole graduating cohort had to pick 10 herbs apiece. And then they, uh, they took all of our lists and counter checked them to see the most common. And then they gave us like a group of 10 herbs for the whole group. Um, so that was kind of a cool practice. It's really hard to pick one because of that sort of assist, that sort of a thinking of, well, this herb would do this and this and this, but it wouldn't do this and this and this. And then this other herb would do those things that this other one wouldn't do. So um, difficult. There are a couple of herbs that I feel are sacred like cannabis is sacred um peyote is obviously a very special plant herb medicine um highly culturally important to the people that grew up with it so that one's kind of on that same level as cannabis to me but so is uh osha which is a the western united states root herb that's used um that one's probably one of my favorites it's called a in some some first nations tribes it's called the singing herb because when they would have uh for lack of a better term when they would have a powwow or a, a ceremony or a gathering uh, the men would get together and they would sing for hours and hours and they would chew on this root and it, it would keep their throat from getting sore while they were singing. So it quite literally is a singing herb, but it's also good for uh, the nose and throat, any sort of uh, issues you'd have in that region, whether it's a runny nose, stuffy nose, yada, yada. Um, but you called it OSHA? OSHA, yeah. There's there's technically seven different species up and down the West Coast that are used and called OSHA. They're all um, 
Legusticum. There's a the the most official one is Legusticum porteri, but up here there's also Legusticum cambii, and then there's five others that are all Legusticum species that all look very similar, have similar. They're all basically the same thing. There's just uh, regional nuances and and morphological traits that make them different species. But they all work as collectively as OSHA. So that that's pretty special to me. It's also quite um, protected, guarded. Um, the harvesting plots are are kind of like mushrooms or, or rare minerals and the, the harvesting spots are kept highly secret and passed down from generation to generation and, and kind of um, tended and loved. Like almost, some, some nations even see that they're loved like children, they're loved like relatives um, because it's that important. Like it's, it's that echelon, it's that level of respect for that particular plant. That's why I, I call it sacred. Um, so that's a pretty important one to me. Elderberry is, is also a, not quite sacred, but it's one of my favorites. Um, especially the European black elderberry is probably the, the best one, but there's an American black elderberry and a, a Western United States blue elderberry that are also pretty cool. But the European black elderberry is the one that's the most uh, useful for respiratory and nose and throat for, you know, common uh, ailments, all the things, the seasonal stuff. Um, so those are pretty cool. Uh, you can use both the flower and the, the berry but it's the berry that has the, the properties I was just talking about. The flower has different properties, but it's quite delicious. Um, calendula is another pretty important one. That's more of a skin herb. It'll help with all kinds of skin afflictions. Um, who else is on the list? Yarrow. Yarrow is one of the first herbs to be used and called an herb. It's been used for some 4,000 years in written text, not just used, but it's it has written text that goes back some 4,000 years. Um, ashwagandha, because I'm a man, it's a, it's a male adaptogenic herb. If I was a woman, I would probably be all over uh, is it called uh, Dongshen or? Um... Yeah, the ladies love Dongshen. What's the other one? Oh, there's another name for it that I'm. Oh, Narcotinopsis. So it's not Dongshen, it's. Um... Shit. My woman had slapped me right now if she was here. Good thing she's not here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I can Slappy see the herb. Woman. The I can see the herb. I just can't think of the name. It's all good, brother. It'll come to you when you least expect it. Can these be used with cannabis, like together? Like if you um, are they something that you got, you use separately, or if you made a tincture with cannabis, would you involve any of these herbs that you've spoke of? I tend to use cannabis as a as a specific, so I wouldn't necessarily put it in a blend. Um, but they're totally fine to use alongside. Like I could take ashwagandha tincture and smoke some weed and be just fine. Um, what the hell is the name of that herb? Anyway, um, it'll come to me. If it comes to me, I'll share it. If not, sucks to be you. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> It's a Chinese herb. That's why it's not coming to me, though. But so Tiger penis. Dongshan is <laughs> uh, also called Codonopsis. But the one I'm looking for will come to me and when it's meant to come to me. I just can't force it, apparently. Um, but Ashwagandha. So adaptogens <laughs> are really cool. I actually think cannabis is an adaptogen. Uh, ashwagandha is a male adaptogen herb that's often used in what they call uh, in India. It's, it's Ayurvedic. And um, it's used in what they call moon milk, which is a non-traditional name for a powder that is mixed with traditionally milk but I'm lactose, well, not lactose intolerant, but I don't drink milk. Um, I don't drink cow's milk anyway. But uh, they would, men would mix some of this moon milk powder into some cow's milk in the evening, warm it up on the stove and drink it kind of like hot chocolate, but it's not the flavor of hot chocolate at all. But that's similar to how they use it. And it, it helps to relax you and help you um, it doesn't put you to sleep, but it puts you in a state that allows sleep to overcome you. So it's, it's um, stress relieving, relaxing. And it's also the, the adaptogenic side of it is that it, it helps you to deal with mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical stress. Like some people like, particularly when I get stressed out, I hold stress in my shoulders. So I'll often have tight shoulders, tight back, sore neck. Um, it helps to relieve that physical manifestation of stress alongside feeling stressed in your head or being scatterbrained or being um, unable to go to sleep. A lot of people will get stressed out. They find that it's hard for them to go to sleep. And adaptogens are herbs that like no matter how much of this herb you take it won't kill you it doesn't do harm to you that's one of the qualities that makes adaptogens adaptogens another one is that it helps to return you to like homeostasis like it helps to balance you out and put you back where you're supposed to be um 
instead of like a lot of herbs will um, make something hotter or colder. Uh, like menthol is very cooling and that comes from like peppermint and that sort of thing where ginger is very warming. It warms your digestive system and helps stimulate, you know, peristalsis and um, the digestion of your food. It helps to stimulate an appetite. Um, there's plants where you can actually go out and touch the leaf and the leaf is cold. Like it, even though the sun is shining on it, I can go touch my ashwagandha and the leaves are kind of cool. They're not, they're not roasting in the sun. They, they've got the ability to stay somewhat cool, even though the environment outside is nothing, there's nothing cool about it. Um, so it's kind of counterbalancing the environment that it's being brought up in by remaining a little bit on the cooler side, even though it's hot. So it kind of helps to bring the body back into to balance that way. And the concept of an adaptogen is that you use it when you need it, but when you don't need it, you're not reliant on it. There's no addictive property. There's no um, withdrawal symptom. There's no, and at the same time, you can't really overuse it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt you that way either. Uh, so it's kind of a special group of herbs. And I, I find cannabis fits into that as well, because a, a lot of people, not just cannabis users, but a lot of people in general are not very in tune with their body and how things are working. And it's because we're not taught to be it's kind of kept from us so that we make more mistakes so that we feed the pharmaceutical industrial complex. It's, it's kind of why we're fed really bad food at really cheap prices to make us really, you know, they want to keep you not healthy, but not dead. They want to keep you somewhere in the middle by feeding you all this funny stuff and then giving you medicine that doesn't really, um, it solves the symptom and not the problem. So they're just trying to keep you in this, balance of not really alive, not really dead, not really healthy and not really uncomfortable. They're just trying to keep you in that middle area so they can milk you for all the money that you'll give them. Um, adaptogens, if you're in tune with your body, you'll come to realize that there's parts of the year, there's parts of the month, there's parts of your life, there's parts of anything else that's cyclical where you need more of it, but there's also parts of your life where you probably don't need it at all. Um, and that's to the general recreational user that doesn't have an illness or an affliction or a physical permanent, you know, handicap, or those are all extra conditions, but to the, just the average like Joe Blow that doesn't have anything wrong with them, uh, they don't have some overwhelming medical condition that changed their life. There's probably parts of their life where they feel like they would really benefit from cannabis. And there's probably days they would wake up and they could go all day and not even think about cannabis. Um, we don't tend to think like that because we're taught to overconsume. We're taught to overconsume our food, our media, our pharmaceuticals, our everything. So it tends to be true that we would also overconsume cannabis. Um, 
which only helps the state due to the taxes at this point. But because it doesn't hurt you, it hasn't become a problem. You know, if if they were legalizing cocaine and we had an overconsumption problem, they would have a little bit more issue with it. But because cannabis doesn't kill you, overconsumption is not an issue. They're not going to discourage it. So, um, anyway, in in that sort of a sense, cannabis kind of fits that adaptogen bill. It kind of fits in that same group of of herbs that help return you and find that baseline and get you back to normal without becoming addictive, hurting you, long-lasting effects, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't mean to ramble for so long, but... I was digging it. I, I, I liked it. Thank you very much for sharing. Yeah. That's a good, good answer for a short yeah, question. To, to answer your question, I mean, I can't really pick one, you know? Um, there's a whole, there's a, you know, two handfuls that you need to make the world go around. It's just kind of what it takes, but that's, that's the beauty of herbalism compared to here, take this pill. You'll feel great tomorrow. Like, you know, compared to pharmaceuticals, it, it takes a few more herbs than uh, it would pills. So it's, it's really hard to pick one. Really hard. How do you keep a hold of all those herbs? If you, if you like all of those, do you grow them yourself or do you? Yeah. Yeah. I grow a lot of them. Um, I haven't mastered growing them all yet, but I definitely give it hell. And every year's a learning experience, both with the weather that we've had lately, but also with, um, you know, when to plant it, when to harvest it, how to keep the seeds, how to harvest the seeds. Um, all that sort of stuff. It's a it's a learning process because you know I've got one, two, three. I've got at least four different like environments in my backyard. So trying the same plant in each different little environment teaches me something. So that's at least a couple years of trying to understand it. Even in just my backyard, where's the best place to plant every plant? Um, yeah, I definitely I have that happening in my backyard with. Uh, milk thistle like where i walk where the shade is where i walk where the shade is where i walk where the full sun is where five o'clock sun is as opposed to all day sun it's just yeah it's pretty neat to see it grow in areas where i had a lot of lead paint you know and it, it's supposed to help you in your liver and it's helping the ground as well so like your gut biome is like the soil and milk yeah. thistle is helping the soil's gut because there's lead-based paint, so more milk thistle grows there. But then when I walk over it, there's compaction, so it doesn't grow as tall. And then there's compaction and no sun, so it grows even shorter and it's barely even growing. So it's, yeah, it's just it's fucking awesome to see it over 15 years grow in certain areas differently. So yeah, I, I, get, think, I get what you're saying. I think milk thistle was even another one of my ten herbs. That's funny. You that wow, Fumi. That's beautiful. What it, who is that? I'm sure that's Morgana or something. Actually, that was Black Prince Ruby. No, that was Black gotcha. Prince Ruby. Gotcha. Uh, uh, everyone always thinks Morgana is the sexy one, but now Black Prince <laughs> Ruby is the uh, freaking hottest balls. Um, <laughs> How hot are you? Who took that? You took that picture, Fumi? I took that, yeah. That's me. 
No, yeah, it did. Really? Apparently, I am. Could you describe how you took it so I can so I can make a picture like that someday? You are you testing me? I hired. No, dude. (laughs) I'm so high. I just opened up like Adobe Premiere. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are. uh... That's one of the first questions I ever asked you. Me, how'd you take that fucking picture? And he explained to me. I'm like, never mind. (laughs) <laughs> too hard. <laughs> you want your stopgap here and your yeah. Like, how did you make that butt appear like it was in complete outer space? And he's like, Well, what you need to do is <laughs> Well, you know what? I can show that picture again. Please do. Um, what lens it was probably shot with a hundred millimeter macro. I keep telling you guys to get a hundred hundred millimeter macro and you guys keep ignoring me. Uh, much to your freaking... I just haven't been able to afford it yet. That's the only problem. That I can do. Uh, Craigslist is actually an excellent source for that kind Ooh. of stuff. I've said it before because uh, that's where I got my 100 mil macro. Deadass. That was uh, the first uh, uh, L lens that I got uh, for, uh, you know, the different different uh, companies. I don't even know why. I guess I'm so slow. Like I moved half my freaking bars off the screen. It was freaking bizarre what just happened. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Uh, macro lenses are something that people buy. Okay, where should I start with this? Uh, every company has their kind of professional and their amateur and their beginner lens series. The professional ones, I hate to say it for everybody that thinks they're just the same. The professional ones are just better. They really are. Usually nine times out of ten, they're sharper. They focus better. A lot of times they'll have uh, uh, image stabilization on and on and on. Uh, the macro lenses from some companies, there's not sometimes all that much difference between the professional macro and the semi-professional macro. Canon is a, an example of that. They actually have a 100 mil that's really close to almost as good as the 100, but it is a little bit better. I can't remember. It's either a stop writer. don't really remember. Anyway, uh, when you get to that, when you're just like, all right, I'm just going to go get the nicest macro that I want you realize that they're not actually that expensive a lot of times on Craigslist. The retail price on them, actually they've gone up a little bit in price lately because like the new mirrorless cameras have come out, but there's still a lot of times you can buy new inbox Canon or even the Nikon 105 millimeter F2.8 version of this in Canon. It's a hundred millimeter L. Uh, L is their professional lenses for Canon or Nikon, I can't remember, S whatever for the, the, whatever. Every company has their different uh, uh, markings, right? you can buy the retail price on that is like the old ef1 was like 1200 bucks i got mine for 400 bucks and you can routinely get them for 500 bucks 600 bucks uh, because people buy it thinking that they're going to use a lot of macro photography realizing yeah, they only really take pictures of birds or they only take pictures of their kids at disneyland once a year or whatever and that macro lens is sitting there as cash basically and they just realize it's cash on their table so that's what happened with me i actually got it from a professional photographer but the professional photographer had no use for macro images. Like, in fact, I think uh, they were kind of leaving photography a little bit. But in the meantime, like, I think they said, like, they'd use the lens. And it showed it. It basically they'd used the lens three times since they bought it. And that, that's really, really common, especially for macros. There's other lenses that are tougher to find, especially in good shape and good condition, whatever else. But macros, man, I, everyone that I've heard from, they're like, dude, you can just fucking buy these. And they, they come up so often. And I guess I didn't even finish this part of the story, uh, partly because they're a fairly simple design. They don't change all that much. The companies don't have to do all that crazy stuff to, to make those lenses really excellent. Uh, it's one of the cheapest professional lenses they'll offer. So it's, it's one of the higher volume lenses. It's also one of the simpler designs. And so you'll get like a professional, dead-ass professional lens, where it's the rest of their lenses cost 
1500 2000 $3,000, that lens, you'll be able to buy it, especially on Craigslist, for less than 1000 bucks. You know, and a 100-millimeter lens is a perfect portrait lens. Uh, if you have a crop sensor camera, it's actually, it becomes a, a, a greater distance lens. It becomes like a 150-millimeter lens, 165-millimeter lens. So you can start to actually use it for stuff like bugs and shit. Like, it's a really, really useful lens. So I guess with all that said, I can show the freaking picture again. Uh, this was a flash exposure. So uh, behind it is a black, basically took a picture like, I don't know, six feet to my right. Uh, there's a black fabric. Uh, uh, um, actually, I just used a black uh, photo fabric. I, I tried a bunch of different things, trying to be a cheap ass on my set like myself. So I'm always trying to do stuff myself like everybody here does probably. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'm going to use an old blanket. No, it didn't fucking work very well. I'm going to use this and use that. I'm going to spray paint something. I ended up honestly spending more money than I did when I finally went to Profoto and just bought a black photo drop. In fact, I think I bought two of them for 40 bucks. I think I dead ass spent more money on just like random garbage that I was trying to avoid spending 40 bucks. So frankly, just buy the, the, the photo backdrop. You can just tear it up. You can cut it to size. You can do whatever. And so this, I just have a... a, a fairly large piece of it hanging behind and I can just kind of roll it up and, and take it away. And there's basically a, a soft box. So I, I hate to say it, but you guys have to start to invest in some of this or trying to find ways to avoid this. So I have a soft box above this and then another light off to the side to highlight this. Like I've been fucking with this for a few months now, but you guys fucking asked. Um, so basically I'm, I'm exposing it mostly from the top and a little bit from the back. And then, uh, other than that, I shot it uh, in raw, and um, I don't know what else you want to know. I've heard some photographers that say that, oh, that they had their shutter open in the dark and then paint the object with a flashlight, and it slowly comes into focus in the lens. Does, does that make it any sense how I'm saying flash, it? I'm sorry. Uh, so yes, that does make sense, actually. So this is a flash. When I say flash photography, it literally means in a flash. Uh, flash strobes, they go... They almost always have the same incidence, like even though you set it at different stuff, like the flash actually goes off at the same amount of time. And it's just this absolute flash of light. And people can do all kinds of super creative things with that, with shutter drags and everything else. But the flash is, practically speaking, as much light as you want in an instant. And so you basically expose this photograph. This was at one two hundredth of a second. This was at my flash sync speed. This is at one two hundredth of a second. So all these photographs were at exactly, it looks like there's a little bit of a spider web there. Annoying. Uh, one two hundredth of a second on this. However, if you didn't have a flash strobe, a lot of people don't have a freaking flash strobe. Who goddamn has a flash strobe or even rents a flash strobe? Well, you can use a light. But then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to do a much longer exposure than one two hundredth of a second. So then what has to happen is you have to put it in an incredibly windproof room because literally if one of those trichomes shakes, it starts to look blurry, you know, like all those little trichomes, they look sharp because this was in one two hundredth of a second. The flash hit, exposed the, in this case, digital film, it was a digital sensor and you were done. But if you didn't have that flash bulb exposure and you had let's say and you can totally do this but you gotta again build let's say a box uh and literally it has to be windproof i mean you think i'm freaking joking around you say oh, a few minutes he's fucking making the chip up no i uh north star genetics actually i'll start to share north star genetics actually is funny how life is just random this way yesterday the day before reposted an image of my kaffir lime i think this was the number two kaffir lime 
and not my uh, number six, which is the mom of the Lima Rose. Um, what am I looking at? North Star. Angelica Sinensis was that herb I was trying to think about. It's the female adaptogenic herb. It's a. Uh, I Every said time a bell rings and Angelica Sinensis gets its wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said uh, Dong Shen, but it, I was close. It's Dong Kwai. It's just uh, the scientific name is Angelica Sinensis. But go ahead, Jimmy. I just wanted to throw that in there. No worries. I'm glad you thought of it. Uh, this is, oh, you know what? No, this is, uh, no, this is the freaking mom to the Lime River Rose because this is, see, they look so similar. Uh, and this was literally, okay, this picture could have been better, but honestly, for a lot of people, this is a nice photo. It was nice enough that Northstar reposted it. Um, this is from a couple freaking years ago, a couple, three years ago, honestly. Uh, it says here, throwback pics to the Kaffir Lime. That's a nice pic stuck at, oh, this was even, honestly, this was, I, I found, well, that's exactly what it was. I found my old, I'll show it to you here in a second. I have my, I have it right next to me right here. I have my old Canon G9. It wasn't a special fancy camera. Didn't have a tripod at the time. Didn't have strobes. Didn't have goddamn shit. I had uh, like Home Depot work lights, basically. I had a work light. I had uh, a work light and two light bulbs. And I think I also had Christmas lights behind it to kind of give the, 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 the like the pop. Do you guys see like the little pop on those like leaves there from kind of the top? That was actually Christmas lights. So, I mean, okay, let's be honest. This is not the finest fucking photograph, but it's nice enough that like a couple years, three, four years after I took it, a year and a half after I reposted it, after finding it on my camera, a serious breeder with like 40,000 followers, 36,000 followers, he posted the image on his website yesterday. So in other words, like you don't have to have every goddamn fancy shit. And by the way, this was the the mom to the Lime River Rose, the the uh, Catherine Lime number six. Anyway. Looks like it smells like lime. It has that lime pops. Lime OG. Yeah. yeah the, oh, nice, nice. I love that profile. The lime OG. I really like that. That smell as well. Like the the ice cream truck that uh, comes around in the summer and they sell at lime popsicles. You can buy one yeah, the, the one that has that uh, right now is um, the ice cream cake oh no i'm sorry it's the dosi do licorice lime from dutch blooms it has oh. marshmallow lime popsicle aromas from the, the stem rub right now that's cool and it kills me because i i'm basically moving in three weeks so uh my outdoor garden is going to become mulch uh <laughs> so like if anybody's in colorado they want some cuts hit me up on instagram but other than that i i, I won't be able to grow it out so my my whole backyard garden is just gonna get chopped and dropped before it's ready. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah, I'll be able to collect some of the the male pollen, and that's about it. But everything else is just gonna have to get mulched. <laughs> Why is that? What's the, what's the um, uh, my wife got a job offer in Edwards, Colorado, and so we'll be moving back up to the mountains and skiing in Vale and Beaver Creek. So it's not all bad. I mean, I could think of worse things, but um yeah so in three approximately three weeks our house will be packed up and we'll be renting out our house and um renting an apartment for like three times the rate of a mortgage right now because everybody's moving to Vail, colorado but um yeah so it i didn't do any light depth i didn't foresee the future being this way i thought i had a couple more months so i was just gonna let it go 
to full term and and everything just get pollinated and make some really cool seed stock because I used living soil for the first time and started the seeds out when there was still like hail and frost and in the beginning I thought I was going to lose everything because it had frost on the leaves but it's so it's gone from basically 27 degree nights to 100 and whatever degree days and it's it's had a really cool run so I was looking forward to the terroir and uh yeah it's just a uh, bittersweet she she got a good job offer and then I interviewed for a job up there at a, a really cool bar that I used to work at as a bar manager so it's going to work out for the best it's just uh I've never had to cut down that many plants before for absolutely no reason other than to make some really good mulch <laughs> happy, yeah think about all yeah, the times people sure. had to cut a plant oh my god all this I was just going to say think about all the times people had to cut it down because the cops are coming now I'm thinking about think about all the times that people cut it down and then the cops didn't come after all. Oh you god! You would have felt. Oh, oh, I had to cut down a whole room once. One of my buddies forgot to turn the HVAC back on. Of course, he got shit can the next day. But uh, yeah, it was 320 plants, and we tried to let him hang on for like another week. And it, it like by the time we were done, the whole room was just brown, and smelled horrendous and we had to harvest a dead room and it it like everybody was just so somber for the next week one because we lost our best friend and two because we had to cut down a whole room that was completely lost so it was a horrible call it a night guys i'm taking off dude right on man thanks for having me man the largest speaking of shutter drags he was uh sharing us in the chat thanks for sharing so much information i truly appreciate it let me pick your brain. Uh, people are always talking about uh, doing more like info segments. So I don't know. Maybe we should do something. Maybe we should do like a, I don't know if yeah, it, but a cascading freaking uh, herbal segment or a photography segment or whatever the shit. I don't know. Yeah. We'll figure I it out. Now I'm it. talking about like uh, the, uh, like whatever the shit. I'm talking about like uh, crime phase with Botany Doesn't. <laughs> the guy's fucking videos. You can just talk expo <laughs> expositionally about fucking garbage in the desert for a half hour and you just, you just listen to him and laughing. Fuck, I love that guy. Uh, anyway, cheers, uh, Cascadian. Uh, how can people find you, dude? Yeah, Cascadian Grunt on Instagram, man. That's the most reliable place so far. So. Up, we'll catch you guys again tomorrow night if you're on. And if not, I'll catch you when I catch you, man. Is it? We should be on. Uh, we could have, I don't know if anybody's even interested. We could have honestly had our second wild card weed and whiskey Wednesday. It's like the shortest possible warning again. I don't know. Wissa, did you interested or? Well, well, well. He's like, well, the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really plan on a weed and whiskey. I didn't either. I was, thinking, I was like, actually, it's like the last one. No, I probably shouldn't because I can't stay too long tomorrow. I'd say, because uh, I, I got to get ready to go back on the next road week. again. So, yeah, we'll push it back to next week, and I can give my full devotion, proper weed and whiskey Wednesday, give my full self to it, like uh, like the people expect. So we give the, give the full sloshiness, the, the full... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> 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 right. Uh, folks actually seem to really enjoy it. They enjoyed the... Uh, I don't know why, because we probably didn't make any fucking sense, but... Uh, Whatever, we'll figure it out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's not funny gonna be there, whatever, yeah. Therefore, the no, show no. tomorrow is going to be secret. So, because I, I realized that I just, uh, it's not very, well, sorry, I am the, uh, can't tell you anything. Need to know. 
Um, yeah, r- yeah, rain on the parade. No whiskey, weed and whiskey Wednesday. We 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 still have a few drinks with with uh, with the show, but no weed and whiskey Wednesday. Allegedly, something. Allegedly. Whip it Wednesdays. Maybe maybe we could do whip it Wednesdays. Just do a lot of nitrous and weed. Just kidding. Every time you guys bring up like opium and shit on the show, I'm like, all right, well now we're on another watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, ready whips, sir. Ready whips and the water pipe. The water. <laughs> How many got the fucking list are we on now? <laughs> Told everyone that we're organic terrorists, so we're on that one now too. Shush. <laughs> I feel like I don't know. I feel like the 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 FBI agents for the Sopranos. Do you remember how they would like check in with Adriana every once in a while? She'd be like walking back to her car, and suddenly one of the FBI agents in her car like. Hi there, Adriana. Yeah, yeah. Actually, let's not even fucking joke. Jesus Christ, let's not, yeah. Jesus, let's back up out of that. That's terrible. The Brandos was a great show, though. Holy crap. What is how a great the show? Ending? I, how about the ending, though? Dude, Did I you like, like it? I have to be honest. I've thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. I like it less love over it. time. What? You loved I it? Really? I loved it, yeah. Yeah, it was that. a polarizing ending. I just thought it was too easy. I was like, oh, okay, lights out, and then we we wonder about the rest. Like, oh, man, we we kind of went through it all with him, and now suddenly... Oh, he was killed for sure, like, without a doubt. Like, there's no two ways about it. That was that was just death. It sure seems like... Or maybe because they handed the them whole the gun. thing was narrated through his voice. Huh. That's what people said. It was his experience, yeah. Yeah. Really narcissistic, though, on some Well, he was a narcissist, honestly. Yeah, 100%. Dude, I hated some of the characters, too. That was one of the things that annoyed me. Like, the last scene has a couple of my least favorite characters. Like, I liked Carmela. She was kind of, I don't know, she fit the story. She kind of had, like, a little paper thin sometimes. But, dude, AJ and Meadow were just, like, designed to be annoying. Like, everything, like, even more clueless than you would assume them to be. AJ saying, well, I don't know. I remember actually laughing when he said, like, what are gutters? I was like, all right, yeah, he probably wouldn't know what gutters are. There's <laughs> stuff like, oh, God, I don't even remember. Just the dumbest fucking shit. And it was so dumb that I was like, is there? But then I realized, actually, there are people that are that dumb. So, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I guess it's true to life. I don't actually shut the fuck up because it was a good show. Uh, perhaps he did fake his own death, Lars. Perhaps Tony Soprano was living all along. Perhaps he was a real character, and it was a documentary all along. It was actually uh, yes. He was not on HBO as a fiction story. It was real life, and it was shot by alien drone from the future. Obviously, yes, that was what it was. You heard it here first, folks. Um, <laughs> you report, you decide. Uh, nice. Yeah. Um. What other good shows did you guys enjoy since I'm finishing the joint? Nurse Jackie. Nur- Nurse Jackie you was know a what's good weird? one. weird? That was the same. I can't think of her name right yeah, now. Yeah, it's Carmella. Yeah. Whatever yeah, her, whatever her name. I can't. I, I don't know. I don't think I she saw that episode. She played a great. Oh, well, you should go back and see it because they, they show you how you should hide your pill drugs in sugar packets. And right that on. way, when you put it in your coffee, it just looks like you're putting in, you know, sweetener. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it was Isn't actually it, uh, a pretty good a house that drank uh, whiskey in a sippy cup or something. No, I'm gonna get that wrong. Hold on. He was barbiturates. He he was painkillers. So he he'd give people placebos that came in with 
fake pains and tell him that it was a real pill and he'd swap the pills that he got that he wrote the prescription for. Like he was always high on barbiturates. That's right. Thinking of something else completely. Then again, there's the people who just put whiskey in a flask and then just say, "Here, I'm drinking whiskey out of a flask." <laughs> there's honesty in that. We Californication. Dude, I love that show. Watched... Californication was the shit. Oh my goodness. The first episode was insane. I'm just he's getting a blowjob by a nun. Like that. That was the first. You can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones was playing in the background. Uh, Except that yeah. I think that that's, that's, that show was kind of sad because I guess that was like his descent into madness, remember? Like he was okay and then suddenly he did that show and he was like back into like drug and sex addiction and shit. And apparently things were not doing too well. The that's cruel kind of fate of a Hollywood yeah. star. Right. It sounds so horrible. Like drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Oh, wow. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Except that Duchovny's cool. Also, I think that he's a stoner. I think, I think he's like a lifetime like weed head. I'm sure I'd love to party with that guy, but I don't drink anymore. So I don't know how much fun I'd be. That's the thing. I don't think he's supposed to drink anymore either. I think that was the problem. Like he's actually, I don't know if he's on drugs. I think he was just an alcoholic. Maybe I don't remember. Actually, I don't. Maybe we just go to a meeting together. It's probably like, dude, keep it secret. Me? Holy shit. Like, fuck. <laughs> he's going to talk about like, like uh, he's going to talk about like, uh, you want to talk about a stinky feet too or something? No, man. Sorry. Sorry, David. You come to me. You gossip about you. We're, Maybe we're, you can get we're, on the we're show. Gossiping, we're gossiping about a guy we don't even know. Does it ever annoy you that people? Just, first of all, gossip about people you know is an, annoying, honestly. But then, like about people you don't even know, like it's kind of fucking rude. Like you know that guy's story. Like uh, maybe he had uh, his version of it. And you're like, dude, you totally misunderstood it. You should get him on the show. Maybe he has his own dispensary, That'd like Belushi cool. does. Cool. Belushi's got his own dispensary now, right? Uh, I think he does. I think, I, I've heard that Belushi pretty much won't talk to anybody. So I don't think. I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion. I think he'll talk to people who have like a million followers. That's what. It well, is. he he uh, was on the Future Cannabis three hundred three soil had him on uh, Thursday or something like that. Yeah, he seemed actually pretty pretty uh, talkative about cannabis nowadays and how it's really? helping getting people out of uh, prison and stuff. He was actually kind of Maybe trying to help them. Yeah. Ooh, well. I mean, it was just one episode. Who knows? No, I mean, uh, how do, it's easy to misjudge people. Holy shit, it's uh, hard to do, what, correctly judge. I don't know, whatever. Perhaps I had misjudged him. Because I, I I don't know. Honestly, I don't even know the guy. I, think I met him. I saw him once at one of the shows, but I don't think I met him. I think I almost met him and then, like, some guy or something. I mean, it's not like it was in line to meet him from with fancy people it was like he was in a booth or something why are we talking next... about jim belushi now jesus christ okay now I gotta that's my fault that bro you said best people, shows like, and we said he's Duchovny making fun and... of fucking jim belushi and such and such and they're like why what, what are you? who's your next who's your next uh person you're gonna get on that you're you're really hoping that you can get on the show uh the pope I want to talk to the Pope and see if he oh, wants to see if he's going to be cool. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool place to visit. I don't know if I'd like to stay there more than a couple of days, but what, the, Vatican, the Vatican, yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. Oh, I wow. Yeah, it's great. In the Vatican. That would be the shit, though. Can you imagine? Oh, you Vatican know they get charged legalized? down below. They totally smoke weed there. Dude, they totally they, they totally should legalize it like right in the Vatican. And then like right in St. Peter's Square, you just blaze. 
We just pissed off a lot of Catholics, I'm sure. They're like, they're crossing themselves. I said somebody. I'll feel guilty about it later. It's like, fuck. I'm thinking like right in the middle, you have like a permanent joint lighter. It's like, um, perhaps there's also a dab station. I guess now, that thanks to the, the, I don't like the idea of sharing dab rigs with people. So I don't know, it would have to be clean or maybe it would like to be a hookah situation. I don't know. But you could go and it would be like a car lighter. And you, it'd be like a marble statue designed probably originally by Michelangelo, now repurposed. Mm. And you click it, and 30 seconds later, oh. it pops back up, and then you can light your joint with it. Yes. And a choir of angels sings, but with yes. trumpets. While you get high. Exactly. You could just it's have a changing story. mouthpiece, sort of sort of like an expensive crystal will fit inside each other, you know, like the top of a nice crystal jar or whatever. You just I'm change the mouthpiece. Mouth the, the mass on Christmas. They could do a mass on 420 and literally mass the, the St. Peter's with just like a fog of smoke. I like it. I like it. I think here you heard it here first, uh, folks. Uh, people are saying that's the standard these days. People are saying that the Vatican is going to allegedly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly legalizing weed and uh, uh, growing huge amounts of it on the There's street. at least one source uh, yeah. on this issue. Yeah. yeah. Copious. Oh. That's more I than like enough it. for a variety of the press in this country, especially on the right hand. And they finally released the uh, ingredients to holy anointing oil, and it's cannabis. Right. It's cannabis. Yep. Yep. It's, it's cannabis. been it's RSO. RSO. Ground up babies. A little bit. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we went there. Put some, they put a little bit of murder in there, too. Just a little Almost bit of ground up babies. A yeah. little, little bit. <laughs> Yeah, a few ground up baby. <laughs> baby cannabis. Say <laughs> <laughs> 10 Hail Marys and call us good morning. We're good. Wow. Uh, dude, I was I was reading about it. I like, it's serious though. They're fucking burning down the churches and stuff still in Canada. They're still pissed about the, the Native American stuff. They're not even Native American. Jesus Christ. It's how it like, just peeps in your brain. Native, uh, uh, actually, you guys call them First Peoples, don't you? Yes, First People, First Nations. Yeah. First Nations. Natives or just straight up Natives? Natives. Natives, yeah. Do you? Yeah, natives. Think about natives. What what churches are they burning? I'm sorry, I'm I'm the completely under a rock. They were, uh, apparently they, they, were, they were treating them super badly. They had residential schools. Basically, they took kids away from their their parents and they tried to teach them how to be white, essentially. And on certain of these schools, a lot of kids got abused and mysteriously killed and like yeah. just like got sick. Yeah, just a whole bunch of shit. Like a whole bunch of bad high shit. Mortality and all kinds of PTSD yeah. and all kinds of crazy shit, dude. So yeah. I know it's really, really gross what people will do to each other. I always say at the end of the show, like I feel like people, more people will listen or to our show or something than actually like listen to it. Like, don't be a douche. Not hard, man. Holy crap. It's not hard to know, yeah. dude. Oh. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, words okay. to live by. Yeah, no, I yeah, just be nice or don't be around others. This don't be a fucking douche. It's so hard. Don't you, be yeah, have a hard. choice. Like <laughs> am I being a douche? Am I not being a douche? Once again, don't be a dick, don't show you. Dick. You have to be. Right? How simple is that? Don't be a dick. Don't show your dick. It could not be more simple. I think a monkey could understand it. You know? 
the same thing. Like, get that on perhaps shirt. a monkey doesn't understand, but I mean, it's a little complex. The douchebags, I don't know, they, they're siphons or something. Who the fuck knows what that is? Maybe too complex for a monkey. But you'd have to be a fucking idiot not to know what a douchebag is. Like, as a person, right. like, oh, that guy's a douchebag. We know what that is. Don't be a douchebag. Just stop. Every, I don't know if you, if you, if you have often been accused, like, if you've never been accused in your life of being a douchebag, chances are you don't have to dwell too much on it but like if someone regularly accuses you like hey douchebag blah 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 blah, blah. dude you should really consider like am i being a douchebag perhaps you are being a douchebag well i think one person accusing you of a douchebag doesn't really make you a douchebag two you're starting to get questionable three you're really one shady it's almost like what you would expect from life you know like someone's gonna think you're a douchebag no matter what but two yeah i think you might have a problem like if everywhere you go thinks you're a douchebag, I think you're a douchebag. That's true. Uh, I didn't no. say that very well, but I think it's true actually. Like if everyone calls no. you a douchebag, I think you have some serious issues that you are. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Like if uh, what was I trying to say? Uh, if everyone else is crazy, probably you're. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Well, yeah. No, unfortunately, yes, yes. You ever met people like that? Like, oh my fucking god, everybody around me. Blah, 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 <laughs> I see a common element in this theme. Or theme Do you the know theme. what everybody's problem is? <laughs> They're everybody. Stupid assholes. Every single one. They're of all them. holding me back. <laughs> hey, Fumi, was that was that the great barrier reef dying that you showed video of earlier? Oh, no, uh, although that is happening. Uh, no, that was actually, fuck me, that's probably going to happen next. That was Galapagos. That was the Galapagos Islands. And I was tripping out because I, I was just randomly searching for stuff on Galapagos to, to like, um, uh, Google site, see what the, I can't think of the word right now, but when you can drop the pin or when you can drop the little man, whatever, fuck, I can't think of it, Street View. Uh, and it was fun because uh, I've heard before that there are some Street View, like, uh, diving places, but I kind of just forgot about it. Fair enough, right off the Galapagos, there was a little area where you could dive right off the Galapagos and you basically do like street view. So I was like, uh, I was thinking about telling people like, oh my God, we're going to dive underwater just in case anyone was scared of being underwater. But I was like, yeah, man, it's a computer screen. They can survive. Um, hopefully nobody thought they were drowning. If you did, you're no, I was a little claustrophobic, a little, little claustrophobic. And then I saw the dead reef and I was like, holy shit. Oh, no, that reef, we, I think, was we, okay. I don't know. That was, was it? Oh, maybe. I think it was. That was the Galapagos. I, think it's I didn't see anything kind of like the tube, the tubular kind of, and that, uh, well, I'm not even going to say oh, that word. I don't know what you It just looked like were, straight up sheetrock. I know what you mean. They weren't like exposed. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Huh. Random. Uh, I've heard that the Galapagos are still okay. You know, just like everywhere else, they're going to get fucked, but they've been so well protected that I think they're more or less all right. The poor Galapagos tortoises were apparently so delicious that uh, it took like mm. 50 or 100 boats to it's bring them It's a shame back how, how they were the size of a, like a, a Volkswagen Beetle, and it's a shame how much of them had to go waste at a time when you'd eat one and, you know, just throw 80% of it away. Mm. like shark fin soup where they like just cut the fins off the shark and then dump the body so the sad, no, they man. ate the whole tortoise no apparently it was so fucking good that they just they could not even darwin like he was trying to bring him back to the uk to actually get him documented and like they just they couldn't resist they were so fucking delicious 
shut the fuck up. It's one of the stupidest <laughs> stories. Yeah, it's just so stupid. Apparently, he felt really bad about it too because it's like we cannot bring these fucking tortoises back to goddamn UK or to England because they're just because they're so scrumptious. Right. <laughs> like every time we brought I try reasoning with the crew but tie me and then they feast upon tortoise soup right well it never adds someone's just wiping their lip with a napkin like dude fucking tell me that wasn't good right. yeah. dude it's rough I mean you have like this it's like a to-go meal you know what I mean you can't really take a cow with you but like the tortoises they didn't have to drink they didn't have to eat you could stack them on top of each other because when you want to eat one, you grab a tortoise, cook it up. <laughs> wow, humankind, not so kind. Right? Dude, we are terrible, honestly. That's what. That's how you know. Like whatever other universes or worlds we're gonna discover, we're gonna fucking trash them. Like there was a video on Reddit, and it was like supposed to be so cute and cuddly. It was a little baby octopus, not a baby because it was already like another fist size, but little octopus basically like reaching out its hand and fist bumping a diver that was kind of like fist bumping the octopus, and it was really adorable. Except for the fucking octopus was in a crushed up Pepsi can on the bottom of the ocean. Oh yeah. lord, guys, it's trash. So the octopus at home is trash, and it's such a clever octopus it knows how to say hello to the trash maker. Hello, trash maker. <laughs> Thanks for the home, the bro. Home. <laughs> this great home of aluminum. Uh, hell yeah! There's apparently microplastics plastics like in everywhere. Everywhere, that's man. Gross, man. We 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 need to stop crashing everything. Uh, new gross says that's the one. Dude, we could technically hit the next four twenty. Yeah, yeah, we definitely got to at this point. I'm fucking in for eight minutes for sure. For yeah, sure. Enough weed to, to roll another joint. Ladies and gentlemen, I think this is probably going to be the last call. In fact, it's, uh, I think, pretty definitely. It's oh, it's, it's a definitely last one for fucking old West here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a hell of a show. I think it's been it a What do you think, Wes? Oh, it was a hell of a guest. Hell of a guest. So interesting. Uh, what a great what a great speaker. I could listen to him all day. And we, we basically did. It was Scratch great. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you could talk all day. Right. Yeah. He's got a lot. He's got so much in for me. He's one of those guys where it's like he's forgotten more. Oh yeah. Than we'll ever we'll ever know about. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear? Did you hear him say he 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 could do a weed and whiskey whiskey Wednesday? I heard him say that. Fuck! I missed that. Dang it! That would be awesome, man. I figured because look at all that weed, that whiskey behind him, man. He had some decent bottles, I think. Yeah, and then and then. They, well, you said, yeah, we do a weed and whiskey Wednesday show, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, I could do something like that. Yeah. Or wine and Wednesday because yeah. he, he owned a vineyard for a couple right. of years as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, well, wine, you could turn into whiskey, right? Mm. So. Wine, you would turn into, I guess it's called uh, grappa. You turn into schnapps? No, I think you turn into grappa. I think that's what it's called. That's really good. Okay. It's like Italian vodka, but it's like better because it's made of uh, wine. I think the best vodka I ever had was in Kazakhstan. They have some really good the best vodka. vodka I ever had with Polish. It was super good. Potato? Still, ultimately, uh, they have good. I have to be honest, I'm pretty racist against all the clear vodkas. Like the, even gin, like I really like gin, but I'm really mindful of the fact that it's basically clear alcohol that they then flavor with some botanicals. 
So I'm like, yeah, but I like gin because it is flavored with botanicals. Vodka, they don't even bother. Like a lot of times the vodka, the idea is that it's clear, crisp, clean. They even filter it over stuff. They do the exact opposite of everything they do to bourbon and everything else to make it look good or taste good. And uh, I don't even know, like, like a good vodka is one you don't even taste. With, with that said, like, uh, I always talk about this, and I need to find the name of this freaking uh, distillery finally. I guess it was in central Poland, and it's technically vodka. Apparently, the process they, they use is technically vodka, but it was made with fruits, and it was, it was like taking dabs of fruit essence. You know, everyone here probably understands because, you know, a lot of us dab. So, like, it, it, the way that dabs are to flower, this was basically like taking those essences as dabs. It was fucking wonderful. The cold shots, because they were ice, ice, ass cold. Uh, and they were all different, like peach and black currant and freaking strawberry or even not strawberry, but like raspberry. And, dude, they were fucking marvelous. Apparently, there was only one place in, well, so they told me, but it, it the distillery, when I looked them up, was small enough that the story was plausible. But there was like one bar in Poland that they served them at, and one distillery that, you know, they obviously came from. It was like a craft product. Dude, that was the shit. But a lot of times I'm just like, man, vodka. It's my show, so I'll, I'll tell you, man. I'm just a little bit racist against vodka. It's just like, I'll drink it, but it's like, it's just, it's just vodka. It's for, drinking, it's, it's for the experience. You drink it, like, for example, you know, uh, Russian style with like salted fish and snacks and stuff. And you just basically like yeah. toss it back and then have some more salted fish. Yeah, that makes sense. Then you go freaking go to the banya or whatever. Okay, fine. But like, you don't sip vodka, man. No, they, yeah. Uh, she, my wife is Russian and we went to Kazakhstan to visit her family. So we tried a couple different cognac, Kazakhstan cognac and, and Kazakhstan vodka. They're, they're really good, especially when you're in Kazakhstan. So. Usually being racist against the freaking vodka. How did you guys eat it? In Kazakhstan, you probably actually did have the whole salted fish routine, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, you see? Yeah, and I, I couldn't... Uh, it was funny to watch, like, everybody at the table sucking on dried fish. You know? Just, <laughs> you don't like, like this it? This is fucking weird, man. Just give me a burger. <laughs> Some mashed potatoes. It's so normal, yeah. It's so normal. It's, uh, Americans are funny, man. Uh, like, uh, one of the tastiest fish in the world... A couple of the tastiest fish actually in the world uh, just grow in the Columbia River and are like uh, caught as herring. I'm sorry, good fucking Freudian. Caught as bait. Like herring uh, uh, swims up basically the, the mouth and you can actually a lot of times catch it like right up into the mouth. And then what is it called? Smelt. It's this really oily, really delicately soft fish that a lot of the rest of the world cherishes as a food fish. And here in the Northwest, everyone's like, that's ah, a fucking bait fish, man, to catch salmon. You know what I mean? Or bass <laughs> or whatever else. So they'll literally, they'll go, they'll scoop up the smelt that other people would just fucking die for. They smoke it. And they do all this crazy shit in France, whatever. And here they just basically like throw it in a bucket and use it as bait for whatever the fuck comes up. Yeah, we saw that on our travels that we we kind of just look like a bunch of fucking savages sometimes. Just <laughs> when we went, to other, we went to other countries and they just enjoy a polite going out to eat and things are savory and sweet and delicious and they have boutiques for certain liquors and desserts and all that other and we just like smash it all together at walmart in the frozen section so, i don't know <laughs> yeah i get it um what was i gonna say how was the food in kazakhstan sorry i was muted um shishlik is oh i love it basic basically the meat on a skewer right and it's marinated and they're they, they kind of made fun of me because I'm from America and people over in Kazakhstan, they make maybe $300 a month. 
they have Tingay. So, and that's if you have a really, really good job. So, um, the basic family would maybe make like $150 a month to $200 a month. So, if you could just like in relative terms. Um, So, going out to get Shishleek, we had four entrees, four salads, two bottles of cognac, two bottles of red wine, and oh gosh, something else. And it was $45. And like it was, family, it was fucking was like ungodly. Yeah. Right. Right. But like, so I gave the guy a $20 tip, but I, I had my wife translate, like, please let him know this is customary to give a good tip. And yes, it is a 50% tip basically. But like, I, I just want him to know that we tip it's customary. I'm not trying to insult him by throwing money at him. Like, like being a cock about it, but like, please accept my tip because this meal right here is what the tip would be in America. So like, you know, and that made me sound like a bougie asshole, but at the same time, he kind of got where I was coming from. Like, holy $45. What the fuck? Two bottles of cognac alone would think they $45 a piece at a bar in America or even more. So yeah, it's, it's super inexpensive to eat there. The food's really great and they don't allow GMOs. The same with Russia. So it was it was really cool there, but then when you start to get into the other places in Europe, cheers. they don't. Oh yeah, cheers. cheers! They don't allow GMOs, but uh, they they allow some products to get in. But when you're in Russia and Kazakhstan, there's no GMOs whatsoever, so the food is just delightful. It's just delicious. I guess I could have probably just said this is probably easier for me to type it. Uh, so uh, top floor was asking if they were, uh, I guess they're called uh, Nalevskis. Uh, they have like a uh, Vishniak and stuff there. I guess I can show an image of it. There's like chair, like a uh, fruit liqueurs and stuff close, but not quite. Um, very close. These are, these are really good, by the way. These are really super good, but actually I'm going to have to research this because it's possible. One of these, now I'm looking at some of the style of bottle that kind of reminded me of the one that I'm thinking of was a true vodka. So it wasn't that, that sweet. It was basically like a vodka, but it had the fruit essence. So it was like, taking a dab basically it was really freaking nuts because uh those those liqueurs those cordials and stuff you take like just a little you know you ever seen people drink them they to drink them in glass because they're so overwhelmingly powerful like that fruit essence that's not quite what i'm talking about because they're also really sweet right uh i'm talking about like an actual vodka that you take a shot of like an actual shot of and then as you take this shot your face just explodes in that freaking fruit essence. It was it's really unique, like really fucking unique. I got to look it up again because I just I had a know what it was. co-worker from uh, Yugoslavia and he used to bring a, a, a brandy called Rakia mm. around. Mm. And that was kind of like that. Mm. Super strong though. That stuff was so strong. I ended up way too drunk on that way too many times. Right. You were actually staying as fuck. In Istanbul, they had Rocky. And that it's, was pretty uh, good. And it's flavored, yeah. And they mix it yeah. with water. It gets all it gets all creamy. They drink it with like every meal too. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's sort of like uh, oh gosh, I, the one that you put a sugar cube on that slotted spoon and then what oh, is that? You pour uh, it. The Green Fairy. The A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's like the one everyone thinks makes is like psychedelic with wormwood. Oh, absent. Absent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of had that. Yeah, kind of licorice Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't get any psychedelic anything off of it. And I did it. Where'd you get it? In Amsterdam, it was pretty good. 
but I mean, fuck at, at like that proof. I've heard the one I've heard the one made in Germany is the one that uh, will make you uh, hallucinate. But I mean, I, I don't know. Cause it actually has the wormwood or whatever. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So this is how they, uh, a lot of times they drink it. It's, it's a clear liquor, but then when you mix a little bit of iced water in it, actually any water, it just becomes like kind of uh, milky. And some people will yeah. basically drink, uh, you know, it depends on how strong they want it. They'll basically uh, mix it by color. Uh, it really, like, somehow, you, I don't know, you have to like that flavor, I guess, but it works really, really well with their dishes. It's funny how cultures, like, find stuff that works together, right? Like, it's just, uh, it's not accidental, but yeah, anyway, yeah. Just like uh, grappa and wine and stuff, like, all that shit works together, weirdly enough. This freaking joint won't light. I'm having an, epi- an epidemic lately of, uh, oh, you know what? It's these papers. That's what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm using these new papers. I'm usually a huge fan of smoking. Uh, and once I get these lit, the papers are actually really nice. But apparently these are brand new. At least I was told they're brand new. Thinnest brown. These are their thinnest brown and the medium's unbleached. They're actually so thin that it's a little bit hard to roll. Like just Cracking it, frankly, but a little bit too hard to roll. But the, the smoke is pretty good. Again, downside is I'm always like over lighting the joint, and then I gotta basically paper burn too easily. But that's a first world problem. Gorski, yeah. um, what's your? I don't know. You have a, a life lesson to impart for the evening, or? Well, I was just, I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna say your rule, you know, don't be a dick, don't show your dick, but I, <laughs> try to make up for your carbon footprint. Like, if you are a skier and you like to drive up to the mountains every weekend, and you like to go to football games, and you like to watch NASCAR, and you like to watch demolition derbies and shit like that, that's a humongous fucking footprint, carbon footprint. So, like, try to start sucking up your own carbon footprint so put a tree in your ass sure (laughs) but i think i think for me it's i don't mow my lawn and i take shit from my neighbors and i use a filter when i water my lawn so that the natural bacteria and microbes will talk and start to bank carbon in my you know quarter acre lot where my house is so i don't mow the lawn and i try to tread lightly so i'll walk to the amazon box instead of having them deliver it to my house i'll not go out to eat and eat at home instead i won't sit in my car with the air conditioning on you know so i i think really try as a human to pay attention to your carbon footprint or the sports that you watch what the fuck they're doing to the earth and uh maybe try to retract yourself from popularity and, and sports or other things that you think are cool when it's really about everybody's future. So watch your carbon footprint. That would be my takeaway. I see the point. It's a fair point. And I'm just thinking to myself, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have to argue with you because it was your final thought, but I'm just wondering on my kind of final thoughts on the way out the door, is that uh, uh is that the best way to go about it? Because that uh, we're letting Exxon and the shipping industry and the freaking cruise ship industry that built just uh, whatever freaking noxious bullshit. Sure. Letting them all off. And then in the meantime, no. we can't enjoy our lives. It's well, like speak with your recycling. dollar. Apparently uh, recycling this whole, you know, I'm, I'm the worst at it. I'm always recycling my shit every, every fucking morning. 
or every week and I'm out there. Oh, here we are. No, no, no. Here we are trying to recycle and they're, and they're like, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys are recycling. They're just shipping it off to another country telling us. They stop buying it though. Yeah. China China stopped buying it. it, And now they just ship it into the trash. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, the whole recycling thing, the whole reduce, reuse, recycle thing was basically a way now it's been, you know, taken over basically by the, the green movement. But uh, it was a way for industry to basically pawn off their responsibility for creating all that fucking waste stream. So in other words, instead of accounting for the price of a Coke can in the original price of the Coke can, and then, for example, there's a, a deposit a deposit that's big enough that people actually bring them back. They do shit like that in Europe where the bottles are annoyingly like big or whatever. And then people Cologne, Germany. Stuff. Yeah, the retired people pick up the bottles in Cologne over near the bridges mm, and stuff. Maybe. Yeah, and... Uh, I mean, you know, how do I put it? I, I don't know if I necessarily like the idea of uh, uh, well, I don't know. People can do whatever they want. If people want to pick up bottles, that's fine. But I, I, I wasn't trying to create like a whole stream of, of a bottle employ, employment or something. But I was just thinking to myself, uh, instead of a, for, or creating cans that dissolve themselves or something, right? Like for all I know, that's possible, right? Uh, or cans that could break down. Maybe they're made of plastic or something. They could break down an appropriate amount of time. Instead of that, they basically pawn it off on us and make us think that it's our problem for not recycling enough. You know what I mean? Like sure. If you only threw away a little bit more, if you only recycled a little bit more, if you only watched a little bit less of the stuff that you like to watch. And I think to myself, well, meanwhile... Well, why do we like Jeff it, Bezos though? Jeff Bezos is flying to space in a dick rocket. <laughs> well, you know, like, why do we like it in the first place? Because they want us to be entertained by it while they make us recycle more. So, like, if you go to a football game and you're eating a hot dog, where did it come in package-wise? And then, like, where did the hot dog come from? And why do they have to produce the hot dogs in the first place? So I guess carbon footprint would be speak with your dollars. Don't fall into the trap of entertainment that they created for us in the first place to spend our dollars into their banks. Like, fine. With this whole lockdown, I think people have found farming and building and extensions on their house and staying at home and finding their own true-natured entertainment again instead of just falling into the trap to just counter your point, but I guess I just wanted people to pay attention to like walk to the store instead of driving there, get your Amazon package delivered to a Seven Eleven and walk two miles to go get it. I, so the person doesn't have to drive down your street, like things of that nature. So, you know, maybe I expanded too much and, and you had a counterpoint to that, but I really, I, I appreciate your counterpoint because that's just, it makes me think, better of how to say it to people if i only had an elevator to talk to them about it but like cut your lawn maybe every 10 days instead of every weekend or just don't worry about being aesthetically pleasing in your yard and let natural things grow to bank some of the carbon you know or just grow your own food for half the summer and just take care of your own health but in doing so you could save a little carbon you know? Yeah. Anyways, well, that, yeah, thanks okay. for letting me. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think that brings us to the conclusion of the show. Uh, like I'm saying, uh, what's going on, uh, freaking uh, Ganja Grower, Christoph, uh, Ned Denver in the house. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for hanging. Uh, if you guys would like to uh, listen to the show on podcast platforms, 
please do so. Please go look up Chronic Table on a variety of podcasting platforms. We are currently still on SoundCloud. I, I think I figured out the upload a little bit. So if you are on SoundCloud, please go take a look there and uh, subscribe or whatever. It'll make it more likely that I actually stay there because SoundCloud actually costs money. So it's one of those things like, uh, you know, like this is, YouTube's demonetized the show and stuff. So I'm not complaining or anything, but it's like, you know, if, if, if three people are listening, I'm probably not going to pay for it. You know what I mean? So uh, go listen to it. Go tell your friends. Go enjoy it. Uh, uh, Potent said that uh, uh, SoundCloud is good at, you know, uh, um, uh, spreading the podcast to many other platforms. So, you know, if that's true, hopefully that's true. Uh, if so, please, guys, go uh, uh, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. That goes for the show as well. I think Potent's show, I think he was saying this the other day, that I think pretty much uh, uh, almost everyone I know, I, I don't think it's everyone, frankly, so I, I guess I, I'm going to refrain from making commentary there. But uh, there are a number of cannabis shows that are currently being age-restricted to the point that they are no longer... Uh, First of all, able to monetize. That's just not even uh, uh, able to be said. But in the process of that, people think, oh, you guys are just fucking money grubbing. Actually, no, man. You really don't make any money on it. But the problem is YouTube is a business. And if they don't think they can make any money on you, they push you to the very back of the line. And so that's literally always what happens to any of the channels that don't get monetized. They get pushed to the very back of the line. And literally, your recommendations list will come up with shit that you looked at three years ago instead of a new content from you know one of your buddies, like Potent or me or somebody. It's kind of annoying. I don't know what's going on exactly, uh, but uh, hopefully it changes in the future. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the fastest way for these kinds of shows to, to grow or to at least not die off, basically, uh, is to tell your friends. You know, if you have a friend that likes cannabis, if you have a, a buddy or a relative or something that likes cannabis, maybe somebody who's growing and would like to ask a question one of these days, man, we take questions every once in a while. You should see the freaking guests we have on this show. We have Potent and Coot and, you know, as soil experts honestly so there's quite a few times that you guys could come on here and uh, ask a question so hope you guys do uh tell your friends tell your mama she's a, a big fan i heard uh huge fan of the show man huge fan of the show man huge, huge. Fan of the show. she probably already watched it watch it if you're gonna tell her about it yeah, man. Man, we measure on the richter scale that's yeah, it that's it. Yeah. 9.0 man 9.0 yeah uh, gentlemen uh what was i gonna say am i forgetting something dude i think i am i'm, I'm thinking i'm gonna start the uh, photo contest up uh, it's been a few months now i don't know i had my reasons we, we had the photo contest it was super fun but uh I don't know. Some people kind of spoiled, and I just kind of let it stay spoiled. Honestly, I have no excuse. Like when I look back, and I'm like, dude, I could, it's kind of a fun thing. And a lot of people like now are growing some seeds that they wanted my photo contest. And I'm like, oh, we should do that again. So, uh, starting next month, I hope we're going to do another photo contest. I'm not sure yet what seeds they're going to be. Perhaps if you're listening, if you'd like to donate some seeds, uh, that's chill too. Because uh, I like to have a couple prizes, you know, first and second prize for fun. You know what I mean? It's for you know, what was that? Uh, be like that kind of uh, bragging rights a little bit in a friendly way but then also uh, uh just for fun win some seeds whatever just kind of people's choice uh photo wins uh you're supposed to make the photo you're supposed to honestly grow the the thing that you're making a photo of you know there's some exceptions there it's not freaking hard and fast but it's supposed to be uh you kind of take pictures of your own grow or your own edibles or your own cannabis extraction or whatever the fact is not my extraction but i took a photo uh actually the funny thing is i haven't returned that jar yet so that jar that i'm sitting behind is this exact jar right here so it's the exact same thing uh better lit as you can imagine wow, it smells really good uh it's a uh, gmo i'm babbling ladies and gentlemen 
What have I forgotten else to announce? Please go check out my website. That's certainly something I've forgotten to announce. Uh, there's a couple different names you can use. They all go to the same place. The main website is fumidoro.com, but that might be difficult to say. So fumesofgold.com, fumesofgoldseeds.com. Uh, let's see here, fumidoroseedco.com, and of course, fumidoro. Please check any of those. They go to the same freaking place. Uh, fumidoro.com. Please go take a look at those seeds. I would be honored if you bought some. Every 10-pack comes with a five-pack, which is, by the way, the only way to get this strain comes with a five pack of Silago the Bat. That's Bedrock Boogie number one, very sour strawberry, like the bog sour strawberry. That's the, where it came from. The very, very heavily sour strawberry leaning uh, Bedrock Boogie by uh, the same Ruby Jack F, technically a BX, but the Ruby Jack F2 uh, male that I basically crossed to everybody else. So the same one that crossed to the, the Morgana and the Black Prince Ruby and the freaking Dread Persephone, same male. Pretty fire cross, I think, honestly. I was expecting it to be really banger, and then I just honestly didn't send out enough testers in the right scenario and whatever else. So it's just the, the only way you can get it, honestly, is buying 10 packs of seeds. You get a five-pack thrown in, free shipping domestically, and uh, I guess that's it. Once I can figure it out, that was a wonderful deal, Wes. Uh, I do not, I can't promise yet. Maybe I can just send you an invoice. Honestly, maybe I can do that. If, uh, what did Wes say? Buy three, three, three packs. Go ahead. Three packs are seventy-five piece. Three packs are set. If I I could probably just price that. I'll have to figure that out. Maybe I can just send you an invoice. If you want it, email me. There's probably got to be a way to do it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Or for example, if you have uh, I don't know if you want to buy more packs or something, let me know. There's probably a special price. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for hanging. Please do check out Fumadoro.com. Please, uh, please do check out Potent Ponics, Joe, Growing with Fishes podcast. He has been bringing us wonderful guests lately. Honestly, wonderful guests. Great friends of the show. It. Dude, I, I don't think Breeder Steve would have been on the show at least, you know, maybe a couple of years from now or something, but I don't think he would have been on the show now if it wouldn't have been for Potent Ponics, Steve, asking nicely. Like, I've asked some of those people before. A couple of them had said yes. But someone like Breeder Steve, dude, is so busy. Like, I think he has a list of people that he could go to. And you know what I mean? So I've been very yeah. much hats off to Potent Ponics. Like, honestly, yeah. I'm freaking killing it. And it's uh, it's been great having some fantastic guests. Uh, Potent Ponics is a, is a wonderful guest of his own. So, folks, please go check out his podcast, the Growing with Fishes podcast. I'm often on there on Thursdays. It's been a really fun time. Coot is often on there. Uh, really great podcast. Uh, with that said... Ladies and gentlemen, uh, dude, I probably could, Lars. I'm gonna have to figure that out. I'm kind of new to that, ladies and gentlemen. I am pretty. Thank you, Ned, for posting the link. I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm new at this. Uh, bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, hopefully, you will. Uh, well, I'm saying I'm repeating myself. I'm stoned, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is the time of the show, you got to fucking pull the plug because I just can't just talk about random shit. Be kind, be decent, be gentle. Don't be fucking pricks. Don't be a dick or show your dick. I think that rule applies generally in all good things. Everywhere. Maybe there's a circumstance. Perhaps there is a circumstance where you are asked nicely to show your dick. Those circumstances are appropriate, but they are rare. You know them when you see them. It's one of those things like it's somewhat unmistakable. You, know. you, you don't need to be tall. You pretty much don't need to be tall. about it either. And so other than those scenarios, my friends, that are very, very rare, you might find them by looking on Tinder, for example, or falling madly in love or something, or I don't know, your mama is often a, a source of, of happiness in that regard. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, under, other than those circumstances, don't be a dick. Don't show your dick. Uh, honestly, there's not really a good circumstance to be a dick, I want to say. like, 
Maybe there is. There's, I mean, in the quantum universe, there's all kinds of possibilities. We've learned that on Rick and Mor- Morty. Yeah. Um, dude, I've been slacking. Actually, I haven't had too many. Uh, I haven't watched too many episodes the last couple weeks. Better get back on that and watch more of the multiverse. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, until we meet again in this multiverse or the next, that sounds like Gladiator. We shall be avenged. No, that now that sounds like uh, never give up, never surrender, whatever. Okay, we're we're bouncing from movie to movie, ladies and gentlemen. We are stoned to the bone uh, until we meet again. Have a good one. Uh, go check out my freaking seeds. You know you wanna. Uh, this is the reverse Jedi mind trick of uh, Obi Wan. These are the beans you are looking for. Yeah, it didn't work because I'm not a Jedi. But uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, have a ball and don't show your balls. Ned Denver, that is a good addition. You've mentioned that before. That is a good one. You have to remember that. <laughs> have a ball. Don't show your balls. Again, an easy one to complete. <laughs> Very simple. Don't be a dick. Show your dick. Have a ball. Don't show your balls. Just don't be a dick about it. Easy to comply with. Ladies and gentlemen. Tell me that it's not easy to comply with. Half of you don't need to worry about the second clause of either sentence. You're just like, dude, I'm upset. You know. How easy is that shit? The rest of you, all you got to do is just not do it. Ladies and gentlemen, until we meet again, bless up legends, as Atomic says. Uh, Can we rewind? Rewind.